Greetings and good afternoon, everyone, and welcome. This is Cheryl, and it's my pleasure to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, The True Planetary and Galactic History, Herstory, and True History, Herstory of Nasara. Infinite blessings as we near this cross point uh, that begins uh, with the uh, Halloween celebration and uh, November 1st uh, coming up on Tuesday, the Samhain and um, the celebration of the uh, Dead All Souls Day on the 2nd. So we have a big weekend ahead in between our eclipses here. And uh, as the music was playing, I was writing a prayer. So we'll be using that and I'll be finishing it uh, on Angel's Wings here. So welcome, welcome. Um, I'm glad that you're here to join me for this divine service as we open the program today. So let's go into our heart center. Going into the heart center. We call for for the full emergence and activation of our soul, higher self, our monad, our mighty I am presence fully integrated within our being and all of our multidimensional self through to our God presence and goddess presence. As we begin, we are being asked to focus on the threefold flame and the perfect balance of the sapphire blue flame of divine will, power, strength. It is one of the rays under which divine government has developed And we call forth the perfect balancing with the pink ray of divine love, the comprehensive divine love, and reverence for all life. And top center, the beautiful yellow gold of the flame of wisdom, divine illumination, divine consciousness, Christ consciousness, and enlightenment. And as we see that within ourselves, we call this forth for every man, woman, and child. Let us envision ourselves in our pillar of pure white light, the white light of ascension, surrounded by the golden light. And we call forth everyone to join us in this light to join us as their highest self. As we say, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of every man, woman, and child. I am one with all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all the citizens of my nation. I am one with all that is. And so we see them joining us, every man, woman, and child, as their mighty I am, activating that threefold flame, the pink, the blue, the yellow, gold. As we connect heart to heart, high heart to high heart, Threefold flame to threefold flame, connecting 
with the cosmic heart and the threefold flame of all that is. Everyone joining in unity consciousness. For everyone knows on some level that we are here to anchor heaven on earth. And we give thanks for this ability to do so. We give thanks for serving on the planet at this time. And we recommit ourselves to this divine service of being the bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age, and the open door that no one can shut. Connected heart to heart, we do the following for everyone as we invite in for one and all, all soul extensions, planetary and galactic, all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past and forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pods. And we welcome for one and all, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame our Ascension Council and Mission Council. We welcome all of the kingdoms to assist in this process, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the Divi kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. We welcome as well all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim, all angelic healing teams and healers. We welcome the ascended masters, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the radiant ones, all of the enlightened masters, all divine mother emissaries, divine father emissaries, all of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light and all ascended master healers and healing teams. We welcome at this time our beloved brothers and sisters from the Galactic Federation of Light and their healing teams, especially those that we work with most closely, including the Arcturians, the Pleiadians, the Syrians, the Andromedans, the Chiron healers, and the healers from Venus. We welcome all cosmic, galactic, universal healers that can be of service. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven at this most sacred and holy time, asking our Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify it 10 billion times, 10 billion fold in alignment with divine will and divine law. Take a nice deep breath. As we affirm, I am an instrument of God. I am an instrument of God. I am weaving my gifts, talents, skills, knowledge, strength, and courage. compassion, and love 
into the tapestry of the divine plan for the new earth. I'm responding to my heart's call. And I am God, goddess in action. I am consecrating my thoughts, words, feelings, and actions to be the greatest force of good I can be on this planet. I am making a positive difference every day. Through the focus of my attention, I am expressing the following divine truths. I am one with all life. I am divine love. I am infinite abundance. I am the harmony of my true being. I am vibrantly healthy and eternally youthful. I am a peace commanding presence. The actions I take every day improve my life, self, my family, my work, my community, my city, my country, and the world. I have a healing touch. I'm communing with the angelic kingdom and the elemental kingdom. I am transfiguring this planet into the new earth. And so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. We're going to do the prayer that's still in progress here. Beloved Mother, Father, God, as my I am presence and one with the I am presence of all, in alignment, with divine will and divine law. We call forth all the rays, all the flames, all the ascension waves and universal laws to completely cleanse, clear, purify, enlighten, transmute, and illuminate all consciousness on every level of beingness through all time, space, and dimension of all the people living on the planet or in any way related to this planet at this time. Fill each being with divine wisdom, especially all the voters in the United States and all other nations having elections across the world. Align each man, woman, and child with divine mind and divine will and divine perfection. Overflow everyone individually and collectively with comprehensive divine love. And demonstrate love and action at all times with the desire to be unified with all people as one. 
may everyone's thoughts, words, actions, attitudes, may all expression of life demonstrate this love as we recognize our divinity, as we recognize we are one with the divine and desire only to reflect that divinity in our life, in our government, in every experience on this planet. So be it, and so it is, and we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We focus on being the flame as we affirm the following. I am a being of flame. We can focus on the threefold flame. See that within everyone as we proclaim this for all. I am a being of flame and I am its light. I am part of an activity reacquainting all human beings with their flame and their light. I am the flame that is the vibration of the Godhead. I am the flame that is the cohesive love which holds the sun and stars in place. I am the flame whose power projects light rays from the sun. I am the flame that fills all the universe with the glory of itself. I am the flame, the animating principle of life. Wherever I am, there is God activity. I am the Alpha and the Omega of creation. I am the beginning, and I am the end of manifestation. All externalization. For I am the flame, which is the source of all, and and into which all returns. The flame which I am is the power. The flame which I am is the substance. The flame which I am is the all of everything. Energy, vibration, and consciousness in action. Ever fulfilling the divine plan of creation. The flame which I am will co-create the earth and set her free eternally. The flame which I am is the fifth dimensional activity. The flame which I am is the higher law of God. Come to assert its full dominion over the lesser laws and energies of anything less than fifth dimensional in the world of humanity. It is master over every vibration less than itself. It is all loving, all knowing, and all powerful. 
and I am that flame in action amongst humanity. Within the flame which I am is every good and perfect thing, every thought and feeling my godparents have ever had for the blessing of their creation. This perfection is externalized as light. Within the flame is the seed of all things, and within the light is the full manifestation of all things. I am the flame, and I am its light. The flame which I am is available like air or water. It is everywhere present, available to those who perceive it and accept it. This is my reason for being, the flame and the light, embodied in a form acceptable to humanity. I am the flame, again reaching, the withering souls of the human race, filling them with light, the substance of myself, my holy self. I am embodied for this reason and no other. For I am part of an activity designed to reacquaint every man, woman, and child with their flame and their light. I am a being of flame, and I am its light. I am the flame of life. I am an instrument of God, Goddess. I am that I am. And so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We're calling forth the violet flame. We know that the sapphire blue and the violet flame work continuously with each other. And these are the rays that are designed to assist in the creation of divine government. We call forth all of the beings from each of those rays and flames the highest frequencies of cosmic forgiveness and transmutation that we can receive. Again, as we use this prayer, call the violet flame of 1,000 suns, we invoke as well to work with it all the rays, all the flames, all the universal laws and ascension ways. I now invoke the goddess of liberty, the goddess of divine justice, the goddess of freedom, the goddess of victory, the silent watchers, mighty guardians, and cosmic beings who are assisting humanity at this time from inner levels with the establishment of the new earth. Blessed ones, come forth now and blaze forth the most powerful cleansing activity of the violet flame, along with the sapphire blue flame of cosmic Christ's love, and all the rays, flames, universal laws, and ascension waves. We ask for the most powerful cleansing and purification that humanity and the earth are capable of receiving during this cosmic moment. I open the stargate of my heart, and I am instantly the open door for the most powerful fifth-dimensional frequencies of the violet transmuting flame of forgiveness and forgetfulness the earth has ever experienced. 
The violet flame pulsates through my heart flame and blazes in through and around all inharmonious actions, all lower human consciousness and all obstructions of the light that any person, place, condition, or thing has ever placed in the pathway of life's perfection. Thus we call this forth individually and collectively for all. Through the divine power of forgiveness and forgetfulness, the violet flame transmutes the discordant energy, cause, core, effect, record, and memory, now and forever. The silent watchers over every country, state, city, town, village, and hamlet on the planet now reach out their great loving arms and raise up a limitless number of souls in every location who are willing to participate in the faithful use of the violet transmuting flame of divine mercy, compassion, forgiveness, and transmutation. Each of these light workers understands the full importance of the sacred gift now offered by our Mother, Father, God to help free humanity once and for all from all human distresses. The conscious use of this mighty power from the heart of God, Goddess, will cause to be established within each one of these places great foci of violet flame, which will continually bathe every person in every vicinity. Now through the clarion call of my I am presence of all humanity and the legions of light throne infinity, the violet flame begins to expand and expand in its highest solar crystalline diamond-like frequencies. It now merges with the immortal victorious threefold flame blazing in every person's heart and explodes into a tremendous starburst of light. This influx of the violet flame increases to the intensity and power of a thousand suns. Beloved legions of light associated (coughs) with the violet flame of love's freedom and transmutation blaze the light of a thousand suns through the tectonic plates, ley lines, song lines, cracks, fissures of this blessed planet to ensure her wholeness and transmutation of anything that Mother Gaia may carry herself that needs to be transmuted, that needs to be raised in frequency at this time until she exhibits her divine perfection through every kingdom of life. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through the thoughts, words, actions, and feelings of every man, woman, and child evolving on earth. Until every person individually acknowledges and accepts the immaculate concept for all life. And every expression is a healing benediction. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through all incoming babies, the children, their parents, and guardians, until all youth are raised up in energy, vibration, and consciousness to carry out 
their divine mission and divine directives of their mighty I am presence. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through all you centers, all activities, all schools, colleges, and universities, all leaders and teachers, instructors, and professors in every line of endeavor until the flame of God illumination and divine enlightenment is manifest and eternally sustained and all of our youth are ready to take on the mantle of transforming this planet and bringing us heaven on earth. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through all religious and spiritual teachings so that divine love, truth, tolerance, oneness, and understanding and universal sisterhood and brotherhood quickly manifest. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through all doctors, nurses, healers, hospitals, insurance companies, pharmaceutical conglomerates, everything related to healthcare, every institution associated with healing of any kind, until divine mercy, compassion, caring, healing, and integrity are tangible realities for every evolving soul. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through all banking and financial institutions, all economic systems, all money, and all the people associated with monetary interactions of any kind, until every person on earth is openly demonstrating true integrity, honesty, generosity, fairness, abundance and the God, Goddess supply of all good things. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through all places of incarceration and all employed there. Through every correctional institution, every law enforcement officer, through every judge, jury, and court of law, through all the governments of the world, every person, place, and thing, and intensify until the highest good of all concerned expresses divine love, oneness, and every single being and every single institution, and until divine justice is fully manifest and eternally sustained. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through all space activities throughout the world until every nation unites in cooperative service so that God's will may be manifest with our sisters and brothers throughout the universe. Blaze the light of a thousand suns through the physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies of all humanity until all aging and disease and human miscreation, its cause and core, is purified, dissolved and transmuted into purity, vibrant health, and infinite physical perfection. 
blaze the light of a thousand suns through the food and water industries and through all the food and water used for human consumption until every particle of food and every molecule of water is filled with light throughout this planet. Empower this elemental substance to raise the vibratory action of humanity's physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies until physical perfection, the perfection of every person's solar light body, becomes a sustained, manifest reality for every human being. Blaze the light of a thousand suns in, through, and around. All the air we breathe and every remaining electron of precious life energy until we have completed our ascension in the light individually and collectively and until the immaculate concept of the new earth is fully manifest and all evolving here is wholly ascended and free. Along with St. Germain, along with the Violet Flame Archangels, we proclaim that this is God victoriously accomplished. And so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We go back and focus on the threefold thing as we call forth divine government for this nation, for all nations. Brazil has an election tomorrow. And so we call it forth for one and all. I am breathing the breath of the Holy Spirit into the deepest recesses of my being. Every breath I take cleanses my physical, etheric, mental, or emotional bodies. I hold the focus of my, of my attention on each breath as it continues to lift me further into the embrace of my I am presence and God, God is presence. I surrender to the perfection of my true God, God is reality. I affirm once again I am one with the divine heart and mind of God. I am one with every man, woman, and child evolving on the sweet earth. From within the silence of my heart, I affirm, I am a beloved child of God, Goddess, and all that my mother, father, God have is mine. I invoke the all-pervading light of the universe, the supreme source of all life, all that is. I kneel within my heart in recognition of the light of the cosmos, and I once again draw forth the flames representing the threefold activity of life as exemplified by the Holy Trinity. I invoke the blue flame, which represents the divine power of my Father God. I invoke the pink flame, 
which represents the divine mother of my the divine love of my mother god i invoke the yellow gold flame which represents the divine wisdom of the sons and daughters of god goddess the i am presence beloved mother father god come now and assert your rightful authority within me and within all humanity from this moment forward show us how to reverently express the perfectly balanced activity of god's love wisdom and power o supreme light i acknowledge you in all life i give gratitude <clears throat> to the glorious cosmic and ascended beings as i invoke them and the great angelic host to amplify the energy which i am releasing to assist with co-creating divine government for the new earth at this time this is destined to be a government of the i am presence of humanity by the i am presence of humanity for the i am presence of humanity beloved presence of god god is the source of all that is i love and adore you i acknowledge you as the owner and giver of my life my intelligence my substance my all seal me in the love wisdom and power of victorious accomplishment blaze your light before me and prepare the way that i may always walk the path of light guard and protect me guide and direct me and give me the illumination of the truth that will set me free help me to be your divine love and action at all times and sustain your love through me to bless all life i invoke the i am presence of every soul that is in any way associated with the governments of the earth to direct sustain and expand the portion of the divine plan which is that soul's destiny i invoke the legions of light throughout infinity to direct their full gathered momentum of loving and illumined obedience to god's will into the feelings minds and worlds of all governmental and business leaders throughout the planet through the power and presence of almighty god i am i decree that divine government shall manifest now and that all humanity shall follow the will of our mother father god so be it and so it is and we give thanks for this we give thanks for this we give thanks for this take a nice deep breath as we call forth gaia and archangel sandalphon to help us to ground this with all that we've done and all that we do with every energy prayer and vocation blessing grace and dispensation we ask to easily and effortlessly individually and collectively for ourselves and for all humanity to easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate ground and anchor integrate and embody these frequencies and be the demonstration of divine love and light in each moment 
with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, in love and light and laughter. Infinite blessings to you at this most sacred and holy time where the veil is pretty much non-existent in these upcoming days. Utilize this opportunity well as we seek to create heaven on earth. And please join me in divine service every Sunday and Monday. Again, this will be another big weekend. Another big weekend right after that. And um, so we prepare for the next eclipse. So please plan on joining us for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Calls. Every Sunday and Monday where we do our divine service, our activities of life, bringing heaven to earth through prayers and invocations, through visualizations, through activations. We begin at 8.45 p.m. Eastern, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. At, at, at that time, we do greetings for about 25 minutes. Then Tara and Rama give us a brief update. And we begin our work in earnest at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific Time running to about uh, 11.45 Eastern. It's about two and a quarter hours generally. We've had a couple times where we've gone to midnight recently. But then we just don't do closings. We just let everybody go off to the higher realms. So it's a teleconference call. Please make note of the number. The main number to dial is area code 425 Four three six six two six zero. Can area code four two five four three six six two six zero. The access code is nine four six seven four four one pound. Nine four six seven four four one pound. We'd love to have you join us. Let us know where you're calling from especially if you're a first-timer. And um, we just love to have uh, the support of all the light workers out there in our work of manifesting heaven on earth. So we invite you to join us at this most powerful and uh, auspicious time. So infinite blessings in the days ahead. And uh, we'll see you on tomorrow night's call. With that, I'm going to thank you for your divine service here today and thank Tara and Rama for their continued divine service. And I also thank Rainbow for her divine service as I pass this talking stick that is filled with the violet ray and the sapphire blue and the pink ray of love and the gold, yellow gold of divine wisdom and illumination and Christ consciousness. And it has Every, every energy associated with life attached to it, all of the elementals and the fairies and the angelic energy and um, the feathers and the gemstones just sparkling with every frequency, including our white and gold of ascension, 
that we began with and with this um with beautiful love i pass this beautiful talking stick to you rainbird love and blessings to all <laughs> thank you cheryl that is a gorgeous talking stick so much gratitude and so much gratitude for your divine service as well so i'm here to do the housekeeping as we are listening supported radio program it's each of us that make it happen we have expenses each week of $300 for BBS radio. And um, so we all pitch in and contribute to that so that we keep up the pace. And here's how we do it. Go into your heart's pace, see what it's yours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com. And for this program, you want to look for radio, on Radio Station 2 at the menu and find this um this program listed on Saturdays at one thirty hour, that's the Pacific time. And there you'll see the icons for our show. As you click on that icon, it'll take you directly to our account where you can make a donation in the amount. So the other two um, places you can make that contribution are on Radio Station 1 at on Thursdays at the 6 o'clock hour. It's a, pet, a night at the round table with the panel and you can click on that icon there and I'll take you to our account and the other one the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama on radio station one after the six o'clock hour as well and as you click on that icon that you can also make that donation so lots of options to all three we're grateful for you and thank you for taking that action so we're also assisting Tar and Rama with their needs. And this week is rent week as it's due at the end of the month. And that's all paid for and and it's been contributed. So thank you. As well as the bills for this week has all been paid for. Thank you, thank you for that. And um oh and I forgot to say about the radio. The radio bill got paid up to speed. So we just need 300 for the radio this week. So we're in good shape. Lots of gratitude to all you awesome people out there who made those contributions. So here's what they need this week for Tara and Rama. They need living expenses, you know, gas and food and all the all the expenses of living that show up. <laughs> and uh, as we can get give them $300 for these expenses this week, that would be awesome. Here's how we do a Donation to Tara and Rama. You want to go to the web address, which is rainbowroundtable.net. And there on the home page, you'll see that menu grid. Just click on that, and you'll see the donate button near the bottom of that list. Click on that, and that will lead you to Rama's PayPal account, where you can make a donation in any amount. So thank you for taking that action. If you want to... Uh, access the friends option, you need to put in, uh, go to paypal.com and then put in, uh, Rama's email address at PayPal for making that, a contribution to Rama directly that way. And that email address for Rama at PayPal is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at Hotmail. Dot com. And either way is perfect. We're grateful for all your contributions. It's just the friends option just eliminates the commercial charges from the other 
link. Either way, you're wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you for assisting Tara and Rama in that way, for all that they do. We're grateful for them, and we're grateful for all of you. As you're sending something to Tara and Rama, you want to send Rama an email and let them know what you sent. So that email for Rama is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999, at Comcast.net. And then, as you need it, the mailing address is as follows, Ram D. Brookowitz, R-A-M-D, Brookowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280-280, and that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, where the zip is 87567. And I'll say that again, the zip code for Tara and Lama, <laughs> and that's Santa Cruz, New Mexico. So there you go. You've got all the information. And I have this beautiful talking stick to send along. Oh, but I do want to just spend a moment to welcome you to Samhain, which is the 31st of the new year in the Celtic calendar. It does start on November the 1st. And, um, it marks the beginning of winter. So um, I just wanted to read this small little paragraph from my Celtic devotional. The winter quarter of Samhain brings the gift of restoration and renewal as the cold weather closes in. So the soul is led to more reflective depths. It is traditionally associated with the remembrance of the ancestors, with the coming of death and the conception of new life. In the human growth cycle, Samhain corresponds to the period of old age when wisdom, freedom of spirit, and clarity are experienced. Samhain is a good time to celebrate the lives of all wise elders, all those whose actions and ideas have brought resolution and peace, all holy ones whose sacrifice has brought new life and opened spiritual thresholds to all. So in closing, we are ending the... Um, the cycle of Lunasa, and that's the fall cycle of all the harvest and to celebrate today. I picked five pints of red raspberries out of my garden. <laughs> so I'm going to pass this talking stick. And uh, this talking stick, you, Cheryl said it, excuse me, Cheryl said it best. It's the violet ray and the sapphire blue ray and the pink ray of with the heart of love, the yellow gold, of Christ consciousness, and all the energies of life, of the elementals, the angels, and all the beings, and, uh, yeah, lots of fairies and feathers. So greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes this talking stick. And I also want to say to you all for, for your gifts, 13 thank yous, honey in the heart, long life, no evil. Okay, that talking stick should be there by now. Greetings. 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 Ah, you commanders, eagles and angels. What a lovely talking stick. We thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Rainbird. That was a good uh, insight as to 
what's going on here. Uh, let's see, Sal Wayne is, uh, it's right after midnight, uh, Sunday night, right? Sunday night. Yeah, it actually is, is after midnight. Well, yeah, it, they're, they're listing it as November the 1st, so that would be, um, Monday night. But Monday, Monday's Halloween. And and they, and they do call it that one. So yeah, well, that's, uh, that's why I said it would be after midnight Sunday night to Monday night because uh, Halloween is Monday. Right, right, exactly. Sal yeah, at the same time, so it would be uh, after midnight Monday morning. Right. Yeah, November the first happens after midnight Monday morning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But Sal Wayne is not November the 1st. That's All Saints Day. Sal Wayne is the same as Halloween, which is the day. Well, I was just quoting what was listed in my, my, um, my reference book. But oh. yeah, it is All Saints Day and, and it is, um, All Souls Day too. And I'm sure that Cheryl will bring that up on Sunday and Monday, so. All Souls Day is the 2nd of November. Yeah. <laughs> And all Saints Day is the first. And yeah. I, as far as I understand, I don't know what happened to your book, but Sal Wayne would be right after midnight on Halloween morning, which is Monday, Monday morning. Yeah, okay. We got it. Let's go with it. All right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, we're just going to um, – we had some good um, – pieces. Rama, you want to tell what you learned today? What I heard on Counterspin um, there was a lawyer on there who's taking on Mumia Abu Jamal's case and let's say, trying to get him free and talking about the fact that Dr. Oz has no business running for governor of Pennsylvania because he knows nothing about being a governor whatsoever. And he doesn't live in Pennsylvania. He lives in New Jersey. And he's quite filthy rich and uh, through a long chain uh, secret stories he's connected with Jeffrey Epstein what else is there to say yes yeah he is how did that happen money talks and nobody we uh you know secrets get buried till after the bodies come bubbling up to the surface it's you know just as that's pretty strange. Yeah. He has, you know, he's not a real doctor. He's a celebrity. And there's a lot of money behind him called dark money. This is because Citizens United is still the law. And people that have shady pasts on this planet that are billionaires. And I mean, I could equate. Elon Musk with the fictional character 
Lex Luthor, Superman, and Elon Musk is as crazy as Lex Luthor, if not more. And I don't know where to go with that except to say Citizens United is the reason dark money can flow into people's bank accounts like Dr. Oz and get away with stuff. That's what I heard on Counterspin today. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. But he's just one of a sea of politicians. It, it is an ocean of darkness that is ending right now because Kali has hung up her uh, necklace of skulls and Satyuga is here. Diwali, the festival of lights is going on. <laughs> I passed the talking stick. Senator Whitehouse yes. was on Yasmin Osugian. And he said that the Republican Party is bought and paid for by the fossil fuel industry. Yes. That says it all. And the fossil fuel industry is endangering everybody's lives by continuing to be an industry. That's why we need free energy yesterday, like Dr. Greer is talking about. Uh, and 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 it's unlimited, and it's there's no lack of it. And, then, and we have the technology for it to be so. So what's going on here? It's the same thing with. They said forty thousand people are homeless in L.A. now. I did hear on BBC News that. Russia has halted grain shipments because one of their grain ships was hit by a drone or a missile and they're blaming Ukraine, calling it a terrorist attack and... Wait, wait a minute. What, who, who actually did it? We know that Faction 3 White Knights say that... I don't know who did it. Zelensky's doing everything and they're saying that Russia's doing it. Yeah. And so... Who's blaming? Who? Yeah, who did you say? You said they are blaming Ukraine. Who's they? On BBC News, I heard that a grain ship that was sitting up the coast of Crimea. And it was a Russian grain ship. It was a Russian grain ship that was getting ready to take off to you know, deliver the grain, and it got hit by to a another country, by right? a drone or a missile. Yeah, delivering the grain to another country, probably, yes. probably Africa. Yes. Yeah. And then, who is they that BBC said? Uh, Russia. BBC News said Russia is blaming Ukraine for the terrorist attack on the ship. It sounds like BBC is biased toward being pro-Ukraine. Correct. So that's what you've got to know. And then what we also know is that Putin is not Putin. It's a, on a puppet string to the oligarchy. And they're making up the story so that they can justify whatever they want to do there in Ukraine. Yeah, this is like, you know, could be a, you know, a feather that falls on the camel's back.
that, you know, could, could escalate, laced the violet fire. That's what I'm being told on so many levels about this story right now. Mm-hmm. The other thing, and, uh, you know, Senator Whitehouse, Sheldon Whitehouse is a white knight. Yeah. And he also said, in addition to saying that the Republican Party is bought and paid for by the fossil fuel industry, when they have no intentions of going solar, and they're having trouble uh, keeping that going because, you know, the solar panels are costing less and less. And it still costs money to, you can buy them and pay them on payments, but there's over half of the people in the United States are living under the poverty level, so that's not even a consideration for them. And to take it to the other end of the spectrum, Dr. Greer talked about a little box that you could hold in your hand. It's no bigger than a cigarette box. You mean a cigarette lighter? A cigarette lighter. Or a box of matches. Or a box of matches. Oh, okay. And it runs your entire house, your computer, refrigerator, everything. And what is it using? Solar energy, it's right? It's using some kind of plasmatic energy. And how does that little tiny thing access that plasmatic energy in its little tiny self? I'm not up to speed with my quantum physics to come and <laughs> I'd like to be able to but I'm, I'm pretty sure that Dr. Greer explained it when he said stuff but he said a lot of things yeah yeah and EBS radio has the whole thing recorded and so we can listen to it again as we choose yeah wow it's kind of like in plain sight Mm-hmm. Where he, he he nailed everything in that uh, two hour and forty five minute dissertation on roast pig. <laughs> the second thing that uh, Sheldon Whitehouse said today on Yasmin Vasugian's reports is that well he wrote a book and it's called the scheme. How the right wing used dark money to capture the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And he said the Supreme Court is a captured court. Yes. In other words, they're not autonomous beings and they're not going to do anything except where the money comes from for the, them to say and do whatever. So that's pretty serious. And there's, uh, apparently, I don't know how you dismantle something like that. They have a life term. I would say this goes into the realm of how there are certain galactic ambassadorships, uh, counselors that interact with folks on Earth that know how to corral the situation without any blood and create an amicable situation. 
and all parties will be satisfied, yet the ones that are on the dark side are going to be taking a little trip on the Draco shuttle. <laughs> and that's sad. Yeah. John Roberts, you know, bless his heart, blazed the violet fire, but when you're the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, and you condone Citizens United. He's he's the one that put it out there. And he's not backing down and, you know, saying that January 6th was, uh, you know, an insurrection or treason. He didn't say that at all. And that Supreme Court <clears throat> is taking um, settled law and unraveling it. That's what Roe v. Wade has been. It's the been whole idea law. of the Federalist Society is based on old, creepy white men who get their orders from the Archons, the Fallen Angels. That's that's it. There's no way that the masses are going to get that piece of information straight from the hip mama. Not until there is full disclosure. And uh, any time now, can I pass the talking stick? Okay. All right. Well, we're going to start here with... Uh, this is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, <clears throat> our representative from the Bronx in, Bronx in New York, in our Congress, <clears throat> in the House, along with um, Representative Janie, Jamie Raskin. He's a representative in our House, too, but he's from Maryland. And they're having a little interview with Chris Hayes, and this happened last night on All In with Chris Hayes, which was at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 5 o'clock Pacific Time. And so here we go. This is very interesting. of the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, was assaulted, I was reminded of one of the most indelible moments to have emerged uh, from January 6th and the hearings into them. Uh, during the attack on the Capitol, Speaker Pelosi was ushered to an undisclosed secure location away from the Capitol, close but away, uh, because her safety was threatened. And in that secure room, she huddled with congressional leadership. Democratic Congresswoman Ilhan Omar was also there, though she's not in leadership, but she was brought to that room because of the specific and acute threats against her. They were worried for her safety. Pelosi spent much of her time in that room on the phone with top government officials, including with then-Vice President Mike Pence, who himself was sheltering at a secure location inside the Capitol as the mob chanted it wanted to hang him. And as she spoke to him, you could just hear the the concern in Speaker Pelosi's voice. Take a listen. Hi, Mr. Vice President. Hi. Yeah, we're okay. We're here with Mr. Schumer, Mr. McConnell, the leadership, House and Senate. And uh, how are you? Oh, my goodness. Where are you? God bless you. But are you in a very safe 
Well, that we are still not safe enough for us to go back. We've been told it could take days to clear the capital and that we should be moving everyone who is getting get his job done. Okay, and that costs that. Okay. I worry about you being in that capital room. Uh-huh. Don't let anybody know where you are. Don't let anybody know where you are. I think about that line a lot. January 6th is one of the worst examples of this trend of violence against members of Congress, Vice President, Tarly the first. Threats against members of Congress have more than doubled from the year Donald Trump took office. Look at that chart. Nearly 4,000 in 2017, nearly 10,000 threats just last year. Joining me now, two people who understand that threat more than perhaps anyone else. Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, who has been a very frequent target of writing threats since she was first elected nearly four years ago. And Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland, who sits on the January 6th committee. It's great to have you guys here. Thanks. Thanks, Um, Kevin. Just obviously profoundly upsetting news. First, just your reaction to hearing this particularly given your position. Well, tremendous concern for the Pelosi family. Love to Paul Pelosi, who is a, a very popular, beloved figure in our caucus, um, in the whole Pelosi family. Um, you know, I think everybody feels like it's an assault on all of us. And, you know, these kinds of threats have been going up, and the political violence is... Um, obviously hit very close to home for the speaker's family now. And uh, it's terrifying in terms of what it bodes for America if we continue to go down this direction. So I hope it will be an opportunity for uh, both major political parties and people across the spectrum to denounce and renounce political violence clearly, because my fear is that the response to January 6th has been so ambivalent and muted in some quarters where there's been attempts to minimize and trivialize and whitewash it that it essentially condones political violence going forward. Absolutely. And, you know, just want to echo Representative Raskin's just thoughts towards the Pelosi family. This is an extremely egregious uh, and just horrifying attack, but it also speaks to the level of vitriol that we are seeing and that this is really reflective of an overall highly unstable, volatile political environment. And it's very connected and tracks very much with the rise in, um, in, in this violence that we're seeing on the ground, everyday people, people who sit on school boards, people who want to serve on their PTAs, people who want to serve as, as, you know, poll workers are also, um, really experiencing these elevated threats of violence, and this is going and being reflected at the very, very top of our democracy. Kelly, I'm going to ask you a question, Congressman Cortez and uh, Ocasio-Cortez, and you can not answer it because sometimes security questions can be a little thorny, right, because you don't want to get too much information. But I imagine that you in particular have a little bit of a hard road to walk here, Mm -hmm. which is at one level, like I said before, I don't know if you saw the previous break, like it's a great thing about American democracy is like Congress people are just people. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember like the first time that I covered a member of Congress running when we were like in a bingo hall. Yeah. You know, at eight in the morning with a bunch of people who didn't want a congressperson shaking their hand and like, hey, yeah, whatever, I'm listening for our numbers, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, this is what a democracy is. <laughs> so at the same time, you gotta be accessible. Yeah. But then there's also like real security issues to deal with. I'm just curious how you deal with that. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a perception that politics is like in this similar world of celebrity. And I think we have folks like Donald Trump and things like that that have certainly blurred those lines. 
But really, folks in politics are everyday people. And um, especially lately, where thankfully in the Democratic Party, we've had a lot more working class people actually be able to be elected in a system that has historically not yeah. um, been able to be accessible in that way. But that also means that you're a normal person and you come back to, you know, in my case in New York City, I go back to my apartment in the Bronx. And um, there's... I think you're in the Bronx. It, yeah, I mean that's sort I of the feel that way too. Yeah. I do. I feel that way too. And so there is, um, there are real concerns here, especially if we achieve what we want to achieve, which is more everyday people being yeah. elected to the United States House of Representatives. I we were wrestling, of course, with we were thinking about the model right, and how we're going to cover this today. And you know, I'll just disclose there's sort of this tension. So one level, it's like, I don't want to do this thing where it's like their, their people are terrible, you know, exclusively. And, 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 you know, it's like a guy took a gun to the Republican softball team and shot up, like shot Steve Salif, almost killed him. Mm-hmm. There was a guy who said he turned himself in because he was going to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh. So it's not like there's some ideological monopoly on this. And yet, but yeah. it also feels like the difference is that on that side, there because of Donald Trump chiefly, there is more tolerance for, excuses for, apologies, exhortations to threaten menace. What do you think? <clears throat> you know, what we want to avoid is a situation where people are afraid to go into politics. Yeah. Because of threats to themselves or their families or their friends, their neighbors. Um, and, uh, you know, as Alex says, it's especially dire at the local level with school board and yeah. city council and town council and so on. And then generally, all of this engenders a climate of fear, which is not conducive to us engaging in the kind of political thinking and imagination about how to move America forward on everything from lowering prescription drug prices to addressing climate change to, uh, you know, promoting this wonderful young generation that's out there that's so afraid about, you know, gun violence and COVID-19 and climate change. And this just uh, deepens that climate of fear. So we've got to break that cycle the, you know, the best that we can. And, um, you know, at this point, I don't know that it helps for us to diagnose what the political or ideological provenance of it is. I mean, you can certainly look at it historically, yeah. and there's no doubt that political violence has a connection to fascism and authoritarianism. Mm-hmm. But in America today, the important thing is for people all across the spectrum to denounce political violence and renounce political violence so we can have something like ordinary civil democracy again. You know, the, the ordinary civil democracy is what I'm thinking of when I've seen these images out of Arizona where these folks are standing outside these ballot drop boxes. There was just a state judge in Arizona, you know, sort of uh, issued a ruling today saying it was okay that they're doing this. They're sort of outside the ballot drop boxes. Now, again, they're not doing anything violent, but they're there watching some of them. As you can see there, they've got their tactical vests on. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's the perfect example. It's like, there's the line of liberal democracy in which we are free and open society, we argue. And then, like, the people in the tactical vest by the ballot drop box that are armed, that are armed that doesn't feel like on the right side of that line. No. I mean, there's a history of voter intimidation and voter discrimination and 
obstacles to the ballot, especially in African-American and Latino communities. And so you've got to view the guy showing up in, you know, camo gear and masks as part of that history. This is an attempt to discourage people from going out to vote. And it's really critical in this election that every voter understand all of the different ways they can vote in their state and that they do vote and they show no fear. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge the point that you said, that political violence can come from all different uh, parts of the political spectrum, while also really having to acknowledge a very central fact of reporting from the FBI and from, and even in terms of Homeland Security, uh, Jamie and I sit and we, he is the chair and I'm the vice chair of the House Oversight Subcommittee on Civil Rights and Civil Liberties. And we've held hearings on this and the, there is absolutely no doubt that the data shows that the vast majority of, of incidents of domestic terror come from white nationalism and that we are really truly facing an environment of fascism and in the United States of America, this type of intimidation at the polls brings us to Jim Crow. It brings us back and, and harkens back to a very unique form of American apartheid that is not that long past ago. And we have never fully healed from it. And those wounds threaten to rip right back open if we do not strongly defend democracy in the United States of America. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the plaintiffs in that lawsuit cite the 1871 Ku Klux Klan Act, uh, which of course is passed precisely because of voter intimidation, precisely at this time. Now, the judge in that ruling, very sort of fascinatingly, who, who knocks down it, says it's fine, says, well, there's no example they're targeting black or Latino minority voters here, which is true, but it's also like, I don't know if like equal opportunity ballot intimidation <laughs> passes constitutional muster or right. specified ballot intimidation doesn't, which seems to be sort of the ruling here. But it's also like, it just feels there's a level of, that we've walked off some mm-hmm. platform of liberal democracy, free and open debate into this kind of menace and berserk. And I guess the question is, like, how do you think about getting back onto the platform? Mm-hmm. Like, what, how do you wrench that back in a society that has taken some real steps towards something other? Well, I mean, what are the big political tectonic plates here? Um, you know, there's the central rhetoric on the right beyond big lie and election denialism is replacement theory, which reflects the anxiety that America sometime later on in this century um, will be a society where whites are the biggest racial block and yet are not a majority in the country. And they're playing on that fear. And so all of the electoral paranoia is really about the fact that um, the white block vote is not going to be able to win elections mm-hmm. whenever deliberate white blocks form. Um, and the way to address that um, is through the recognition that the vast majority of Americans have already accepted the fact that we are the world's greatest multiracial, multiethnic, multireligious constitutional democracy, and we know how to live together, and that's what makes America great. That's what makes us truly exceptional. And I think I think the other thing, and I, I've watched Democrats struggle, I think, to find this message, and, and some do it better than others, is you know, this question of weaving together this coalition of sort of solidarity across these lines of difference, which is that, like, it doesn't have to be zero-sum. Like, 
I get the piece of pie so you don't, right? Um, and I think that's particularly relevant, it seems to me, in the case of this, these midterms, right? Because at one level, it's like, it feels existential from the level of democracy, and I think it is in some ways. But it's also like I was just talking to someone who works on a political campaign who's talking about being in NYCHA houses, which is mm-hmm. public housing here, and it's like, he's talking to people that can't feed their kids. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what's on our mind for them. Mm-hmm. And I guess the question to you is like, how, how do you message around this stuff in an environment where people are focused on real, important, material, immediate concerns, and also those concerns are being used to kind of pride people in such a way that they tip the scales towards this political party that increasingly doesn't believe in democracy. Well, I mean, I think what's really important and the way that we message about this is talking about the racial realities of our economic issues and the economic realities of racial issues, mm-hmm. that these are things are not uh, are not distinct or siloed. If you are a black American, if you are black or Latino, in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you were disproportionately targeted for unjust incarceration. Then once that happened, particularly centered on the war on drugs, mm-hmm. then once you have that on your record, you cannot access housing in the same way. You cannot get employed in the same way. You, you have all these structural barriers that really funnel you into being trapped in poverty. Um, when it talks about inflation, when we talk about redlining, when we talk about who can get a mortgage and who can't, how it's 10 times harder to be poor in America or to be working class in America and that, and how that divide is growing. All of these things are very interconnected and they want us to think that they're very separate, that it's either or. And even when we talk about issues like inflation, a lot of this has to do with the massive consolidation of our markets and corporate greed. Our inflation is not going up due to government policies. Inflation is going up due to Wall Street decisions and the idea that they can just squeeze us for every penny that we're worth. And we can also say that and acknowledge the fact that that's impacting some communities more than others. And that, I think, is how we can really emphasize this message. Um, But you know, I, I, I think it's just really important to, again, center this fact that this idea that it's either or is very dangerous. And the idea that emphasizing social equity is somehow a detriment to our democracy is playing into the hands of the folks that don't want us to talk about either. Look, well, we need a functioning democracy in order to deliver the economic goods to the people. Um, I'm proud of the fact that it's our party. I don't know if people believe that, though. Well, but it's true. Like, I think that, I honestly think that people's belief in that as a first principle. I'll give you a great example of it. I'll give you two great examples of it. Okay, one, um, we just dramatically lowered prescription drug costs, out-of-pocket prescription drug costs for millions of Americans in the Medicare program by saying that you're, that you're limited to $2,000 to what you're going to have to pay in a year. And if you're a diabetic on insulin shots to $35 a month, that's going to save a lot of my constituents thousands and thousands of dollars a year. And we were able to save billions of dollars while we did it. How did we do that? Well, we repealed a GOP special interest provision that Billy Towson, as chair of the Energy and Commerce, had slipped in, which said the government in the Medicare program cannot negotiate with Big Pharma for lower drug prices. In other words, it was corporate socialism where they got to dictate to the government and to the people what the prices would be. We just finally, after... 10 years of struggle overturned that, and we got Republicans campaigning all over America to repeal what we just did 
in order to save billions of dollars and to lower everybody's prescription drug costs. It's the same thing with infrastructure. You know, I sat there for four years under Donald Trump. They had an infrastructure day. They had an infrastructure week. They had an infrastructure month. They just didn't have an infrastructure bill, you know, and we got the bill done. And by the first year in office. So that's a $1.2 trillion investment in the roads and the highways and the bridges and the ports and the airports and expanding broadband access in rural areas. Um, we did that. We didn't just talk about it. We delivered. And so, look, does anybody think that, um, that it's the autocrats of the world, like Vladimir Putin or the kleptocrats like Donald Trump, who are going to deliver to the middle class? And they get in, and what they do immediately is they cut taxes for the wealthiest people in society. That's their agenda. And they do it every single time. And you can look at it historically. The middle class in America prospers when Democrats are in control, not Republicans. It's pretty wild. They have, I mean, they definitely have been, they haven't sort of led with this, but increasingly the last few weeks, you've heard Republicans starting to talk about if they win the House, Mm -hmm. what they'll do. And it's like, hold the debt ceiling hostage, cut social spending, maybe cut Medicare and Social Security if we can, and make the tax cuts permanent is like, the guiding North Star, like when, when everything is wiped away in the end, that's in the dollars and cents um, sense, that's what they're going to do. Yeah. And they want to criminalize abortion at 15 weeks nationally. Kevin McCarthy, the House major, the House Minority Leader, who wants to become Speaker, um, has come out in favor of criminalizing abortion at 15 weeks. Are they going to pay for all those babies? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And they no, they won't. No, they won't. And they want to ensure that and and not only did they say that they want to cut programs like Medicare, but that they want to and Social Security, but that they want to hold the entire United States economy hostage by threatening to not raise the debt limit in order to force President Biden to cut Medicare. And so we want to talk about class issues. You will I mean, this will be so destructive for all of old, all our older adults in this country. Um, the, the one thing I'll say as a final point is that we'll, we'll have you back on the show after the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see what happens. But but if they we're going to win, but well, yes. I, I would. Yeah. <laughs> that, that prediction is worth what he's charging you for. It. <laughs> For the record, but we will have you. Uh, we, we will we will have you back afterwards and, and talk about how to deal with the debt ceiling issue if that uh, comes to that. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, um, Congressman Jamie Raskin. Uh, it's, it's so wonderful to have you both here. I really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right, so- Two ways to vote. Number one, you can vote early by going to your local clerk's office requesting an absentee ballot. And voting right there. You tried that? It works. Number two, you can vote at your polling place on November 8th. And if you need more information, you go to michigandems.com slash vote to find out where. And then you can make a plan to vote. Because you don't want to leave it to the last minute and then something happens with your muscle. Right? Or you, you, you don't want to mess up. Then after you've got your plan and, and you voted, you've got to help your friends and your family to make a plan to vote. Because I'm assuming if you are here, you are likely to vote. But 
cousin Pookie. I, I like, no, I like Pookie. But, 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 sometimes he forgets stuff. So, so you gotta get on him a little bit. You gotta talk to, you know, Uncle Fred. You know, he, he can forget. Take them with you if you vote early or if you're voting in person on election day. Because this election requires every single one of us to do our part. It is that important. Now, I, I think it's fair to say that this country has gone through some tough times these past few years. We have been through some stuff. We are just now coming out of a historic pandemic that wrecked havoc on families, on businesses, on communities, on schools. I was talking to the lovely principal of, of this school, and she was... officers, doctors, pilots, they all start looking really young to you. They're like, are you, are you sure you're in charge? But she was describing how difficult it was during COVID, right? So everybody was impacted. And a lot of folks lost people that they love. And the pandemic also highlighted and in some cases made worse, problems that we've been struggling with for years. An economy that all too often works for the folks at the very top, but doesn't work for ordinary people. Communities where there are too many kids who are out of school or out of work, they're out of hope, and sometimes that leads them to violence and despair. And then you've got an erosion of just civility, acting right, including in our politics, our democratic norms. We've got politicians who work to stir up division, to try to make us angry and afraid of one another for their own advantage. And all of it gets amped up hyped up 24-7 by social media because a lot of times those are their for-profit platforms and they find it more profitable to feed you controversy and conflict instead of facts and truth. And, and, and sometimes it, it can turn dangerous. You know, I want to take a moment to say a prayer for a friend of mine, uh, Mr. Paul Pelosi, who was attacked, 82 years old, was attacked when somebody broke into his home looking for his wife, Nancy. And thankfully, doctors believe he's going to be okay, but we'll, we'll let the investigators do their job. But, but here's one thing that we can feel, we know. If our rhetoric about each other gets that mean, When, when, when we don't just disagree with people, but we start demonizing them, 
making wild, crazy allegations about them. That creates a dangerous climate. And if elected officials don't do more to explicitly reject that kind of rhetoric, if they tacitly support it or encourage their supporters to stand up side voting places armed with guns and dressed in tactical gear, more people can get hurt. And, and we're going to be violating the basic spirit of this country. Yes. So, sir, sir, I, you know what? We, 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 come on. But this, but this is this is what I mean. This is what I mean. I mean, we're having a conversation. Go clean your room. 
something useful. And I said, actually, that, that won't make me feel better. And she said, all right, but it'll make me feel better. We, we don't have time to vote. The only way to make this economy fair is if we fight for it. All of us. The only way to save our democracy is we together work for it. All of us. And that starts with electing people who know you and who see you and who care about you, who understand what you're going through day in, day out. You did that two years ago when you sent Joe Biden to the White House. He is fighting for you every day. He's got your back. He's doing everything he can to put more money in your pockets, to make your streets safer, to bring back even more good-paying jobs here to Michigan. You did it when you voted to send Gary Peters and Debbie Stabin out of the Senate and Brenda Lawrence and Rashida Tlaib and Haley Stevens, who worked, by the way, in our White House to help save the auto industry. That's who you sent to Congress. You did it when you voted for Gretchen Whitmer for governor. Now you need to do it again. Because there may be a lot of issues at stake in this election, but the basic question you should always be asking yourself, but especially right now, is who will fight for you? Who's on your side? Not, 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 who, not who talks a good game, but who's, who's walked the walk. So, so we had a little photo line before I came in here, and, and the new president, UAW, was in the photo line, and, and, and I, you don't have to believe what I say, you can see what I do, because there's a reason why the auto industry is thriving here in Michigan, it's because you chose people who cared about auto workers and the communities in Michigan. you want representing you. And that's the choice of this election. Who's going to work and fight for working people who are struggling to pay the bills? Now, now listen, inflation is a real problem right now. Sometimes, you know, we don't want to talk about certain issues. It's a, it's a problem not just here in America, it's a problem worldwide. It's one of the legacies of the pandemic that wrecked havoc on supply chains. So, and, and folks in the auto industry understand what happened. You couldn't get parts, and suddenly there aren't as many cars, and the prices go up. And so that triggered inflation, and then we've got a war in Ukraine that sent gas prices through the roof. Listen, if, if you see gas prices and grocery prices going up, that's taking a bite out of your paycheck. That hurts. The question is, the question is, who's actually going to do something about it? The Republicans talk about it, but what's their answer? What's their economic policy? They want, do we have another person yelling?
Is that, is that what? Is that where you're going? Where was that? See, because it. Wait, wait, wait. I was getting to a good part here, and you're about to be distracted again. Remember what I said now. Don't be like that dog and up. Squirrel. Squirrel. Don't be distracted. Because I, I, I was making an important point here. So, inflation's a problem. What is the Republican answer? Look, I mean, if they had a great answer, that'd be one thing. But you know what their, their big economic policy is? They want to gut Social Security and Medicare and then give big tax cuts to the wealthy and some of the, the, the most successful corporations in the world. That's their agenda. And by the way, that's their answer for everything. Debbie knows. Gary knows. Back in 2008-2010, inflation was low, unemployment was high. What was their answer? Tax cuts for the wealthy and cut back on Social Security and Medicare. It doesn't matter what the problem is. No matter what. Listen, if there was an asteroid heading towards Earth and we got everybody in the room saying, what are we going to do? I think we should cut taxes for the wealthy. No, that's not going to help you. <laughs> that's, that's, how's that going to help you? I mean, it's, it's, it's great, I guess, if you only have one answer to every economic problem. You know, it'd be like if you're taking a math test and you just said eight every time. And that was always, those answers won't help you. That's why Democrats have actual plans to take on drug companies to get lower prices. To get the oil industry to clean up its act. To pass laws to make housing more affordable. Leaders like Gretchen Whitmer are working to make sure cars are being built. And high-tech manufacturing is being done right here in Michigan instead of China. That's an actual plan. And that's the choice in this election. That's what this is all about. You, you hear the Republicans talk a lot about crime right now. How about the crime has gone up? Over the last seven years, by the way, they act like it just happened just last year. As if, like, the, the, the previous president wasn't there. And by the way, it, it, it didn't just happen in so-called blue states. Turns out it's gone up in conservative rural states, too, where, where Republicans are in charge. But they, they, they don't mention that in the ads. So here's the question. Who will fight to keep you and your family safe? I, I, I like how the band kind of chimes in. I see you, bro. I see you. Is it, is it Republican politicians who want to flood our streets with more guns? Who actually voted against more resources for police departments? Or is it leaders like Gary Peters, Debbie Stabenow, Haley Stevens, Rashida Tlaib, 
Edwards, who worked with President Biden to pass the first major gun safety legislation in nearly 30 years. That's the choice in this election. That's what's at stake right now. Michigan, who will fight for your freedoms? Is it a bunch of Republican politicians and judges who think they should get to decide when you start a family or how many children you have or who you marry or who you love? Or is it leaders like Richard Whitman who believe that a freedom to make these personal decisions belong to every American, not politicians in Washington? That's the choice in this election. That's what you have to decide. Who's, who's gonna fight finally? Who's gonna fight, who's gonna fight to make our dem democracy actually work? I, I, I've been, I've been reading up on, on some of these candidates on the other side. Lord have mercy. <laughs> they, they have promised, they promised if they get control of Congress, they'll spend the next two years investigating their political opponents, including Joe Biden. Some of them said they'll impeach Joe Biden. When you ask them what for, they're not sure yet. You're laughing, but it's true. They're all like, well, I don't know. We're, we, we're kind of, we're trying to figure it out. Now, Here's the question. How is that going to help you and your family if that's all they're spending their time doing? How's that going to help Michigan compete? Or do you stand a better chance with President Biden and Democratic leaders who've worked together, sometimes with Republicans, to pass an infrastructure bill that will create new jobs, who've made health care and prescription drugs more affordable, who made the single largest investment ever to fight climate change. That's the choice in this election between politicians who seem willing to do anything to get power and leaders like Gretchen, who share our values. Leaders who, who are practical and just want to make your lives better and move this country forward. And, and, and let me be clear about this mission. Because because sometimes I'm at these Democratic rallies and I feel I feel a little sad about this because this hasn't always been such a starkly partisan thing. You know, my favorite president was a guy named Nate Lincoln. How found the Republican Party. It used to be that there were GOP members, including here in Michigan, who were actually on board with civil rights and champion investment in our infrastructure and believe in the rule of law. It, it wasn't that long ago. And you might not agree with them on everything, but you could work with them. They, they, if they were your neighbors, your friends, you talked to them and, 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 and there was a practical sense of how we could get stuff done. But these days, just about every Republican politician seems obsessed with two things. Owning the libs. Oh man, we're going to own the libs. 
getting Donald Trump's approval. That seems to be their agenda. They are not at, they're not currently at least, they are not interested in actually solving problems. They are interested in making you angry and then finding somebody to blame. Because that way they're gonna, they're hoping you may not notice, you may be distracted from the fact that they don't really have any answers to your problems. Now, I can tell you what Rachel Whitmer is obsessed with. With all the noise, all the nonsense going on out there, all the chatter and the tweets and the TikToks, she's, she's focused on the fundamentals. Good jobs, lower costs, better schools, and fix the damn roads. opponent, her plan would slash billions of dollars from education by the do not boo. Boo. Booing doesn't help. They can't hear you boo, but they can hear you vote. So, so, so her plan would slash billions from the education budget, change Michigan's constitution to allow taxpayer dollars to go to private schools. Now, Governor Gretchen made the largest investment in K through 12 education in Michigan. And she did it without raising taxes, by the way. She closed, she closed the funding gap between wealthy and historically underfunded school districts. Something the last four governors here in Michigan had tried and failed to do. Gretchen got it done. She put, she put Michiganders to work repairing over 13,000 lane miles of road. That's a lot of road. That, that, that'll take you to Miami and back more than four times. She's working to make sure that the electric cars that will drive on these roads are made right here in Detroit, right here in Michigan. That's, that's what you want from a public servant. You don't want a lot of wild, crazy talk. You just want somebody who's doing their job. That's what Governor Whitmer is focused on. I, I mean, imagine if, 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 if you know you're hiring your pump. You got a you got an overflowing toilet. It's a problem. He comes in, and you know you're waiting for the toilet to be fixed. He said, "Have you heard about?" The latest conspiracy of the lizard people, and he starts talking to me about all this stuff. We gotta do something about that. You'd be like, no, 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 I, I, I just want you to fix my toe. <laughs> You'd find another plumber. When you got a good plumber, you keep a plumber. When you got a, when you got somebody that knows how to do their job, you keep them doing that job. Yeah. I really feel like that. 
of all, best of all, uh, Governor Rivers, she really is willing to work with anybody to get stuff done. So far, she's fine, she signed more than 900 bipartisan bills. Because creating jobs and fixing roads should not be a Democratic or a Republican issue. It should be something we can all get behind. Her, her opponent uh, has different ideas, though. She seems to be focused on the latest Fox News conspiracy instead of what folks in Michigan actually need. The other day, I, I did not realize this. I did not. I read about this. Somebody had to show it to me. The other day, a video came out of Governor Whitmer's opponent claiming that Democrats have been working for decades to topple the United States because they're still upset about losing the Civil War. <laughs> and that COVID restrictions were part of some master plan to do this. Now, first of all, what? <laughs> what? What? I mean, I know some folks go down these rabbit holes on the internet. They're up too late. But that, that's like a subway tunnel. That, that's, that's deep. That's the darkest rabbit hole I've ever seen. It's a sub. And, and, and by the way, it's not like this quote was from, you know, sometimes folks get quoted way back when they were in college after a, a frat party bender, you know, and they just said something. Uh, and, and, you know, you kind of want to forgive him because you're all like, all right, I've been there. <laughs> I, I remember right after that game, you know, we got a little stupid. She said this two years ago. Two years ago. So I guess that's what she actually thinks. Uh, imagine if instead of coming up with a story about how us having to watch Tiger King in our sweatpants was somehow some kind of government plot. Um, imagine if, if she spent some time coming up with some ideas to create more jobs here in Michigan, or to get folks more health care, or to improve our schools. That's what you want from the governor of your state. Somebody who's focused on doing the job and focused on you. And then there's this. <laughs> I mean, this is this is just an aside. Uh, I'm going to read you two headlines, both from uh, the Detroit News. Uh, one says, uh, Whitmer signs order aimed at lowering insulin costs in Michigan. These are actual headlines. Uh, uh, second headline. This is the second headline. Mission, Michigan Governor Hopeful uh, Tudor Dixon eaten by zombies in gory Florida film. <laughs> I don't actually have anything else to say. It's up to you folks. Whoever you think is the better choice. Uh, is probably more believable 
than what Governor Rivers opponents thinks happened in the last election. Michigan deserves somebody who's going to work every day and fight for you. Somebody who's already doing it. Who's, who's done it not just as your governor, but for her entire career. And by the way, you also deserve somebody who's going to stand up for a woman's right to make her own health care. Abortion is a controversial issue in this country. It always has been. And I genuinely believe there are good people of conscience who may differ from me on this issue. But we should all agree that women everywhere should be able to control what happens with their own bodies. It shouldn't be controversial to say that most that, that the most personal of healthcare choices should be made by a woman and her doctor and not politicians. And that's why when the Supreme Court struck down Roe versus Wade, it was a wake-up call for a lot of people, especially young women, who might have taken Roe for granted. And it was a reminder that a politicized court can reinterpret what, what we thought was well-settled constitutional rights. We can go backwards. We don't always just go forwards. Yeah, obviously. And if Republicans take back the House and the Senate, we could be one presidential election away from a nationwide ban on access to abortion. And that could be the beginning. But I taught constitutional law for over a decade. I will tell you this. If a court does not believe in a zone of privacy that allows us to make certain decisions without the government interfering, then other freedoms that we take for granted are at risk. Justice Thomas has already said as much. If there's no right to privacy, then same-sex marriage will certainly be at risk. Almost every Republican in the House of Representatives already voted against guaranteeing a right to use contraception. You think about that. If they take back power, there's no guarantee birth control won't be on the agenda. Here in Michigan, this isn't even theoretical. Abortion rights are literally on the ballot. Right now, there's a law in the books from 1931 that would ban abortion in Michigan with no exception for rape or incest and could throw nurses and doctors in jail for caring for women. This is a law, by the way, 1931. This law was passed when women could be fired from their jobs simply for being a woman. At a time when women were actively discouraged from getting an education and going to college. Yep. But Governor Weber's opponent strongly supports it. A law from 1931. She thinks politicians had that, the right idea back then. No. I mean, you know, she, she probably thinks if she watched The Handmaid's Tale, she, she's thinking like, well, what's the problem? But you know what? The good news is, Governor Whitmer has other ideas. She's filed a lawsuit to block the 1931 law to keep modern law preserving these rights here in Michigan. If you vote yes on Proposition 3, you can stop this radical shift 
for good and restore the rights that women have had for nearly 50 years here in Michigan. So, all these issues are at stake in this election. And not just for people here at the auditorium, but for people who are watching. If, if that's not worth 15 minutes of your time, I don't know what is. But you know what? If you do need another reason to go home, I need one more. And that is the fact that American democracy is also on the ballot. Now, I have to admit that sometimes going out on a campaign trail feels a little harder than it's used to. Not just because I'm older and gray. Senate, 
they will still treat people who disagree with them with civility. And they will still listen to people. And they will still try to come up with common sense solutions to problems. And they prefer working with people and not being divided. I know your governor feels the same way. And and that's how our democracy is supposed to work. And so part of the reason it's harder now is because with few notable exceptions, most Republican politicians right now are not even pretending that the rules apply to them anymore. They, they seem okay with just making stuff up. Governor Whitman's opponent has falsely claimed that the 2020 election was stolen. Now, and, and, and has refused to say whether she thinks Joe Biden has won. She, she just can't bring herself to do it. And, and, and I, I just want to explain this. Nobody likes losing. Listen, the first time I ran for Congress, I lost the primary by 30 points. I got whooped. And let me tell you, I was frustrated. I was frustrated too. You know what I didn't do though? I didn't claim the election was rigged. I didn't try to stop votes from being counted. I didn't incite a mob to storm the Capitol. I took my lumps. I figured out why my campaign hadn't connected. And I tried to run a better race the next time because that's how our democracy is supposed to work.
honest, true democracy goes away, people get hurt, it has real-life consequences. And that's why generations of Americans fought and died for this idea of self-government. The idea was, I may not agree with you on everything, I may not look exactly like you, I may not have the same last name as you, I may not worship in the same way as you do, but because we are all Americans and we believe in this democracy, we'll come up with a way to settle our differences peacefully, and sometimes I'll win and sometimes you'll win, and then we will have peaceful transfers of power. That's how this place is supposed to work. And these are rules that we teach our kids when they're little. We, these aren't even just grown-up rules. We start teaching these... I, Michelle and I, we started teaching Malia and Sasha this when, when, when they what? When, when they were two. Be fair. Be honest. Share. Rules about how they should make group decisions. You know, everybody gets a say. Everybody gets a turn. If you don't get your way, don't throw a tantrum. Don't take your ball and go home. Get over it. Try to do it better next time. This is these are these are basic values. And that's what I mean when I say that democracy is at stake in this election. And that's why it's so important to elect Democrats like Governor Whitmer who will stand strong against attacks on our democracy. And make it easier for people to vote. Leaders who won't let conspiracy theorists or, or bullies keep them from doing what's right. That's also why it's so important you vote Yes, on Prop 2 here in Michigan, which will expand early voting and prevent state legislatures from interfering in the certification of elections. Let's get that done. Prop 2. And while you're at it, make sure to elect good people up and down the ballot. Across the country, there are folks who've been trying to undermine our democracy, and they're now running for office to oversee the next election. If they win, there's no telling what might happen. That's why we're going to work just as hard to elect secretaries of state, like Jocelyn Benson, as we do to elect governors and senators. Two years ago, Jocelyn stood up to smears and threats to make it easier for folks in Michigan to cast a ballot. She did the right thing, because she believes in the simple idea that every citizen deserves to have their vote counted. That didn't used to be controversial. These days, at least in GOP circles, it is. It shouldn't take courage to stand up for that idea, but we're, we're running against some folks who, who don't believe in it, and that's why you've got to support Jocelyn. You've got to have her back, because there are Republicans who don't want to play by the rules. So we got to keep Jocelyn in that job. Because if, if things get close, that could make a difference. Britson's got to go someplace else to, to, to she got to campaign other places. She already got you. Which brings me to my final point. You've got to make a difference, too. Now, we joke in my house that Michelle can be a little glass half empty sometimes. I, I'm, 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 I mean, she reads the news and can Sometimes we can get her a little low down. I'm an open change guy. So I'm, I'm usually a little 
little more optimistic. So, so sometimes when she gets down about the state of the country or the state of the world, I tell her everything's going to be okay. And I believe it will be. But I also know that things won't be okay on their own. We have to fight for it. we got to work for it. Not just on election day, but every day in between. That's why this election matters, Michigan. I know these are tough times, but we've been through tough times before. The thing is, we can't give in to the temptation to give up. We can't turn inward. We can't see politics as a zero-sum game where anything goes. And the rules are broken. And the only way people like us win is if people like them lose. We can't give in to that kind of thinking. Because in our darkest moments... And there have been darker moments before. Yes, sir. We have always had more in common than our politics suggests. Even when times are tough. What unites us can be stronger than what divides us. There have been certain values that bind us together as citizens. No matter who we are, where we come from, what we look like, who we love. That's the promise of America. That's who we are. And in this election, you've got a chance to vote for leaders like Gretchen Whitmer and Garland Gilchrist and Jocelyn Benson and Dana Nessel and Rashida Tlaib who will fight for that big, inclusive, hopeful, forward-looking America that we all believe in, an America that doesn't fear the future, that meets its challenges honestly and boldly, an America where we may not fix all our problems overnight, but where we can make things better. And better is worth fighting for. So if you're scared, if you're anxious, if you're frustrated, don't complain. Don't boo. Don't tune out. Don't get distracted. Don't get bamboozled. Don't fall for the okie doke that says nothing you say or do matters. You go out and what? Get off your couch and what? Put down your phone and what? incredible Michigan Democratic Help your friends and your family and your neighbors and your co-workers do the same. And if enough of us make our voices heard, things won't be better. We will heal what ails us. We'll restore our democracy. We're going to build a country that's more fair and more just and more equal and more free. That is our task. That's our responsibility. Let's get to work. Thank you, Detroit. Thank you, Michigan. I love you. Let's go do it. Democratic Party, uh, just 10 days out from uh, midterm elections, marches out the former president of the United States there, uh, Barack Obama, campaigning on behalf of uh, Michigan Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, standing beside her there in that 45-minute or so uh, speech. She is, um, I think we all can agree, the rock star of the Democratic Party uh, and making it known there, ending on a very rock star moment, a 
call and response from the crowd and the message being get out and vote. He started this speech off with getting out there and voting, urging folks to get out there and vote. Um, and he ended the speech in saying, if you want to make a change, if you're frustrated, if you don't like what's happening in this country, if you're scared, if you're worried about the future of this country and democracy as we know it, um, get out and vote. I'm talking about the economy there specifically, as we have seen numbers on the economy, folks um, saying that their number one—that's their number one issue—heading to the polls um, in midterm elections, um, and saying the reason why we are here is because of the supply chain issue, because of a two and a half year long pandemic. Um, and saying, what is the Republican plan here? It is to cut taxes for the wealthy. Get out there and vote for the Democrats in your area. Um, that was the former president's message there, talking about abortion, talking about, of course, crime. Our Republicans are getting out there campaigning on crime and saying, crime has been around for a long time, and it began to increase under the former president. Let's bring in now... Um, MSNBC uh, political analyst, along with Republican strategist Susan Duff Percy, has been standing by. We're going to let that go. Barack said it's safe. So, Rama, tell us what we're going to hear next. This is a man uh, that was really great. And we got over the personalities. And again, you got a lot of work to do. Uh, this particular president ordered 9/11 is responsible for in collaboration and cahoots with the politicians that um, you might say were his overlords. And this has got to end, and it is ending. And the Sarah now, and what's this about, Rama? This is uh, Amanda Ellis. Really loud so that they can hear you. Um, USA, what is going on? The disease, diseased bird psychic read. What? Uh the disease bird psychic read. A look at the collective energy, plutonic return, dark light of the soul going through the eye of the needle into a new reality. And it's uh, just bringing up all the issues of the power players right now um, in the sense that you heard it from the man get out and vote and mm -hmm. Amanda Ellis Metatron is coming through Amanda Ellis and bringing through the wisdom that She's talking about through the cards in the sense that, you know, the higher energies will prevail. Love is the answer, and I'll shut up now. <laughs> Here we go. This is an hour and 35 minutes, everybody. So we may squeeze it in, may, may not. We'll see. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? This is Amanda. 
This is now the fourth attempt to do this video for you. I am determined to bring it through. <laughs> it's not the easiest video to do, okay? But it is one that very much needs doing and I'm doing it from the right place. I'm going to try and stay as neutral as I possibly can, which actually is quite easy, funnily enough, for this video, um, because I don't have a great deal of affection or, let's just say that, I don't have a great deal of affection for either side of the bird's wings. Do you understand what I'm trying to say with regards to that? Um, I believe that when we look at politics, although we're also going to be looking at your general energy in the USA, not just the leaders, the micro and the macro, but certainly we're going to look at some of the political leaders as well, but on both sides of the fence. Um, I believe that the left wing and the right wing both belong to the same bird. And I believe that the wings on that bird are both drooping and both in need of considerable healing, whoever basically takes the helm. I feel as though the whole bird is diseased. Now, the question is whether the bird can be brought back to life. The bird is the political system um, or whether it's going to be a completely new animal that wants to come in. Um, so let's try to stay as respectful to each other as possible. And uh, remember that on my channel, we have people of all political persuasions and many, many different countries around the world. But I did want to honour USA and the fact that you're going through a Pluto return at the moment. It's going to be going on for some time. The changes to come in your country are not going to be happening overnight. But I want to try and give some steerage in terms of where I feel as though you're heading, where you are now, and give you some tools which can help you through the days, the weeks, the months and the years to come. Because a lot of what is to come in USA is linked into generational change. Um, so it's going to come in um, from a lot of a big wave of new souls to incarnate there. But that's not to say that those of you that are already there and those of you that have been doing the work for a long time are not also playing a very valuable point, uh, valuable part. OK, um, I believe and I feel as I need to state this at the outset, that in terms of awakening and enlightenment on a planet of duality, you need all players on the field. And however you uh, categorize those players in terms of light and dark, white hats, black hats. I don't use those, that terminology myself, but I know many people do. Uh, you know, good guys, bad guys. Um, you need all players on the field to play the game. And the game that we're going through at the moment on Mother Earth, and in particular in USA, because that's where I'm focused today, is to get us out of a duality, separation and division mindset to a unified one. That's where our planet wishes to go. It's where Mother Earth and Gaia is going. The choice is whether humanity wishes to come with her because she's going to go there anyway, with or without us. Um, I think it will be with us, but equally we can make the transition a lot easier 
if we let go of our prejudice, our intolerance, and our inability to listen to each other. Okay. So, yes, in this video, I'm going to read on Biden, uh, Harris, Trump. Um, I'll also look at two of the rising stars as I see it. And this is purely just based on the people that are hitting the news in other countries than your own, which, which shows that they're getting the media space, which probably shows that they're on a course to do something. And that will be, uh, I'm going to look at Ron DeSantis and also Gavin Newsom. If anybody else comes through or comes up, then we'll look at them as well. But before we do any of that, I'd like to just set the scene in terms of where I feel that you are at the moment in your country. Um, you know that you're going through, as I say, a Pluto return. And this morning I was drawn to pull a rune for the USA. Not uh, something that I tend to use that often on my videos, but this was calling today. In fact, they've been out on my balcony. I've got a beautiful set of black onyx runes. It's another divination tool if you've never heard of runes. They're very ancient. Somebody gave these to me. Um, and yeah, they've been out on my balcony just being cleansed in sunlight, moonlight, etc. And um, I brought them in yesterday and this particular rune um, fell out of my hand on top of a unit and then rolled behind the unit and then rolled on carpet all the way quite a distance until it just landed face up so it couldn't have been more in your face in terms of this has a message now those of you that read runes know what it is but for those that don't this is the rune that is lit it's called dagas i don't know if you pronounce it that way d-a-g-a-z and it's to do with rebirth it's to do with taking um, a person a country a thing from a state of great, um, well, from a state of ignorance, being unawakened, um, an energy of fear, um, to a place of uh, awakening is the enlightenment path. But it is very much linked into having to face the having to face what you don't want to face, basically, as a country. So um, I did find a little bit more about it on here. Yeah, it's the dark night of the soul, basically. Um, and it's to do with the country needing to find the courage to walk an unknown path. Um, it's a rite of passage. And it's also about moving from a place of ignorance and terror to a place of sovereignty and strength and freedom. Um, that word freedom seems to be very um, much something that Americans talk about, as though America is the only land that has freedom. But I, I know that those of you that travel outside of your country, you know that exists in other places as well. But its light has been dimming across the globe for many reasons for many years. So the fight back for freedom is something that is universal in all countries. Um, and something that's worth fighting for, obviously. So uh, I also pulled a couple of cards off camera. Well, to be honest, this is the fourth attempt to try to do this video. So I've had a few cards out, um, but it just wasn't flowing the way I wanted it to. But I want to show you two cards that came out from a deck called Becoming Dragon. I'll put all of the decks um, below. Uh, which is, is, is a deck which explores 
axes, dualistic axes. Let me show you. So for USA, we've got the energy of voice and choked. Okay, so it's the, the mouth, which is the speech, communication, choked or being able to express yourself. We also have the energy of self, deception and truth. Both red energies, both very tied into base chakra wounding, survival, health, um, material wealth, everything that is covered off by the base chakra. It feels as though there's a strong energy with this card of um, bullying because the voice here feels as though it's highlighting shouting over others not wanting to listen. It's actually the opposite, it's almost the opposite energy of being choked. Um, it's almost as though there is just, there are so many voices all saying different things, all trying to say it louder, um, that people don't know what to believe anymore. Um, we also have here a very small proportion of the collective consciousness who are holding on to truth. Whereas, as opposed to a larger group who are more in, um, ensconced in an energy of self-deception. Now, there's a tight rope here as well on this card. I think the important thing to remember here about truth is that my work with Metatron, the way that I've always been guided by my guides, is that this group here... It's not the people who are shouting everybody else down in terms of my truth is the only truth. And this was this would absolutely also apply to fundamental religion. A lot of fundamental Christians who will shout you down, who will shout me down, you know, for daring to have, for example, a painting of Jesus on my wall beside a picture of Metatron and Archangel Azrael. Um, it's like, you know, all of that. So. It's not that type of truth, which is my truth is the only truth and you're wrong. This group that's holding this beautiful little nugget of gold that's going to grow are the people that are open to all truths, who are able to sit in the circle that John Lennon and JFK showed us on my channel a couple of years ago, sitting in circle together next to the person that you might not necessarily, you might not like, you might not even like what they say, but you respect the fact they have a right to say it. And you don't storm out of the room because they've got a different opinion of you. So that's sort of a very central energy that I'm picking up right at the start. I think I'd like to um, pull a card in terms of angels and ancestors um, around your country at this time. Um, so as we start this video, let's just ask Archangel Metatron to be with us. Um, and let's ask for peace and healing for your country. Let's ask for a growing uh, level of consciousness and tolerance of, for different opinions, for the voices that are shouting so loudly to cease so that people can actually hear and listen to each other. Also for uh, minority groups I'm hearing to be able to have their voices heard in a way that is respectful, um, but not at the expense of other people's voices being squashed. Amen. Okay. 
Right, let's see. So USA, what energies have we got at play? I feel as though there's a heightened energy here of stimulants as well. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm drinking coffee. Okay, so I'm a good one to talk. In fact, I need my coffee. Let me just have a glug. But I am picking up the energy of stimulants um, a lot stronger than coffee. Drugs, stimulants, anything to take one away from a present reality. Um, I'm also being shown, I don't know if I can say this on my video without my video getting flagged. So apologies if you're not watching me or listening to me. I'm just using two letters. I don't know, it's ridiculous to have to do this. But those letters, <laughs> a lot of that coming in. Um Artificial intelligence. Why is that stimulant? Because people are wanting to go off into virtual realities Mama, and escape. It off. It's, it's um, I was Rain. just adding that the, the letters were artificial intelligence. AI is the two letters you put on that paper. Oh, cool. I was kind of wondering what she was talking about. Right. If, if, you know, it'd be appropriate, I think, if, uh, Tara was able to interrupt once in a while and give her input when, when, um, something's going on like that. Like, at some, one time she shows a card and doesn't tell you what it is, just shows it to you. So if you could help out that way, it'd be awesome. Thank you, Rainbird. Um, I, I was a bit distracted in the last little while about, um, discussing what's for dinner. <laughs> so thank you for catching that, and I will pay attention here. All right, let's continue, Rama. Oh, do you know, I'm on Instagram, and I do have an avatar, to be honest, but I just do it for a bit of fun. My daughter's made it for me. Oh. Um, sometimes when I don't want to share a picture of myself, I put my avatar up, and I post something. But yesterday, I looked at it. You can buy bloody designer outfits for your avatar now. So if my if my avatar wants to be dressed in Gucci or God knows what, you know, I have to pay the great God Meta um, five pounds for the luxury of this cartoon character of myself to wear it. I, I literally at that point, I said to my daughter, I said, has the whole world gone bloody crazy? Yes, of course. Um, but anyway, stop the rant, Amanda. But, you know, this is <laughs> this is where we're heading. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in America at the moment that is just so unhealthy and so toxic. And um, what do we do with that, Metatron? Answer the call to stop it, I guess. Right, let's 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 get back to centre. Sorry, I just deviated a little bit there, but I feel as though it's important to say that because I feel as though a lot of people are not able to express that, which is that where the hell is this all leading? You know, where what, this whole virtual reality? Do we really want that? No. And you've got a lot of very powerful people in your country who are leading the charge towards it. So we have to counter that with other people leading the charge to be in the present moment and to open your eyes and see the beautiful day out there and breathe the air and all the rest of it. 
Um, on the bottom of the deck, we had Guardian Angel before I shuffled, but we've also got the energy of Sky Father, which in this deck is the energy of God, okay? Uh, it says trust in the unknown, and, and we've got the eagle there, okay? So we've got the eagle for America. Um, Sky Father, trust in the unknown. You're being asked to trust, USA. You're being asked to trust. And I know that's very difficult at the moment because everything just feels as though it's crashing and burning. Um, and there is so much separation, so much division, but trust in the unknown. God is um, watching over, trying to steer the ship. Um, there's one more card that goes with that. It's a beautiful card. I'm sure that came out last time when I looked at USA, which was two years ago now. Um, let's have a look. Any, well, there's lots of, lots of guides, of course, over the great country, but let's just see what wants to come out today. USA. Yeah, lovely, lovely, lovely. We've got Father God. Don't get triggered by the fact I say Father God. It could be Mother God, but it's Father God in this deck. But I felt there was then a female energy to balance it. And it is. It's the female and masculine axes. We have wise one and it's the wise woman and it's the crow. My God, crow medicine, crow energy everywhere. Coming up big time also around the eclipses. Um, crow, wisdom, listen to your elders. Uh, listen to the indigenous ones. Grow within your current situation. Take this dark night of the soul energy. Sorry, take the dark night of the soul energy that the what that your country's going through at the moment and all the disruption and learn from it. Um, find the wisdom within the journey. Be guided by the energy of the owl, the eagle, and the crow. Three birds. Yeah. Got Bob Marley here. Three little birds. <laughs> I saw three little birds yesterday on the roof over there. Bob Marley, for those of you that don't know, I channel Bob Marley. Okay, well, I only done it once, but he wants to come back. Bob Marley's got something to say here with regards to America. I know he was Jamaican, but um, I've got the Bob Marley energy as well. Three little birds. And for those of you that don't know Bob Marley, who doesn't know Bob Marley? But his song, Three Little Birds, is all about everything is going to be all right. Okay. In fact, we've even got, this is not for sale. This is just something we did uh, a few years ago. It is going to come back. But we've got on here, don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right. And we've got the three birds for America. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Um, right. I need to keep the vibe light, by the way, to do this reading. Otherwise, we're just going to be going. <laughs> it's going to get so heavy when we start to look at some of these people. Um, so let's keep it light, guys. Let's keep it light. Right. Anything else to say before I move on? Let's pull a symbol for USA. This is a lovely deck from a lady called Alison de Nicola. It's called Auspicious Symbols. And um, she sent this to me, actually. It's a nice gift I received in the summer. Let's see what symbols are there to help at this time for USA as well. And then we're going to start pulling cards on some of these people who are only representatives of you anyway, but we'll get to that in a minute. Right, symbol first. Symbol for USA, okay. Um, I Ching. I Ching delivers luck and special answers to your questions about the future. Card number seven, the I Ching. Um, I don't know much about the I Ching, to be perfectly honest, so I need to go to the book at this point. 
Card number seven. Um, well, it's, it's luck. It's good. They've got good luck. You need that. Good luck coming your way. The I Ching is defined as the book of changes and is a Chinese system of divination. Um, a popular version of the I Ching uses three bronze coins, which are cast or dropped six times. Okay, so it's a, so the message. It signifies a shift in the way that you view change and your ability to anticipate it. The book of changes assures us that change is the only reliable constant. When we are prepared by noticing the shifting sands of our experiences, we can be proactive and prepared for what lies ahead. Um, the I Ching tells us that by looking through the lens of probability, we can begin to see the patterns that are unfolding. Um, it feels as though, number one, it's a good luck energy for your country. But equally, it's also saying that the people, um, whereas before the collective energy, certainly two years ago, felt so fixed and like, you know, not going to budge. Uh, it feels as though there's more flexibility and fluidity coming in. Probably because everything is falling down. Everything's crashing and burning. Not just in your country. You know, our country's in chaos as well. I'm in the UK. Those of you that have watched my UK read, it's got even worse in the last couple of days. We had actually, we've now got claims of scuffling and bullying and people literally forcing members of their own party to go into the lobby to vote on something. I mean, it's just beyond ridiculous at this point. So, you know, wherever you're watching this, all of the systems, the bird, remember, the two wings, they're flopping all over the place. The whole system is up for renewal. So remember, though, that God is watching over the process. You are the wise one. We also have the wise one and the elders amongst us. And the wise one, of course, is also Mother Earth herself. Right. Let's pull some cards now then on some of these characters and what characters they are. Um, What characters they are, because... They represent aspects of us, okay? I had to really, let me just have a glug of coffee. I had to really bite my tongue over the last two years. <laughs> Maybe a bit before that, because do you remember, there was all that energy of Trump being a light worker. Now, I'm not saying he's not a light worker because what I feel is that all of the players on the field are light workers. Um, but it was just so dualistic and um, separatist in its energy, which is just that only this one campus, without appreciating that, as I said, for awakening to happen, for enlightenment to come into a country, you need all players on the field. Everybody's actually working for the same goal believe it or not, from a higher perspective. I know not everyone might understand that, but if you've watched my Violet Pill videos before, my my duality playlist, you will start to get an understanding of it, um, that you need the light and the dark to bring about the change um, for awakening to happen. Otherwise, what are you awakening from? What What are you fighting against to bring something better in? Anyway, let's look now at some of these people. Um, I'd actually quite like to start with somebody new that I know nothing about other than what he looks like. Uh, let's start with Ron DeSantis. Um, 
I think he's a Republican. Am I right? I think so. <laughs> Let's have a look. Ron DeSantis. I want to see what his birth date is. Uh, I know what he looks like. Um, okay, there he is. For people that don't know in other countries, that's what he looks like. He's, he's getting quite a lot of, um, attention, uh, outside of your country. I've certainly heard of him. He's one of the few that I have heard of. Um, so he's, he's the 46th governor of Florida. Uh, he is born on the 14th of September. He's 44. Oh, you see, he's younger and take it away from politics. Um, is it not obvious that maybe people in their 80s have not got the same faculties that they had in their 40s? And I'm sorry because I know some of you are in your 80s that follow me. My dad is 80, bless him. He's great. He's brilliant. But he's, you know, he'd be the first to say he's finding it difficult now. Um, it, it, we have to appreciate that as we get older, our mental faculties are not as they were. I personally think if we're going to have a new political system to come into uh, being across our world, we need to have representatives who are a bit younger. Yes, the elders absolutely have their place. But, yeah. you know, when you start to maybe lose your faculties a bit, or you just haven't got the physical stamina. I mean, I don't think I'd have the physical stamina for their job, you know, going all around the world and dropping here, dropping there, and, you know, exhausting. So anyway, he's 44. He's born on the 14th of September. 14 is an energy which links into the um, Aquarian image, actually, because it's colour. The colour that goes with 14 is turquoise. Um, it's usually somebody who's very good at um, the modern technologies. And in that, I would include the Internet, showing my age here. But, you know, new technologies. Um, right, let's pull some cards on Ron then. Let's just... Ron. I like the name Ron. It's sort of warm, isn't it? By the way, I will just say before I pull any cards on anybody, um, if I was in your country now, I wouldn't even know who to vote for. I, I really wouldn't. Because my view is the bird is pretty much far gone, but equally I don't want to be totally cynical, so I guess you'd have to vote for somebody, but I don't hold any of these, I don't hold left or right in great esteem in any country at the moment, I'm afraid, so. <sighs> okay, Ron DeSantis, which deck does he want? Uh, okay, he wants that deck. Hmm. He wants the spirits, oh God, he wants the spirits on tarot deck. Which has a more youthful feel to it, actually. Okay, Ron DeSantis. Let me just, where's his picture? Just need to see his picture. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. Have to be, it's quite interesting, this particular picture of him. I know he's obviously a... Uh, is he a Republican? Yeah. But he's got a blue sh shirt, a blue suit and a red tie. Uh, yeah, when I first saw him, I wasn't too sure. But I heard him speak recently and I thought, hmm, it doesn't sound too bad, actually. But anyway, let's have a look. It was just what he said on, no, I wouldn't say what it was about. It doesn't matter. Okay. Ron DeSantis, show me his energy, please, spirit. The two of shells, union and harmony. Um, shells, I think, is the 
suit of cups in this deck. Just double check that. Uh, yeah, cups. Two turtle doves. <laughs> oh. Union, harmony. The ten of shells, the card of blessings and well-being. Is he born? Very watery. What did I say his... Um, September 14th. Is he a water sign? He's got a lot of water around him anyway. September. Does that make him a Virgo? Anyway, let's keep focused. Wonder Santish's. One more card for his energy, please. DeSantis. I'm picking up an energy with him that he feels as though he genuinely cares about what he's saying and about people. I feel as though he's coming from his heart. Oh, no. I've got the king of acorns. He is a king. He is a potential contender. Um, oh, dear. He's already the governor of Florida, which I guess is quite a big deal. Um, but I feel as though he could go higher. King of acorns, king of pentacles. He's got a lot of, um, uh, I don't know, there's a youthful energy with him. There's a, there's a can-do attitude I'm hearing. There's a, I mean, these cards are optimism, innovation. He's got some ideas. You might not like the ideas, but he's got some ideas. Um, I'm feeling What's on the bottom of the deck? I'm feeling quite positive energy here. We've got the six of acorns, success and triumph. Mm. Followed by the knight of feathers, action and focus. And then the page of feathers, exploration and discovery. Do young people like him a lot? Or is, I feel as though there's a, he's got the, I feel as though young people resonate with him. That's interesting. There's young, that sound of that shout you might hear in a minute. I've got a school at the top of my road. There's some lads just about to walk down the road who are shouting. I feel as though he commands, um, he's more interesting to the youth. He can capture the youth vote is what I want to say. Yeah. Um, okay. Show me his flaws. We'll do this for everybody. Show me the energy of his flaws. Let's show see what you flaws. find here. Ooh. He'll have one because everyone has one. <laughs> Ron DeSantis, show me his flaws. Keeps them well hidden, whatever they are. <laughs> Not wanting to come out. Show me his flaws. Three of feathers, release and recovery. He's not very good at letting things go. Um, he takes things personally. Um... Release and recovery. He takes things personally. Um, it's interesting. I'm not meaning to be personal about him, but I have to say what I get. I was, when I first saw him ever, I was very, I found his skin quite compelling. Um, <laughs> that sounds really creepy, guys. <laughs> More that it looked, I mean, it looked a bit, oh, I'll just spit it out, Amanda. It looked a bit orange and a bit... I'm in the UK. We're all pale and pasty over here. It looked a bit, you know, my my daughter fake tans. So it looked a bit like a fake. And I'm now talking about his skin. So his, it's almost like his skin, not rubbery, thick. He's got like a thick set skin and complexion and jawline. 
But I'm actually feeling as though he's actually quite thin-skinned and he takes things quite personally and he finds it very hard to let go. Um, But equally, it's interesting, that butterfly or moth, but I'm feeling it's a moth, a butterfly, Mm -hmm. is very similar to the uh, rune, the Degas rune, um, which is to do with the rebirth of a nation. I feel as though he's got his part to play with regards to the um, rebirth of USA, and I feel as though he's going to be um, more of a major player going forward. I think definitely watch this space. Could he be? Could he be a future president? Let's just ask that question. Could he be a future president? Ron DeSantis. Could he be a future president? We've got the Page of Feathers exploration and discovery. He's taking tentative steps towards that. Um, is what I'm hearing, but it feels as though there are some alligators in the swamp <laughs> um, that don't want him there, that don't yeah. want him to um, get that result, that don't want him to get that result. Um, but there is an energy definitely of, I feel as though he's trying to build himself up to that position. Not quite yet there, but trying to build himself up. That's what I want to say about Ron DeSantis. Okay. We might come back to him if he gains more power in the future. Um, okay. Let's now move on and look at somebody else. Who should we look at? Um, let's look at Gavin Newsom. I'm going to look at the new ones first. I know they're not new to you, but they're new to me. I've never read on them. And I literally know nothing about them, really. So it's just completely just going in blind. Gavin Newsom is a Democrat. Uh, he has been the 40th governor of California since 2019. Um, OK, he was born on the 10th of October. He's aged 55. I find that interesting that Ron DeSantis is 44 Gavin Newsom is 55. They're both they're both master number energies. Um, what the hell is that? It's just is that just a car going off? It sounded a bit weird. That's true. <laughs> How is that about? Okay. Well, he's either out of here or he's going somewhere. Gavin Newsom, right? They both master number master numerology numbers. He's a Libran. Okay, right. Let's have a look at what he looks like. Um, apple pie is what I'm hearing. He's a very American apple pie type guy. <laughs> That's not an insult. You could say to me, I'm a very Yorkshire pudding type of girl. You know, it's just it's characteristic of the country. Um, okay. Yeah. He's got that pearly whites. He's got the pearly whites. He's got the look, hasn't he? He's got the look. Is he slick? He looks as though he's quite slick to me. Uh, he's got the brill cream in. He's got the smile. Um, okay, let's pull some cards for him. I have no idea whether people like him or dislike him. Let's see what deck he wants. Uh, uh, let's go this one. Interestingly, he doesn't want a tarot deck. Um, and that says to me he... Um, he doesn't play by the rules because in a tarot deck, those of you that know tarot, there are the 21 major arcana. It's like each is a step and you have to go through each step to get to the next step. And it's a journey from, you know, the fool to the world. And you, and you have to go through all of them. 
And it's like he doesn't want to go through all of the steps, is what I'm hearing. It's as though he would want to dodge some of the steps or try and evade some of the steps um, or think that he doesn't have to do some of the steps. Um, so there's a bit of a... Um, I'm seeing him now a bit like a, 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 a dancer with shoes, but it's like he's a bit slippery. It's as though... Um, it's a bit ducking and diving, not slippery, ducking and diving a bit. Ducking and diving is what I'm feeling with his energy. Uh, okay, Gavin Newsom, what is it to say? Not sure how grounded he is either because I'm just feeling that. Okay, we've got the healing light. Do you know, and we've got happy success. There's part of me, though, but this feels as though there's a little bit of a manipulative energy coming in here, which is that I'm wanting to use a deck that's only got really nice positive cards. Um, because that healing light, that gift, I feel as though he's, he's showing himself in a very shiny, shiny light. A very, um, he's just wanting you to see what he wants you to see. Yeah. Um, I think he likes the spotlight as well. Um, that's what I'm feeling Um, he's showing you what he wants you to see Um, he's very turned on by power Um, he wants to be successful but there's a bit of a vanity here there's a vanity look at the open shirt showing off the chest there's a vanity Um, okay but equally he is holding the light um feels again like Ron. He's there's a there's a part of him that is wanting to do it for the right reason. Um yes, a light worker. A light worker, they all are, but you know, he's holding the light there. He's holding the light there as well. Um Two more cards, Gavin Newsom. I almost want to go to a tarot deck, which is sort of why I feel as though he wouldn't want me to do, because he doesn't want to go through all the steps. But I want to, I want to see a couple of tarot cards on this guy. Okay, let's have a look, because I just feel as though he wants, he's presenting something. He's presenting a something, but he might be something else. Uh, okay, let's have a look, Gavin Newsom. Three cards from this deck I'm hearing. This deck is called the After Tarot and it shows the moments just after an event. And that's where I feel he's always at. It's almost like he's either having to always keep explaining himself for something that he's already done. It's almost like he's always a couple of steps ahead of other people. Um, Gavin Newsom. These two guys, it's interesting I wanted to start with them, not with Biden and Trump. I feel they're contenders for the future because we've got the King of Pentacles. Ron DeSantis was the King of Pentacles in a different deck. Gavin Newsom, King of Pentacles. There's a lot of outside noise, apologies. Um, But he's got the Two of Swords, which is crossroads, trying to make a decision. And he's got the energy of temperance. Is he healing from something? Is he healing from some sort of scandal? 
Is he waiting for something to blow over? Is he waiting for things to settle down again? That could be something here. Um, but equally, the energy of crossroads, uh, not totally decided whether he would want to run for president, even if that's possible. I mean, the whole way that uh, presidents are elected in the USA, it's about money, isn't it? And all the rest of it. it's not it's more complicated than it is here. Here, it's literally just like you throw your hat into the ring, literally. I mean, not quite. Obviously, they've most of them have got money behind them, but it's a longer process in USA. Um so, yeah, he's definitely healing from something uh, or waiting for the waters to be calmer. Um, tell me a little bit more about this Two of Swords energy with him. Gavin Newsom, Two of Swords. What is that about? Two of Swords. The moon. Yeah, there's something we, there's something we can't quite see with him. It could be also that the um, lunar eclipse, I believe it's a solar eclipse that's coming up next week, that might bring things more to light. I know you've got some um, primary elections. Is that what they're called? I can't remember what they're called. On 7th of November, is it? Um, maybe that's going to spur him on. There's something to do with moon phase here with him. Um, but equally, there's something that he can't quite see or we can't quite see about him. But he definitely sees himself as, you know, quite, quite the uh, winning combination. Look at that. You know, king of pentacles and happy success. Right. Show me his flaws. Yeah, let's get into the nitty gritty. Uh, show me his flaws. Which deck shall we go to? Um, you know, we'll go to this deck. Let's <laughs> have a bit of fun with this. God's sake. Ah, show me his flaws. Gavin Newsom. Whether he's a bit OCD, I'm feeling everything's very regimented with him, very orderly. Everything has to be just so. That might be more in his personal life, but I think he's quite hard to work for as well. That might just be because he's got high standards. Victim mentality. Crikey, we don't want that. Um, this must be a personal energy because it's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought that because it's what I'm saying. You know, this is like the man who presents himself a certain way. But look inside, there's a victim energy there. Remember, he, the leaders, our leaders represent aspects of us. So he's rep, there's, there's a bit of a victim archetype there. Um might also be that he stands up for the downtrodden in our society, which is a good thing. But equally, is there an energy here of, does he really think he can do it, is what I'm wanting to say. Um, does he really think he can do it? No, this is not a particularly helpful energy, is it? This is his flaw. It might just be his own personal stuff, but equally, if he's going to come into a prominent position, um Let's have one more card to go with victim mentality. Let's have a tarot card to go with that. Gavin Newsom's flaws. I really think behind the scenes he's a, he's a diff. I'm not saying he's totally. I'm seeing him behind the scenes being a bit James Gordon. <laughs> 
to bring it up to speed with a current example. I don't know whether he's very nice behind the scenes. We've got the Empress. A flaw. The Empress. Does he really believe he can deliver the growth? Does he really believe he can bring fertility back to USA? This is my Statue of Liberty card. I don't like those two cards as his flaw. To have an empress as a flaw. There's something more. Why have we got the empress as a flaw? Gavin Newsom. Has he got a weakness with women? Has he got an issue with his wife? If he's, if he's married? He's married. Has he got trouble at home? <coughs> Gavin Newsom. I don't know what this is, guys, but this is not great. Seven of Wands. Sorry, Seven of Cups. And the Five of Wands. Teamwork and not quite knowing where to put his energies. I just need to look at this guy's personal life. I think there's something here with regards to his personal life. I'm not understanding. Um... Let me just see. Definitely feels as though there's something behind the scenes going on. Uh, I don't know, guys. It's not coming up straight away, so. He's a San Franciscan. Oh, he was born in San Francisco, sorry. Uh, he's Catholic. Describes himself as an Irish Catholic. Mm. Taking politics out of it completely, just in terms of the two characters. I said when I used to do my readings on political leaders and I would always use the term or I would always ask myself, who would I prefer to be in a room with? And I think I'd prefer to be in a room with Ron than Gavin. And I don't really know why, but it's just a gut feel. Take about what you will. Right. Um, let's now do, should we do Trump? Let's do Trump. Um, what deck does Trump want? Yes, of course he wants that one. This is my Boris deck. Boris and Trump, very much two peas in the pod as far as I'm concerned. Oops. Um, he wants the Lionsgate tarot deck. That's why I said that, because this is my Boris deck. Okay, but Trump, Trump's energy wants this one. Okay. Let me just clear the energy of those two, because I feel as though we've got new and old. So um, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but I feel as though Gavin and Ron are up and coming. And I think Trump and Joe are existing, aren't they? They're the existing current status quo. So let's just bring a bit of uh, clearing energy in. Um, let's have a white spray before we go any further. So I know you've got the January the 6th uh, sessions going on at the moment. 
And Donald Trump, a very divisive figure. Some people love him. Some people really don't. Trump, I have to be honest, over the last few years, um, in terms of my thoughts on him now, if I'm honest, I don't really have a lot of thoughts, um, because I don't give a lot of attention to it. Uh, I feel there's so much circus around his energy, and there's so much division, and it's like you're either for or you're against, and I don't know, I'm just not really into any of it. There's a card that's just flipped out. Should we see what it is? The Five of Pentacles. Well, he would say he's been locked out of power. Mm. Um, the High Priestess. Um, the Five of Pentacles is the card of um, being excluded from the High Table. Being excluded from um what you wish to be, where you wish to be. Um, but I I will read on him politically, but I also think this is something, again, something going on in his relationship, because I, I know Baron is now a much older boy. I think he's about six foot something, isn't he? But I'm feeling that these two there, there's a woman and a boy, um, are the ones represented. Um Trump's desire for uh, power again, position again, authority again, presidency again, is um, locking out some members of his family who are not with him, as they had been previously, um, who are turning away from it. It's as though we supported you once. We're not sure we want to support you again. This is irrespective of whether it's even an option. This is just energies that I'm reading. Um, we have the High Priestess. And I have to say that those of you that watched my video from two years ago with Biden and Harris, uh, one of the things I said about Kamala Harris was... Um, I was just reading the numerology of her name and I looked at the symbolism of her name and it represents the lotus flower. And here we've got a lotus flower. Mm -hmm. And the thing about the lotus flower is that it has to grow through mud. Yep. Some lotus flowers never actually make it out of the mud. Um, we'll look at her in a moment, but um, I feel as though there's an, what I'm picking up here is I feel there's an energy against him from Kamala Harris. Um, I feel that she's the high priestess here that's also trying to keep him out. Uh, I don't particularly like the energy of this, I have to say. Um, I feel as though there are, let me just pull one more card before I say anything. Oh, okay, that's just flown out. Nine of Cups. Let me have one more card, please, just to confirm what I'm picking up here. Oh, yeah, I'm right. Okay. 
she is doing everything behind the scenes to make sure that his dream, the Nine of Cups, ends in defeat. Um, to be perfectly honest, again, from a UK perspective, just watching from afar, hardly hear anything of her. When you do, it doesn't seem like she says much or does much. Uh, just like, where the, where the hell is she? If she's the lotus flower, she seems to be deeply in the mud still. It's like she's not, she's not there. But behind the scenes, because the high priestess is working behind the scenes, there's something going on here where she's trying to bring about his ending. This is Trump we're talking about. But yeah, this is about her. Her and him seem to have some sort of past life connection is what I'm picking up. Um, they've been adversaries before in past lives. Um, yeah. Show me the energy of Harris and Trump before in past lives. Show me the energy of Harris and Trump before in past lives. Wow. Bloody hell. <laughs> oh, wow. Bloody hell. What? A couple. Ooh. God, I don't even want to say this. I'm just going to show you what the cards... The cards show a couple, united, who acquired a lot of money together. A union. The cards show a union and an inheritance. They've worked together before in previous lives. This time they are on opposing sides of the political fence. They are enemies. I don't know what Trump did to her in a previous life, but she wants his blood. Not literally. She wants his demise. Okay, that is a very strange old energy that I've just tapped into there. I really was not expecting that. Um, okay, I'm going to go keep with this past life. I've now got a pain in my stomach there. I've literally got a pain in my stomach there. One of them... Nightmare. Nightmares. There's unfinished business between these two. Um, oh, blimey. It's, there's a karmic energy between the two of them. And it feels as though he's having to pay back for something he did to her in a previous life. That's what I'm feeling. Um, did he stab her in the back in a previous life? Yeah. Did he run off with some money? I don't know. Show me the energy, the past life that I'm tapping into here, please, Metatron. Yeah, isn't it? The Ace of Cups and the Ten of uh, Ten of Wands. Show me what he was in a past life with regards to her. Show me what he was in a past life with regards to her. Show me what he was in a past life with regards to her. Oh, me! look, Seven of Cups. 
he he did one over on her. He left her out in the cold. The Five of Pentacles. Maybe they were a power couple in a previous life, and he what he he took all the glory. What was she to him in a previous life? What was she to him in a previous life? Okay, we've got the six of pentacles. What was she to him in a previous life? She thought it was a relationship of equals. She was the queen of wands. Wow, okay. Yeah, she was a, she was a queen. I mean, not literally. Queen is an archetypal energy of a strong, powerful, sovereign woman. Um, he did one over on her in a previous life. <laughs> She's back to collect her dues. He needs to watch his back with regard to her. Okay, let's get back to Trump. Uh, let's have a look at Trump's energy at this time. Let's go to a completely clear deck that I haven't read from before. Um, let's go to the... This deck, one of my favourite decks, the Japanese Tarot. Donald Trump, oh no, Trump wanted the, sorry, Trump wanted the Lions Gateway Tarot, didn't he? Okay, let's, hold on guys, hold on, the energy is all over the place. Let me just ground. Let me just ground the decks and see which one we're meant to use here. It's important I get it right because that was just a bit of a curveball that came in about past life stuff. I want to get back to present day, please, Metatron. Present day, which deck to use for Trump? It's just a really strange noise now coming from my candle. My candle was just making an odd noise. And that happened last time I read on Trump. I had candles doing weird things. Right, sorry, which deck to use for Trump? Is this the right deck? No. Is this the right deck? No. Is this the right deck? Yes, it was the one that I originally started with. Okay, God's sake. Going around in circles, guys. Showing the energy of Trump now. 20th of October, 2022. Going forward, the energy of Trump as it is now, as he is now. really hard to get up. King of Cups and it's the sun that's fallen out upside down. Um, he's feeling very emotional. He still feels like he's the king though. But the sun is upside down. The sun is the uh, card of power. And um, light. He's feeling very emotional. 
We've got the Ten of Wands. It's too hard. Don't want to carry on. But the Four of Pentacles is the, from his perception, the solid base that he's created, the foundation that he's created, the support that he's created. But it feels like a very heavy burden right now to carry on. Um, but he has got strength on the bottom of the deck, which is urging him on, as is the Queen of Cups, which would be Melania, the King and Queen of Cups. The lion urging him on, even though the sun is not there. Remember the sun, tarot card the sun, represents children. It's that youthful vigour. He's an older man. He's an older man than he was when he first came on the scene politically. Um, but he's being given some strength. Show me his energy going forward, please. Trump, show me his energy going forward. The Eight of Wands and Judgment. I guess this is to do with... Uh, January the 6th hearings. There is a judgment to be passed upon him. And it's coming in quite quick. Um, I also feel as though this strength card is giving him the courage to face the judgment on him. Taking it away from Trump for a moment. What I said with regards to Liz Truss, our current prime minister, might not be by the time you watch this video, but I put a post up on Instagram and Facebook a few days ago after the video I did on here where I basically said, please remember she's a human being and that uh, to be humiliated on the public stage, which is what's happening to her at the moment, every single policy that she put in place is being U-turned on. She's probably going to be ousted. It's total humiliation to be a prime minister of a country like the UK for only 50 days, which is probably what's going to happen. I said, please remember she's a human being and to be kind and to be compassionate because the wounded lion, you know, I feel he's a bit like the wounded lion. But spirit loves all of us, all of us, whoever we are, um, irrespective of politics, irrespective of what we've done. Spirit loves all of us. And if spirit can love all of us, we need as um, divine human beings when we are in alignment to our spiritual truth, to remember that all people, whoever they are, are deserving of love and deserving of kind thoughts, which encompasses the energy of forgiveness as well. Many people love him to start with anyway and would be very happy to um, give him strength. But I'm talking here to the people that don't like Trump. It's important that you can try, that you try to go into your heart that if he goes down, that you don't add to the chorus of bullying voices that we had at the start, which is about all sorts of things in USA that just brings the whole energy of the whole country down. Um, so judgment is coming for him. Can he be president again? Can he be president again? Will he be president again? Based on current timelines, as I'm reading this today, 
can he be president again? Sorry, I keep going can and will. Interesting, can and will are two different questions. Can he? Will he? Is he going to be blocked? Um, we've got the Empress on the bottom of the deck. USA, Statue of Liberty, can he? And will he are different questions. He might be stopped because he can't. Maybe he's not allowed to because of something that comes out of the hearing. Will he is a different question. Like that one's just flipped out. The Page of Wands and the Two of Pentacles. I feel as though we've got another bloody King of Pentacles. How many kings do you need in your country? You know. <laughs> oh God. Um. Yeah. I mean. He's a bit like what I was saying about Ron earlier. At the moment, despite the bluster and what you see when he walks onto a stage where he's got himself into that energy, um, it's a bit like Freddie Mercury used to say. Freddie Mercury, when he went on stage, was not the Freddie Mercury that you saw uh, a, a day before the event. Freddie Mercury would have to you know, pump himself up a bit, get himself into the vibe of being Freddie Mercury. It was a bit of, it was a bit of an act, although it wasn't. It was also part of who he was. This is what you see with Trump. When he goes onto the stage, he wants to present himself as the King of Pentacles, but he's feeling much more like the Page of Wands. And it's because of everything that's happened to him over the last couple of years. So there's, there's two of Pentacles. Can he, will he? Okay, it's not clear because the judgment is um, not yet in. My camera is about to die as I'm talking to, about him. And that's interesting because it's supposedly plugged into a source, but it says I'm about to lose power. About to lose power. I realise what I've just said. So certainly not clear cut for him. But I'm going to charge up my battery and I'm going to come back and I'm going to have a look at Kamala Harris and then we're going to have a look at Biden and then we'll have a wrap up. I realise this video has got a bit long anyway. Okay, just pause the camera. I've got to charge it up. Bye for now. Hello again, it's Amanda. I've had my lunch. I'm back in the space between when you last saw me half an hour ago and now we've just lost the UK Prime Minister, Liz Trust. She's just resigned. Um, and the interesting thing about it is that she has been forced out. She's resigned after 44 days in the job. That number was flashing at me because of what we're doing here with this video. 44 is the age of Ron DeSantis. So I feel as though the 44 energy is passing to him. And I feel as though Ron is the one to watch for the future. Um, and it doesn't mean that I think he'll then be out of power in 44 days. I just feel as though uh, there's a message here with those 44s. Um, he's definitely one to watch, Ron DeSantis. OK, I'm going to now do a reading on Biden and Kamala Harris. Um, I think we'll start with Joe Biden and I'm just wondering which deck to use for him. So this one. OK, the last time I read on Joe uh, was just before the election. I predicted that he would win, which he did. If you believe it was stolen, that's obviously your prerogative. But the fact is he is still he is in power in the White House. So I was correct there. Um, and I also predicted that he would um, have to step down during his first term because of ill health. I'm quite surprised that he still 
in power, to be honest. I thought he would have stepped down by now. The decline in his health that I saw two years ago or was predicting two years ago is now very evident, I think, to most people. Um, growing difficulty with his mental faculties, um, inability to not just to be able to communicate, uh, articulate. Um, a lot of it is scripted that he's reading. Um, there's, there's some very concerning behavior where he's like confused, walking off stage, walking, you know, we've all seen it. Um, and I'm surprised somebody hasn't stepped in yet to ask him to step down. I don't know that's possible in your country. But anyway, that's what I saw, that he would have to step down um, and that Kamala would take over. Uh, let's Before we do anything, let's just see if that's still a possibility within the first term, shall we? Um, let's just ask that question before we even get going. Okay, we've got the four of pentacles, which has just fallen out of the uh, deck. And we've got the four of wands on the uh, bottom of the deck. Four, four, 44 again. Interesting, Liz Truss has just been forced to resign because she really didn't want to resign uh, after 44 days. We've now got four, four. Is this a sign that somebody's going to, for, somebody within his own uh, cabinet, if that's what you call it, um, is going to step in and demand that he steps down because of his health? But he's clinging on to it. He's clinging on to power. Look at that. He's clinging on to the power. The Grim Reaper there wanting to take away the power, but he's still focused on the vision. He still wants to be, you know, in this beautiful energy, which is all about, you know, vision for the future and, um, uh, yeah, just vision for the future, basically. And, um, uh, he, he wants to bring, you know, the good times back, etc. But we have got the Grim Reaper there. The Grim Reaper doesn't have to be death, physical death. It's just the death of what I was asking about, which is his premiership. So he's dodging it, to be perfectly honest. He's dodging the fact that he hasn't been asked to step down yet. Or even if he has, he's refused. Um, let me have another two cards because then we've got the four energy. Will Joe Biden be forced to step down or be removed from power for whatever reason uh, before the end of his first term? We have the eight of uh, wands. Sorry, the, yeah, the eight, of, the eight of swords, sorry. With the nine of pentacles. Well... We have, we have another four, though, on the bottom of the deck. The four of swords, which can indicate illness. It's a card of illness. can be a card of illness. Um, it's an interesting combination of cards because the four, this one, the eight of swords, would indicate that he has the power to remove himself. Um, that he feels very trapped on a bad day and not really wanting to do the job or not feeling up to the job if or people around him feeling that he could easily remove himself from it but yet this is sort of saying that there's still work to do there's still things that need to be done so I'm not feeling a big energy of that happening but if it were to happen it would be through health okay right let's park that for one moment let us now uh, go back in. I think I'll stick with this deck for a minute. 
And let's just ask about his general energy at this time. So Joe Biden. I was hearing uh, the phrase YAL. <laughs> Not something you'll ever hear me say again. YAL. I don't say YAL. I was hearing that. Um, so I don't know whether he says that or that's what I'm, he- that's what I'm hearing. Okay, Joe Biden. Let's get serious. Uh, okay, those two like that in the middle. Let's take them and see what they are. The King of Swords. Yeah, this is what he is. He's the leader and he's appearing as the King of Swords. Oh uh, but Ten of Wands. Um, finding it a struggle to be that. This is all about the mind, the swords. King of Swords is all about the analytical mind. But he's finding it hard work to maintain that. And the Hierophant is the card of the, the leader. It's the government of the day. It's uh, all of that. Okay, what else is to say? Joe Biden. I've never noticed this on this card before. I've never noticed this. I don't know why I've never noticed it. It must have been there the whole time. The king has got a crown on his head, but yet there's another crown at his feet with a sword through it, as though it's waiting to be placed on a new person's head. And I'm I'm hearing the words, a new person's head, a person that hasn't had the crown yet. It's very Excalibur. I mean, I was saying in the UK reading that I felt within the UK there was going to be a return to the uh, King Arthur energy. And there was the potentiality of the King Arthur energy being a fractal within all of us, whichever country we come from. And King Arthur stood for, for, for values of decency and loyalty and, you know, the, the knights of the round table, and the round table, consensus, not hierarchy, totally new type of uh, politics and leadership. And I feel as though the crown, you know, the, the, the symbol of leadership is waiting for that person to arise in America too. Um, and it feels as though um, this is Biden sort of, uh, it's interesting. He's not even seems to be aware that this other crown is at his feet. So it's as though he's on the throne. I know that's not what you call it, but you know, he's in the seat of power, but yet his mind's off here. But the, the somebody coming to claim, and it's not Trump. It's not what, that's not what I'm feeling here. I'm not feeling it's Trump. It's somebody very new. Anyway, let's get back to Biden. Anything else to say about Biden? Again, like Ron DeSantis had the butterfly, okay? Um, here we've got, can you see? We've got the butterfly. Mm-hmm. Going back to the beginning of my video, uh, the room, transformation, dark night of the soul. He's there because he's meant to be there at this time to bring things to light, to um, to be somebody that other people can rail against. Um, etc. It's everything that I've tried to explain in this video so far. We've got the energy of temperance on the bottom of the deck. Um, that was the card. Somebody else had that card. Was it Gavin Newsom? I think it was. But anyway, temperance. 
healing. Okay, let's see what his flaws are. These cards, come on, behave yourselves. <laughs> We see, um, okay, I couldn't even get the words out. We've got the Three of Swords, which is the card of endings. I'm going to go to another deck. There's an ending for him coming up. Biden, show me his flaws, please. Or show me where his flaws are. Bloody hell. Okay. The devil and the card of fates. Card fates is card number ten. Um which would be the Wheel of Fortune, I believe, um, in this deck. Let me just double-check that. Yeah, that's right. The Devil card, I'm sure many of you know what the Devil card represents. It doesn't have to be the Horned Devil. It's not necessarily he's beholden to the devil. I know some people will want that interpretation and you'll think that whatever I say now anyway. But this is also linked into, I'm going on what this book says, which the card belongs to. It says conscious bondage, dwelling in the grip of the material world, enthralled by the lure of the senses. Um, this is linked into the love of money um, in particular. It was linked into all of the things that the devil can seduce you into. Don't really want to go too much further in this video on that. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Let me just see what this card card X is. I just want to double check. It says an unexpected yet positive twist in the game of life. Um, so the fates preside over the fate of humanity and gods alike. The oldest stories state that they are fatherless daughters of Nyx, the primeval goddess of night. This is traditionally the Wheel of Fortune, but here on a similar thread, we have the fates. They are the embodiment of the thread of life, as well as the presiding forces over it. Each of them play an important role in constructing the predetermined course of events. Um, so these three figures, one is called Clotho, the spinner, she spins the thread of life and presides over the present. Laches is the allotter who measures the length of each human life and presides over the future. And Atropis, the inflexible, cuts the thread of life presiding over the past. So we have the past, the present and the future. Um, the lower world, the upper world. Space in between hmm. indicates a shifting of events, usually for the better. Okay, I need to open the windows, guys. It's got really stuffy in here. Hold on, bear with me. Uh, 
Okay, we're going to stop there because it's time. It's time to take a break. I thought this is quite interesting. Yeah, I... We've all been having the sense that Biden's not going to get through this first term. Ooh, and I kind of agree to disagree with her about, you know, Mr. Trump. And what about? Oh, maybe I could say that place by the fire. I'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah, his uh. He's the wounded lion. And and his spirit loves well yeah he's committed some pretty horrific acts. And nothing's being said about the one that really feels the most horrific. Which is the violent rape and murder of a twelve year old girl. Yes. That doesn't sit well. And on another sense, you know, he gave a lot of tax deductions to a very small group of very wealthy people already. The top 1% who own more wealth than... And they most likely don't pay taxes either. No. No. But uh, this is quite a dance to go into the neutral space. <coughs> I don't know what you wanted to say about. I would just say that what she brought up about Kamala Harris and him, I think that has to do with some of the things that went on on the planet that are about healing the collective PTSD for the thousands and thousands of years of war. Well, I mean, the idea of them being a couple in the past, that's trippy. I don't you know. You wouldn't want to hear that now. Yeah. No. <laughs> Ooh. Mm. Uh, we will take this break that we began to chat about. Uh, uh, there's there's a, 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 a lot of food for thought. Let's put it that way. How's that, Ron? Yes. And this will complete itself after we come back, after we take a look at the stars with our brother Richard and uh, Kay Pacha. And uh, Kay Pacha is very long-winded today. How long is that again, Ron? 44 minutes. There we go with another 44. That's yeah. crazy. Holy cow. All right, 44 more minutes. 44 minutes. Uh, so we're just going to come back and play a few songs, and then we'll bring Richard on a little early. All right. Namaste, everyone. Thank you so much. Hope this was helpful. Very interesting. Oh, all right, all right. <laughs> okay. Takes a while to come through. Well, again, there was uh, there was about a fifteen second delay 
from your place to my place on BBS on the computer. Anyway, hmm. I like that last song. You played that one before. All right. It's the 29th of October. And the highlights, Mercury has made it into Scorpio today. So we got Mercury at one degree, the sun is at seven degrees, and Venus is at nine degrees of Scorpio. And the moon's in Capricorn tonight, seven degrees. It's exactly sextile the sun. The other stuff is pretty much all the same. Mars has moved up to 26 Gemini. It's about to go retrograde, Mars. Uh, it is, but it's but it's not tonight. It'll right. Probably, probably be. I can look at next week's. But more important than that, Saturn went direct. Woo. So that's like taking his foot off the brake a little bit. Right. Yeah. Saturn Saturn is so. Saturn in Aquarius is delaying the Aquarian age. Oh no, you're mm. kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> uh, would not. you like to explain that 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 thing you just said? <laughs> How do I explain it? Uh, yeah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna get into the Aquarian age until we can, uh, uh, put the guns down. That's right. And, uh, that's, that's basically, you know, uh, prime indicator number one, you know. Yes. So we got that going on. So, uh. Uh, what else here? Okay, you're, uh, so Uranus is at 18 Taurus retrograde. Chiron's at 14 Aries retrograde. Jupiter is at 30 degrees Pisces retrograde. And then we got Saturn is at 19. It went direct. Pluto's at 27. And direct. So, uh, I mean, we got a heavy, we got a heavy, a heavy dude in Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces, uh, Chiron, and Aries. You know, everything's on one side. Everything's all there in that in that Capricorn to Taurus zone. Right. The only outliers are Mercury, uh, Sun, and Venus, and now they're all traveling together really tight, you know. And then you know Mars is kind of out there all by itself in Gemini. But uh, if that's gonna go, if that's gonna go retrograde, let me let me look here real quick. 
quickly. Let's see, I want to do this. I want to do click that. Let's see, okay. Where is what happened to? Let's see if that's it. Okay, yeah, okay. Yep, Mars will be retrograde next week. So, and it's it'll be a 20, 20, 26 Gemini. So there's there's a Sabian symbol for Kaipachi to read. Oh, and then next, yeah. So later in the week, the moon is going to conjunct Neptune, Jupiter, and Chiron, like in a day and a half. It'll take it'll take a day and a half for the moon to conjunct Pluto, so that'll be <laughs> sometime Monday, and then it'll take about it'll take about two days to uh, uh, go over there and, and conjunct Saturn, and then it'll take about two and a half days to go over there, and then uh, so uh, next next Thursday Friday, moon conjunct Neptune, Jupiter, and Chiron. And uh, that'll take us through uh, next Saturday, next Saturday night. So that's it. All right. That's yeah. That's it. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna look at at uh, tonight's chart so that I can uh, synchronize with Kaipacha. All right, take it away. There we go. Take it away. October 29th. Here we go. with the weekly Pele report for uh, Wednesday, October 26th of 2022. And uh, yeah, I'm down here at the confluence. And that has always been considered, you know, a sacred area by the indigenous peoples where uh, two rivers join and come together. Uh, and I'm doing that here with the moon in the water sign of Scorpio. How about that solar eclipse yesterday? Woo! And junk Venus. Powerful. I'm still feeling it. Anyway, um, yeah, she's going to stay in Scorpio until tomorrow, Thursday. She's going to move into Sagittarius and uh, trine Jupiter, uh, which is just very much on the edge. You know, Jupiter retrogrades back into Pisces tomorrow also. So I'm going to be talking about that, Jupiter. Once Jupiter's in Pisces, of course, it's going to be conjunct Neptune, you know, for quite some time, really two months. Jupiter is in Pisces for two months, and we'll be stationing not that far away from Neptune. So anyway, back to the moon. Moves through Sag, and on Saturday, bump, baps into Capricorn. Until stepping out, stepping out into Aquarius, okay, on Monday. And we're going to have uh, a 
Moon Square Sun. And I want to read you the uh, Sabian symbol. Yeah, for that moon in, in Aquarius, in square to the sun. Um, the other things I want to talk to you about today, this could be like a pretty long failure report. How about that guy? You know, that is a nice seat right there. Somebody carved out a little niche in the river. <laughs> put their chair there and then left. <laughs> anyway, where was I, babe? At, at Jupiter and Pisces, that's where I'm at. Oh, yeah. Anyway, Mars. I've been neglecting Mars, but today I need to talk about this Mars in Gemini because... He's going to station retrograde on Sunday. Yeah? In square to Jupiter and Neptune. Ouch. Kadiddly hoppers. Yeah? I'm going to really talk about that Mars in Gemini. What else is going on? Mercury, the ruler of Gemini. Okay, going into Scorpio. So yeah, uh, I got a I got a lot to a, a lot to bring forward here, and um, let me get to it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, there's a lot to say today. There's a lot of uh, things to tie together that may appear to be. Not cohesive or coherent, but in actuality, if we sew the right threads, <laughs> we can make sense out of a Jupiter-Neptune conjunction in Pisces, in square to a Mars stationing to go retrograde in Gemini, to a solar eclipse yesterday in Scorpio, with a lunar eclipse coming up, okay, on November 8th. Now, by the time there is this lunar eclipse, the moon will be exactly conjunct Uranus, okay, which is the higher octave of Mercury, the mind, which has gone into Scorpio today and will be conjunct the sun, on the same day as the lunar eclipse. We had Venus conjunct the sun for the solar eclipse, and we've got Mercury conjunct the sun for the lunar eclipse. Very interesting. The heart and the mind. And like I said before, I think it was last week's Paley Report, it's tricky, man. I do personal readings and webinars and chats. I don't know where I said what, but... You know, the new moon is setting the intention. Okay, you know, the solar eclipse was at a time of like getting new revelation and going, okay, this is who I am and this is where I'm going and this is what I want. And then two weeks from now, that powerful total lunar eclipse is going to come back and go, oh, is that really what you want? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, this is where the shit really hits the fan is going to be with the lunar eclipse, yeah? Okay, so. And so it's interesting that the heart comes through with this solar eclipse. 
And I don't know if you felt it, but like I, you know, could have had a heart attack yesterday. I mean, it was just like my heart was like, I, I felt like attacked by the forces of death, by forces beyond my control, like my life and the world going out of control. Yeah. And very, you know, lots of fears were coming up for me with that solar eclipse. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But, you know, yeah, now that heart space... We need to deal with the mind. I want to talk to you about the mind today because Mars is moving through Gemini, okay, really from uh, middle of August to the middle of March, eight months of the warrior fiery energy in the sign of Gemini, Mercury, okay, mental, mental stimulation, you know, mental overwhelm, too much information. Ah! So, so it's been direct, but now it's going retrograde. And retrograde Mars, Mars likes to be direct. It likes to go out. More information, more information. Now it's time to digest and reflect on. Okay, and it's, you know, it's, it's retrograde for like six weeks or so, right? You know, I mean, I got dates here for you. Uh, Mars is retrograde until what? January 12th. It stations direct. So we have this long period. Actually, I, something about war associated with Mars retrograde because the energy that is normally uh, released is held in and held in and held in until God knows what. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, we have a retrograde Mars for 10 weeks. Okay? And during that whole period of time, okay, it's really square Neptune. It came into square Neptune exactly on October 12th. Okay, now it stations square Neptune, goes retrograde the second time till November 20th. Then it kind of leaves Neptune. It goes all the way back to like 8 degrees. But it comes back. And the third result, okay, the third pass is always the finish, the grand finale, okay, of Mars square. Neptune is uh, uh, March 15th. Now, the lower expression of this Jupiter-Neptune-Mars action is propaganda. Yeah? Lies and deception, uh, you know, from the collective unconscious or the mass media, you know, really coming through this Mars in Gemini, which is the gadgets and the screens and the social media and everything. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the, that's the lower energetic. But I also want to talk about the higher energetic. And I want to tie it in with all this Scorpio, 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 Scorpio. South Node in Scorpio for a year and a half, Sun in Scorpio, Venus in Scorpio for a month, Mercury coming into Scorpio for a month, death, sex, other people's money, power struggles, greed, evil, the taboo, the underworld, the dark, all this kind of stuff. And uh, so I've been looking into death. I want to talk about death a little bit today. Yeah, um, I'm. Today's my last day. Actually, I'm, I'm jumping uh, on a plane tomorrow to go down to Mexico for the Day of the Dead. 
We've got Halloween coming up here in the United States. And, uh, you know, that's a kind of a big uh, uh, celebration, especially they've made it for kids <laughs> more than for adults. But in Mexico, you really get the, uh, I think, the real thing. I'm actually going to a workshop on death, so I'll be talking about that maybe a little more. But I'm preparing for that workshop by reading what? Boom! <laughs> the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. Yeah, baby. I'm going to read to you today. I'm going to read a lot to you today. So if you like it, good. If you don't, too bad. <laughs> you know, but this I'm, I'm just finding a lot of good stuff about here. And, and particularly this quote, because there's a quote of Sir Thomas More, who I was uh, named after. <laughs> it's on compassion. So the the higher expression of this Jupiter Neptune in Pisces is compassion. Yeah. And of course, you know, square to Mars and Gemini is active compassion. Not just sitting there feeling sorry for somebody or, you know, sympathetic or whatever, but, you know, actually coming out, you know, uh, well, the guy says it better than me, right? So, uh, Yal uh, Rinpoche, amazing book. Oh, man. Anyway, caring for the dying makes you poignantly aware not only of their mortality, but also of your own. So many veils and delusions separate us from the stark knowledge that we are dying. When we finally know we are dying and all other sentient beings are dying with us, we start to have a burning, almost heartbreaking sense of the fragility and preciousness of each moment and each being. And from this can grow a deep, clear, limitless compassion for all beings. Sir Thomas More, I heard, wrote these words just before his beheading. In quotes, we are all in the same cart going to execution. How can I hate anyone or wish harm or wish anyone harm? To feel the full force of your mortality and to open your heart entirely to it is to allow to grow in you that all-encompassing, fearless compassion that fuels the lives of all those who wish truly to be of help to others. Compassion. Yeah? I'm going to go on a little bit more. Skip a little bit because I like this part better. To realize what I call the wisdom of compassion is to see with complete clarity its benefits as well as the damage that its opposite has done to us. We need to make a very clear distinction between what is in our ego's self-interest 
and what is in our ultimate interest. It is from mistaking one for the other that all our suffering comes. We go on stubbornly believing that self-cherishing is the best protection in life. But in fact, the opposite is true. Self-grasping creates self-cherishing, which in turn creates an ingrained aversion to harm and suffering. However, harm and suffering have no objective existence. What gives them their existence and their power is only our aversion to them. When you understand this, you understand then that it is our aversion, in fact, that attracts to us every negativity and obstacle that can possibly happen to us. (laughs) And fills our lives with nervous anxiety Mars and Gemini, square Neptune, expectation, and fear. Mars also rules fear. Wear down that aversion by wearing down the self-grasping mind. Gemini and Mercury. Mercury going into Scorpio. And its attachment to a non-existent self. And you will wear down any hold on you that any obstacle and negativity can have. For how can you attack someone or something that is just not there? So this talks about, this is this connection, right? Compassion, a kind of being the opposite of self-grasping and self-cherishing. And then connecting this self-grasping to the mind, to the mind that creates these stories and these conspiracies. We are what we think in some ways. We are what we listen to and what we absorb and what we believe. This is the interesting thing I'm finding, right? I always get down on the left brain, monkey mind, mental masturbation, mercury, blah, 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 blah. But it's this is also having to do with Jupiter, my friends. (laughs) This is Jupiter and Sagittarius. This is also our beliefs. Because our mind creates a lot of our stories, judgment, guilt, and shame based on religious beliefs, religious conditioning. You know, not only was I reading about this Tibetan stuff and everything, I've been reading about Mary Magdalene and how she was a kind of a rich bitch or whatever, you know, and kind of had to give up her money and give up her position and her style and her sex to follow Jesus. There's all this kind of... Whether it's Buddhist or Christian or whatever, it's just like, you know, don't 
Don't have too much Taurus. <laughs> Don't have too much pleasure. Don't get too comfortable down here in these bodies, okay, or cherish yourself or love yourself too much or you're, you know, yeah, you've got, when you enter the Bardos, okay, you know, or purgatory, you're going to, like, suffer. <laughs> and interest, very interesting belief patterns going on here, yeah? So we want to really look at the mind, because the mind really creates a lot, yeah? And when we die... I'm going to get to that at the end of today. I'm going to go back to that book. There is another quote of what happens to our mind, our reality, our consciousness when we die. The Tibetan Book of the Dead goes into it. Yeah. But before I get to that, I want to just bring forward a little bit of, uh, I brought my library down here because I'm leaving and I'm leaving all these books. <laughs> it's my last chance to read a little bit, you know, but I'm going to, I'm going to read to you uh, from the Aquarian teacher. Yeah, that's my Kundalini yoga teacher training uh, guide. And it talks about, you know, in Kundalini yoga, they talk about the seven, the 10 bodies, seven chakras, 10 bodies. And three of these bodies are mind, the negative mind, the positive mind, and the neutral mind. What's that, you might say? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> the negative mind is the protective mind. Longing to belong. Containment and obedience. Can I determine if there is danger in a situation? What do I need to consider? The negative mind helps you to give form to the creativity of your soul body with the gifts of containment, form, and discernment. It instills in you a longing to belong, which in its highest expression drives you to connect very deeply with your own God self. It gives you patience to be obedient to your own inner guidance. If your negative mind is underdeveloped, your longing to belong can cause you to get into inappropriate, self-destructive relationships. Eclipses, South Node in Scorpio. Because you are over-influenced by others, you aren't contained enough in your own center. If that applies to you, <laughs> the key to balancing it is to value your discipline. Develop conscious relationships with integrity. If the negative mind is overdeveloped, like you're too paranoid, <laughs> strengthen the positive mind. The positive mind. Devil or divine? Equality. Positivity. 
Am I open to all possibilities that life has to offer? Do I let these into my life? The positive mind sees the positive essence of all situations and beings. It is expansive and allows resources in. It gives you a strong will and allows you to use your power easily and humbly. It makes you naturally playful and optimistic and gives you a good sense of humor. It makes your communication strong and direct. If the positive mind is weak, it is like receiving a daily injection of poison. You can be overwhelmed by the input of your negative mind, which can be depressing and paralyzing. You may be angry and intolerant or hesitate to use your own power, your own heat, because you are afraid of the responsibility it brings or afraid that you might abuse it. Key to balancing. Strengthen the navel point. We've got kundalini yoga kriyas uh, that balance that navel point, strengthen that navel point. Uh, They're on my website. Increase your self-esteem. Use positive affirmations. If the positive mind is overdeveloped, strengthen the negative mind. (laughs) Right? You can see positive, negative. This is the Gemini, right? (laughs) Castor and Pollux. Right, you know, uh, you know, one immortal, one mortal, one you know, one on the light and uh, and the other in the dark, right? You know, earthly, whatever. So, you know, let's get into the neutral mind, the meditative mind, the cup of prayer, service, compassion, integration. Do I allow myself to perceive and act upon? Inner wisdom? The neutral or meditative mind is the ultimate win-win mentality. From here you look at the whole play of life with compassion. The neutral mind evaluates the input of your negative and positive minds and the rest of the bodies as well. And gives you guidance within nine seconds. It is a very intuitive vantage point and allows you to access your soul. If your neutral mind is weak, you may have a hard time making decisions. You'll have the habit of feeling victimized by life because you don't know how to integrate your experiences and find meaning in them. You may have a hard time seeing beyond the polarities of life on earth and tuning into the great cosmic scheme of things. Key to balancing the neutral mind. Meditate. (laughs) 
sun is coming out, man. It was freezing up at the house, and it's freaking boiling down here. Anyway, got the sun in my eye. The mind, Mars moving through Gemini. Mercury, the ruler of Gemini, coming up closer to the sun, entering Scorpio. It's basically conjunct the sun now and getting closer and closer and closer to Cassini. I'm on the lunar eclipse. And so we have this kind of energy. And I, and I, and I just really want to point, bring out the, the whole message for today, the whole message for this mantra and for this week and for this time period is to get beyond the mind. I have a body, I am not my body. I have thoughts, I am not my thoughts. I have beliefs, I am not my beliefs. I have lots of things. But I, I am so much more than that. And here's where I want to come down into, you know, the degree that Mars is stationing at retrograde, but basically sitting here at the 26th degree for, I don't know, I mean, I think it's like almost a week. Okay, so it's there now. It's going to be there a little bit longer. Of course, Dane Ridger's uh, Sabian symbols. Frost-covered trees against winter skies. The revelation of our typical form and essential rhythm of existence. Externals are left behind. This is a step beyond pruning. It is rather a process of removal of all superficialities of existence. Gemini and the earth signs have to do with superficialities. Yeah. Cyclically, nature helps us to reach this state of bare reality. It is not that we experience the Buddha's void, sunya, but rather that we reach the essence of our individual being, the form of pure selfhood, which is the structuring power underneath all external features, all that belong to the leaf realm. That's why we have bare trees <laughs> mm-hmm. against the sky. Mm-hmm. And why I'm speaking of death, because it brings us to our bare essential truth that is beyond mind. And it's amazing how Uranus is still conjunct the North Node in Taurus. And Taurus is this coming into our root, essential core self, and being self-sufficient. So it's really, you know, how all these things tie together. We see that the mind needs to be a tool, and we need to be consciously directing it and using it from our spirit self. 
And our friends and our networks and our relationships have to be based on that core, pure truth that is the self. And we need to, in a way, separate that core, essential self from our beliefs, from our past, from our conditioning, from our fears. I mean, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, we need to, like, really... I remember the handbook for the new paradigm that, that first got me into it in the year 2000. You know, you know, he talked about the thought thinking itself. We need to become the thought thinking itself and observe that thought thinking itself. <laughs> this is pretty far out there, I know, but what the heck, man? Life is pretty far out there. People are having a hard time sleeping. People are getting super overwhelmed with the too much information and too many lies and too much confusion. Neptune is confusion. Okay, you know, in aspect two, it was in conjunct Mercury a couple days ago. Okay, you know, a week ago. Now Mercury is, you know, in conjunct Jupiter. That's just like overwhelm, mental overwhelm. What's going on? I'm going crazy. I'm getting like just, you know, my mind is, you know, yeah, like I can't sleep. I can't relax. I'm getting anxiety. I'm worrying. I'm getting enough. I mean, I'm getting shoulder problems, right? Mercury, Mercury and Gemini, Mars going through Gemini, Gemini's the shoulders and the arms. And I'm just like, oh man, my neck and shoulders are fried. <laughs> this is just like, you know, Mars is really freaking pounding us right now. But let me get into, uh, you know, this uh, Sabian symbol for now the first square, the first quarter moon, okay, up there in Aquarius, right? That is, you know, that's, uh, that's uh, basically happening when, did I say? Tuesday. Tuesday. That moon, uh, you know, comes around and it, it, it squares the sun. And that is in Aquarius, obviously, Aquarius, 90 degrees from Scorpio. And, uh, and this is, uh, uh, they're at eight degrees something. So it's the ninth degree of Aquarius. Some of you asked me where I get these Sabian symbols. This is the, where the moon, if you look at the chart at the beginning of the Pele report, you will see that the moon is up there in Aquarius. And it is the ninth degree of Aquarius squaring the sun. And the symbol is a flag is seen turning into an eagle. The dynamic incorporation of new social values in individuals who exemplify the spiritual potential and greatest significance of these values. All that is implied here is the vitalization of a powerful symbol, its embodiment in a living reality, in a person able to fly in consciousness to the highest spiritual realm. The archetype is given living substance 
and wings. The image has become a power. You get this? The dream, the image, the archetype, the potential of Jupiter, Neptune, and Pisces can remain that just that, a flag. <laughs> An ideal waving in the wind, right? You know? But like, we have the opportunity. Coming up next Tuesday, babe, you know, this first quarter square moon, to embody the values and the principles of a new paradigm and bring forward community, revolution, the new age, whatever you want to call it. It's heightened, liberated consciousness, breaking free from the established norms whether they be socio-political or religious, it's time to break free. Oh, yeah! (laughs) And it's not through the mind. It's through getting in touch with our essence, essence, essence. So Scorpio has to do with death. We know that the French call the orgasm la petite death. Yeah, you know? So we die We can die every day. We can die every minute. We can die. Let's not wait until the grand finale, okay, where our soul actually leaves our physical body. But understand that this is a cyclic process, right? You know, the leaves, you know, the trees drop their leaves, you know, every fall. The season of Scorpio, the day of the dead, this this is the time, okay, you know, where it is time to let go of what is essentially not us, not our truth, and to merge with something bigger, something greater. And perhaps also to come into conflict with forces that want to manipulate, dominate, or control us. But no, you know, we're going to stay true. So I want to read this little, just it's just a little bit more. I know it's a lot of reading today, but... The ground, it says, which is very interesting. The ground has to do with Taurus, the north node in Taurus, opposite the sign of Scorpio death. Where is it? We often hear statements like, death is the moment of truth. Or in quotes, death is the point when we finally come face to face with ourselves. And we have seen how those who go through a near-death experience sometimes report that as they witness their lives replayed before them, they are asked questions, such as, What have you done with your life? What have you done for others? All of this points to one fact. I love this guy. That in death, we cannot escape from who or what we really are. (laughs) Whether we like it or not, our true nature is revealed. But it is important to know that there are two aspects of our being that are revealed at the moment of death. 
our absolute nature and our relative nature. How we are and have been in this life. Which is one of many lives, let's not forget. (laughs) As I have explained in death, all the components of our body and mind are stripped away and disintegrate. Should I repeat that? (laughs) When you die, baby, your mind disintegrates. (laughs) Yeah. Along with all your thoughts and stories. (laughs) As the body dies, the senses and subtle elements dissolve. And this is followed by the death of the ordinary aspect of the mind with all its negative emotions of anger, desire, and ignorance. Finally, nothing remains to obscure our true nature as everything that in life has clouded The enlightened mind has fallen away. And what is revealed is the primordial ground of our absolute nature, which is like a pure and cloudless sky. This is called the dawning of the ground luminosity or clear light where consciousness itself dissolves into the all-encompassing space of truth. (laughs) The Tibetan Book of the Dead says of this moment, the nature of everything is open, empty, and naked like sky. Luminous emptiness without center or circumference. The pure, naked Rigpa dawns. (laughs) You might want to that one. I saved the best to last, man. Do you get it? Do you get the maya, the illusion, whether it's thoughts or perceptions or stories or sensations or memories? Or blah, 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 blah. Let it all fall away. This is the south node in Scorpio. This is what these eclipses are all about. Let go. And it's scary to let go of old identities old relationships, old beliefs, old jobs, old sources of income, old bed partners, old whatever. I know, I know. It's hard to move into this place of luminosity. So, what you want to do is you want to repeat the mantra over and over and over again. (laughs) Outside my mind... Outside of time, my bare true self 
will forever shine. This week, may you get down to your bare essential self and, you know, shine. Yeah. The song for this week, I mean, I just love John Prine. I just love John Prine. Uh, go down below in YouTube and uh, and click on, uh, you know, the link for Spanish Pipe Dream. And uh, eat a lot of peaches. Throw away your TV. Move to the country. Build yourself a home. <laughs> yeah. So, until later, you know, have a have a good week. Namaste. Aloha. So much essence. So much essence. So much truth. So much luminosity. So much blue sky. Ow. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. Uh, At this point, uh, let me do this. Uh, If you're interested in the uh, website for... uh, Alice Bailey books. Okay. The website is www.lucis, L-U-C-I-S, trust, one word, lucistrust.org. And it's a really, I just, I just went there today for the first time. Uh, but you got, uh, all, all stuff related to, uh, the organization, including the schedule for, uh, new moon and full moon meditations. Wow. So uh, and uh, some of the books are online. You can you can uh, you can uh, go and buy books. And uh, there's an introduction to full moon meditation, the twelve spiritual festivals, the three major spiritual festivals, uh, moon charts and meeting schedules. Uh, London, New York, and Geneva, uh, Europe, blah, blah, blah. Everything, there's a full moon booklet, full moon meditation outline, full moon talks, resource center, all kinds of good stuff. So, uh, L-U-C-I-S-T-R-U-S-T dot org is the place to go. And with that, I will bid you 
good night. I know we're going to listen. We got a few minutes for um, Tanya, well, right? Right. Eight, how many? 18 minutes. 17. 17 minutes for Tanya. All right. She'll probably talk about the full moon, too. <laughs> Let's go. Let's do this. We're running here into the... Here we go. Next moment in time. It's Tanya Gabrielle here, Wealth Astrologist. Welcome to Star Codes. This is the podcast where we look at an upcoming event in the stars and numbers, the astronomerology, so that we can be prepared energetically to make the most of the event itself. And in this case, it's a big one. It is Mars stationing retrograde. And the end of October has so many big events between the Scorpio new moon eclipse on the 25th of October, this Mars retrograde on the 30th of October, and then the Venus star point, the first one starting in Libra again since 1771, happened on October 22nd. So really a major shift in energy. And the other thing that's important to note is Mars is the traditional ruler of Scorpio, so the impact of cleansing and transformation and change and purging and empowerment through change are going to be big themes. And of course, what Mars symbolizes is also very much activated, and that is internal passion, internal because of the retrograde and having a sense of where you want to focus your your energy on in terms of action, forward momentum, what fires you up. So all of this is in play. Now, the retrograde itself is completely in Gemini. And Mars's retrogrades are about every 2.2 years or so. And they last approximately two months. So this one is about two and a half months. So it starts on October 25th. It ends on January 12th of 2023 it begins at 25 degrees gemini and mars has been in gemini since about mid-august and mars will continue to be in gemini until i think it is about mid-march it's a seven month span which is super long for mars because mars usually in that 2.2 year cycle is approximately six weeks in a sign so seven months is a long time Gemini is very much about how we think about things, how we communicate, how we speak our message. It's also about short distance travel and movement and fun, humor. So in Gemini, Mars will take that focus on courage and forward momentum and drive and initiative and take it within. So our Energy resources will truly be rebirthed within, especially how we think about things, number one, and then how we convey how we think about things. So hidden issues regarding Mars, aggression, anger, uh, especially in the realms of communication, 
will be looked at. So you want to really look at whether you're feeling compelled to use harsh language or words that you might regret later. This will really be mirrored back at you during this two and a half month period. So you want to do a lot of deep breathing, especially if you feel triggered before you write something in an email or a text or speak it out loud, you know, and under the realms of being triggered, I mean, take a deep breath, take a lot of deep breaths because you want to not vent your frustrations onto others. You want to be self-aware now about the fact that you feel triggered and you know, go into your room and and throw a pillow, whatever you need to do. So, because it does need to be felt, the energy, the feeling, but it doesn't need to be projected, projected like a projectile onto others. So keeping a journal is a good idea. Certainly doing a lot of going out into nature and walking and exercising because Mars rules energy. All of those things are going to be super important. You're going to revisit, regroup, Review, revise any emotions that are unprocessed or still stuck, especially in anger. So any hurt that you need to revisit is going to help you, for example, to trust and be open to new love. Mars does also rule passionate relationships. You want to let the past go because in order to be open to new love, you want to revisit whether you're having trust issues, for example. And you'll notice this especially in how you think about others and how you speak about and to others. What messages are you sending? Are they aggressive? Are they causing separation and duality and polarity between you and the other person? Or are you being passionate and confident and assertive? So when Mars is direct, we are putting our strength and our will into taking action. And now that it's about to go retrograde, all that energy is going to internalize. So again, if you have anger about something, you're going to internalize it. So one thing I recommend is not to focus on the why questions like, why did I do this? Why did I do that? Why did I stay in this relationship, for example? Just observe how you are judging yourself and instead of turning that energy onto yourself in an aggressive way, be the observer. Allow yourself to feel whatever it is you need to feel in the context of that situation without judgment and criticism. Mars retrograde can bring destined events. So you're going to feel events that the universe provides in order for you to Wake up to whatever it is you need to purge, right? Again, we're starting this right during a Scorpio eclipse, and it's a new moon eclipse, new beginnings, and Mars is the original ruler of Scorpio, so really the co-ruler with Pluto. So there are destined events and circumstances that come up that will look at foundations that are not built on truth, And any faulty foundations are going to crumble much more quickly during this period. So this is a time where you come into inner knowing, which, of course, arises through the heart. And so any faulty thought streams that you have, the Gemini impact here, are going to focus on how you're feeling stuck, how you're not able to move forward, any sexual wounds you may have. 
You just want to allow it to unfold. Don't judge it. Just allow it to come to the surface. Anything that's uncomfortable, just feel it and observe the feelings and become aware of them and ask creator for greater awareness about the feelings that you're having. The magical thing to remember is that out of all pain that you experience will come harmony and pleasure. As much as it's going to bring up some uncomfortable emotions, what's really happening is you're being set free. And Mars is one of those set you free planets along with Uranus. So this process, if you welcome it, is going to save you from moving into something far more difficult. So if you look at it from that wise perspective and reframe these opportunities to cleanse anger issues, frustration, see them as a welcome blessing instead. Because, you know, we talk about sometimes creating an intervention for people where we, where, where people come together and feel, well, we've got to intervene here in order to help this person through a, a major hurdle. When it is a divine intervention, it truly is the timing is right. You're being shown something in order to prevent you from going somewhere that would be much more difficult. So it's really important to welcome these moments that can bring painful discoveries because you're being shown something in the nick of time, in a sense, before you might do something that is going to be much more challenging. And as a result of welcoming that blessing in disguise, you are acknowledging consciously, and this is really the key, when you're conscious of it, you move through it much more fast. Now, keep in mind this Mars retrograde happens just a few days, five days, after the eclipse in Scorpio. It's a partial solar eclipse, new moon eclipse. And because Mars is the ruler of Scorpio and Scorpio uncovers the truth, the cleansing aspect of this retrograde is very much about passion, confidence, assertiveness. Those will be especially transformational. So whatever you feel truly engaged with passionate-wise and this can be intimate relationships, it can be your work, it can be your health. It's just to know that you will be much more passionately engaged in transforming one or more areas of your life. And also to know that truth, which Scorpio with the stinger goes to the truth, which is usually unconscious, Pluto, the other ruler of Scorpio, uncovers the unseen. And that's the, re- the rebirth aspect of Scorpio itself. So truth is never easy. It is confronting. It doesn't come without pain. However, you will truly see the truth where you have kept yourself small. So that's a good thing. That's a welcome thing to know, right? The truth about where you've held yourself back. Wouldn't you want to know that? Anytime we hold ourselves back, it's because of a fear. And remember, Mars, in its natural state, 
does not hold back. Mars moves forward. It has momentum and initiative and drive and confidence. So we are looking at those areas in our life where we have held ourselves back. For example, if you have expectations of a union with another person to be the ultimate union in your life and it didn't happen that way, then you might hold yourself back the next time an opportunity comes around. So those are the things, the kind of things that that can be and will be cleansed. So truly the divine has stepped in and pointed out, well, you haven't let go of your emotional attachment to this or this. And we're coming in now to help you release it because it's for your highest good for this to happen. And here's the thing. If you had continued going to make these decisions without this intervention by the universe, then there would have been a much more major disruption to your life and even to your destiny. So, of course, we're going to step in and help you to bypass that potential. So this is really a gift coming to us. See it as a gift between October 30th and January 12th. And know that whatever hasn't been brought into balance, into neutrality, into a zero point will come up, meaning where there is really a sense of complete peace regarding an issue. So here's the other thing. The Mars retrograde is happening during the solstice because it moves into January 2023. And right after the solstice on, I believe it's December, let's see, when is it? December 29th, I believe, Mercury stations retrograde. So we're going to have two personal planets in retrograde from December 29th until January 12th, and then Mercury stations direct uh, about six days later on the 18th of January. But during that time will be an amazing time for introspection, self-awareness, rest. So I'm telling you this now so that you can plan ahead since the holidays will be here before we know it. And these dates will be very important to honor because we will be asked to really look within and go to the heart and not use, again, our monkey mind to figure out things when everything is really, the wisdom really comes from within. So you're really going to be able to clear out during this Mars retrograde distorted energy, any new beginning that you want to have happen in your life, the seeds you're planting will be made available to you as you partake in the cleansing cleansing process itself. Remember that a new moon eclipse in Scorpio, which Mars also rules, begins this whole period. So it is also very much about new beginnings. So whatever feels upsetting to you during this time, just see it as a remedy instead of a problem. And that will help to neutralize the memories, which are the past. It will help you to burn bridges to the past and then take on the life-affirming qualities of Mars, the courage, the initiative, the action, the passion, and make those your frequencies. So you'll then see Mars move from aggression to assertion. And this is really the big shift that is happening to the planet Mars as we move through the major shift on Earth. Venus is also shifting. As I said, the new Venus point in Libra, which has an 
actually happened since 1771 that we entered a new Venus point, Venus star point. That's happening at the same time. And Venus and Mars, you know, by the way, Venus rules Libra. So Mars rules Scorpio. This is all just incredible energy. And so the Venus-Mars connection of the sacred masculine divine feminine is really coming into balance now. And over these next couple of years, we're really going to feel our internal barometer get into a place of harmony and not separation. So I created actually a free webinar on Venus and Mars, and it is literally about those cycles and what's happening now to the magical shift in these two planets. And you can watch it at venusmarscode.com. It's so much fun, like you'll learn about the secret sounds of the letters V and M for Venus and Mars and how they miraculously balance the divine feminine and sacred masculine. You'll learn about the number 13 and why 13 has been relegated to, you know, negative number status and why that's now changing. After all, we have 13 lunations in a year. We have 13 weeks in a season. It's a natural part of who we are and it totally fits into the Venus star point and we'll also look at the origins of the Mayan calendar as well so all of that is revealed in that free masterclass at venusmarscode.com so enjoy that it fits right into what's going on right now and have a beautiful week and I will see you in next week's star code podcast can give us the phone number we're going to our conference call now wow talk about a lot of information Uh, oh my goodness i have to integrate all that my circuits are full yeah uh seven two zero seven one six seven three zero one and the pin code is three five three eight six three pound. <sighs> okay, everybody, we'll see you there, and we'll be back right here at BBS Radio, the best radio there is, uh, at the top of the next hour. And in the meantime, let's have a conversation. Uh, about who we are and all that is. <laughs> mm. We'll figure it out, won't we? Mm-hmm. Namaste. See you on the conference, conference call, everyone. And uh, yes, peace and love. Namaste for now for everyone. Wonderful, Rama. I guess we're going to start this uh, hour and six minute piece now. What about Amanda Ellis? Oh, yeah. We got to finish Amanda. Yeah. We still got to finish Cryon. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> we can't finish. All right. Let's get, I think, about 20 more minutes of Amanda, right? I'll back it up a little. Not, not too much because we don't.
Okay. We're kind of uh, right on the money here at time. Okay. It's in between. Hmm. Indicates a shifting of events, usually for the better. Okay. I need to open the windows, guys. It's got really stuffy in here. Hold on. Bear with me. Three ladybugs, I think you call them uh, ladybugs in America, on my windows. Let me just see what ladybugs' meaning is. Cultures around the world see ladybugs as a very positive influence. They're often tied to love, prosperity, and good luck. So it's a good luck omen. Oh, God, I don't know, guys. I'm getting a headache here just trying to work this out because I know there's so many different interpretations. This trip will save you thousands of dollars on high energy bills. Alarmed by gas shortages and high energy costs? This new in- <laughs> interpretations of this. What am I picking up? I'm picking up that Biden is the king of swords. He's on the current throne. He is in mental decline. He's finding it hard to carry on. The feels as though there's going to be an ending. We have the devil energy at play. Um, we also have a destined event. Um, let me pull a clarifying card on the devil. To go with Wheel of Fortune. Joe Biden, why have we got the devil energy? The five of cups and the six of swords. None of these are particularly um, positive cards for him. They indicate a moving away, uh, being uh, locked out or disappointed. Um He's the hardest to read on, and I'm going to leave it there because I'm going to just want to protect my energy a bit. I'm not liking the energy. I tried to record this four times, and I did try and read on him before, and what came up was that he it's like his energy was fighting mine, and it was there was an energy at play here which was not wanting me to read on it, um, probably his actually, and I sort of had a little negotiation with Metatron. He said, no, read on it. But um, I, don't, I don't like this energy uh, at all. So I'm going to move on from it. I will tell you that before he was elected, um, one of my daughters, who was 15 at the time and who's a real crystal kid, um, she said to me, um, she didn't like either of the candidates, let's put it that way, pretend really. Their energy is what she was picking up, and she doesn't really know much about politics. She was just going on, you know, what she felt. Um, but when Biden got in, she said, yeah, I don't particularly like him, but he was better than the other one. <laughs> so make of that what you will. I don't think either of them, 
are cut from particular grey cloths. I think that's the it's the old bird, and I think that we need the new bird to come in. Have I got the energy to do Kamala Harris? Come on, it's a bit of a marathon. This let's do it. Let's try and do Kamala as well. Um, it's like he zapped all my energy out of me. This energy is not good. Hold on, guys. I need to clear this energy. You see, it doesn't have to be Biden's energy. I was talking about the people behind Biden. What is this energy that I'm tapping into here, please? This is just, take it away from the politics now, please. He's representing an aspect that is in the American psyche that is feeling completely and utterly empty. The card of emptiness. The card of complete and utter confusion. Um... The ending and the beginning lie at either side of the same door. Confusion, growth hurts, heals and harnesses away through the uncertainty. This is literally like shipwrecked. This is the energy I'm feeling. It's just like complete rock bottom. Uh, and it's, it's the country. And he just happens to be the one at the top at the moment. So, of course, he's going to, what I'm tapping into, it's not just him. It's where the country's at. And that devil energy is like chained. The devil stopping, trying to stop the country from moving forward to a brighter horizon. And it says the first step is taken within our stillness. So we send a prayer up then, please, to guide the American people, to guide its leaders, to release the shackles from the past, to release the devil energy across the land, to bring in the light, to bring the light in, to illuminate, to guide, and to help the country take the steps forward. Amen. Okay. Right. Kamala, we're going to end on her. Um hope she's a bit better let's see uh let's pull a couple of cards from here kamala harris kamala harris oh great deception and discovery the two d's 
mining for gold um, would, would stab you in the back to get to where she wants to be. Um, okay. Deceptive energy. Letting go and the energy of fear. Um, this is also the energy of somebody standing on the cliff face, uh, needing to take a step forward out of fear, learning how to, that they can symbolically fly. Okay. Come to the edge, he said. We are afraid. Come to the edge, he said. We are afraid. Come to the edge, he said. He pushed them and they flew. It's that type of energy. So um, she has not found her true power. She feels as though she's frightened almost, like the startled rabbit um, of the one who finds themselves where they are. Um, I feel as though she hasn't found who she is. I do feel there's a deceptive energy with her. Um, this card of letting go. Um, let me have a look at what that one is about with her. Letting go. Why have we got the card of letting go for Kamala Harris? Playing it safe. Yeah, she's, it's interesting because, she, um, also behind a mask. Her whole energy seems to be who, where the hell is she? You know, what's she doing? Has she done anything? I mean, I'm sure she has, but that's, that's the perception that's out there. It's like playing it so safe that she doesn't say anything. She doesn't do anything. She doesn't take a step. She doesn't, she's not stepping forward. She's not, she's not, she's not, she's hiding behind a mask. Um, it may also be that she's not fully on board with the policies of the Biden administration. She doesn't like the way it's happening. So she feels as though she's deceiving herself as well. That could be part of it. But I feel as though if she's the lotus flower, she's still thick in the mud of it all. She hasn't come up from the silt and she certainly hasn't found her own golden self. But again, she's reflective of the country that they haven't, that it hasn't found itself either in terms of the new energy that I'm channeling that wants to come in. Okay. Let's pull a couple of tarot cards for her. I'm speeding this up just to get through it because my energy is flagging now. Uh, let's go for it. Come on, push through this. Kamala Harris. Um, what are we going to ask the cards? Does she have a future political career? I think is the question, really. So can she become president? Can Kamala Harris become president? Can Kamala Harris become president? She's got destiny on her side and fate, which was the card that was uh, that Biden had in his load. Uh, it seems to be that her and him are intrinsically tied. Uh, Joe's fate and her fate are uh, interlinked. It feels as though if something fated happens to him and it probably would be his health. Yes, there is a element here where she could step into power, which is what I saw two years ago. Uh, ten of winds, ten of swords. Yes, it comes about via an ending. Um, and it comes about via an ending of the emperor. An ending of the emperor, which is uh, Joe. 
uh, in this deck, the Emperor card is the card of war. <laughs> so it comes about through that. It might also be linked into Joe's possible demise. Um, comes in when we are in the energy of war, which we are in now, the Russia-Ukraine war. Um, okay. Let me see. I mean, I think what her flaws are quite evident from the cards that have already come out. It's like you, you haven't really seen who she is yet. Uh, you might be saying, we don't want to see Amanda, but I'm feeling as though there's more to this woman than what we have seen so far. <laughs> oh, God. OK. Um, show me her flaws. Other than what we've seen. Then we're going to wrap all this up. Come on, Alice, show me her flaws. Yeah, her flaw is weird. Four of fire. This is the um, four of wands card. It's so, she doesn't really want it. Really interesting. She's like vice president. It's like, I'm not sure I really want it now. It's odd. Whether this is just a fear thing. So we've got Biden clinging on. I can't remember the cards are now. We had all those four energies. I think we had Biden with four. Anyway, I was feeling Biden wanted to cling on because of the vision of what he wants to do. But here with this woman, it's like her fear is actually stepping into her true power. Because the nine of swords, you see. And the two of gardens and then the card of strength. Yeah, I mean, nine of, nine of winds, nine of swords. This is the anxiety. This is the stress. Two of gardens, two of pentacles. I don't know which choice to make. I don't know whether I really want it. And then it's the strength energy coming in. You can do it. When we were talking about the past life connection with her and Trump, he had the lion comforting him. And now we've got the lion with her. Oh, my goodness, guys. I'm going to leave it there. I'm just going to pull a couple of final cards for the USA um, because this was never going to be um, a totally clear-cut energy because you're in Pluto return, okay? It's going to be messy. Rebirth and transformation by nature is messy. Um, so let's get some guidance from Metatron here in terms of the best way for you to be holding your own energy at this time. For the American people. Okay, beautiful. Lovely, lovely, lovely. We have the energy of guardian angel. Remembering that you have your guardian angel. We have the energy of the earth guardian. Um, which is also reminding you that the earth itself is protected. Your patch of earth is protected. It's guidance for you to stay rooted and to stay grounded. And to stay surrounded by the colour green. The colour green is also the colour of balance and harmony and healing and growth. It's the colour of the heart chakra. Stay in your heart, stay grounded, stay rooted. And then we have the energy of the night. You are the night. You are the night. Where's that card of Biden's where he stands there? This is him, okay? He's the one currently in power. He's waiting for somebody to come and put on the crown. You're the one. It's you, you're the knights of the round table. This is exactly what it is. You are the knights of the round table. You are the ones who are meant to work 
um, together with each other to bring this new bird, this new consciousness into being. And we have the energy of the rose, the Mary Magdalene energy, the divine feminine as well. Um, beautiful energy. Be the knight. Be brave. Be honest. Be true. Look at the qualities of that, of that beautiful knight. That's who you are. That's what you're being guided to do. And remember at the outset, USA also had the energy of Father God watching over and also reminding you that you are the wise one. Three little birds, Bob Marley, go and play that. Everything is going to be all right. God, what a marathon. Hope you enjoyed this, guys. Please like, please share if you did. Um, and um, thank you for all your support thank you always for all your support thank you also for your donations thank you for the purchase of sprays thank you, thank you, thank you I appreciate you, much love, take care I'll be back soon I'm now going to go and see what the hell is happening in my own country and we'll see who's going to be our next Prime Minister uh, but equally understanding that we all have to play our part in the change that we want to see in the world bye for now, bye but a marathon, the lady said. <laughs> I was down to talk to Oh, boy. I'll just keep sticking with that word surreal. It's real energy. Uh, we're going to go to another reality here. This is called a journey. Let me make sure you can hear me. Yes, I, I got the, the speaker a little closer, the, the microphone. A journey into Telos. Mm-hmm. While at Mount Shasta, Ruben, Ruben Langdon is the host. And Ruben, while at Mount Shasta, Ruben learned of Lowell Johnson, a hiker and a meditator who claimed to have been invited to physically go into Telos, the legendary legendary Lemurian city, which is said to exist inside the mountain. Actually, it goes from a mile and a half down below the mountain all the way to Sedona. Mm-hmm. It's a huge place. How many miles is that? Mm, too many to count. No, thousand <laughs> something, twelve hundred maybe. Yeah. So good, very long distance under the ground. Okay, so the legendary Lemurian city, which is said to exist inside the mountain and beyond. Lowell Johnson spent the majority of his professional career as a hospitality executive. Yet he sensed a yearning to know more about spirituality from the time he was young. His wake-up call came in the form of a TIA mini-stroke. TIA, not sure what those three letters stand for. But in parentheses, it calls it a mini-stroke in late 2015 and has led him down many multidimensional rabbit holes seeking truth. One day, when seeking solace in the forests of Mount Shasta, 
he experienced an invitation into the mountain, which triggered an awakening. In one, It is one thing to think of communicating with extraterrestrials, as seems to be the fever in the world now. Yet his contact was not with beings from other places in the universe, rather with beings that have been here on Earth long before our current memories would suggest. Okay, now this is one hour and nine minutes. Let's get started here. A journey into mm. Telos, everyone. My, my. Come. that I can go to other dimensional places, including Telos, if I choose to, are now within my abilities in your realm. And here's the good news. So is everybody else. You have to find that alignment to make sure that your vibration matches that what's around you. We carry light. You carry light to help guide. It's part of your role to help the universe evolve. And so as a light worker, I don't go to Shasta seeking something from the mom. It's always an energy exchange, believe me. And I get as much as I give, but I'm a light worker. I'm supposed to go there and plant my light to assist that connection from the higher realms here. My job is to pull that light in. And everywhere I go, I leave those things behind. The more I do that, the more I see energetic portals and chests everywhere. Find your alignment first. When you do, then you're in a position to be aware of all the things that are going on around you. Then you find some sacred ground. When I went to Shasta looking for energetic portals, um, I found them energetically. When I get out in nature, I see these energy signatures. They look like heat coming off a sidewalk with form. It's you see them there unmistakable now 
you just have to step into that aura and take advantage of what's been left behind by somebody else who left awesome intentions behind. It's always an energy exchange. All the more reason why I can't emphasize more for people to find their alignment because once you do, you can connect to the things that are around you. And when you do, it's magnificent. Shasta, which is right there. I don't think the cameras can see it, but uh, we're at the bottom of Mount Shasta, just behind Black Butte right here, and we're speaking with Lowell. Uh, you have a fantastic story, my friend. Yes. Uh, and a fantastic adventure. We've been on a couple of ventures the past couple of days <laughs> but for another project. Last time I was in Shasta, I interviewed Asara, Asara Adams, and I, I have a feeling this is going to fit into that story. The story of Telos um, Adama, who I got to speak to through Asara, and who you got to speak to in person. Yes. <clears throat> Tell us about that. I had been in Shasta. The intent was to come up here during COVID for some R&R. And when things relaxed and people could move around a little bit, I chose to go find nature. Mm-hmm. I was going to go solo and just wanted to go to national parks. And in my planning, to make a long story short, Shasta was what just came into focus. And from where I was in Santa Rosa's, you know, it's four hours as the crow flies. And so it was an easy commute. Right. I had never been there before, driven by lots of times going to Oregon and, you know, sightseeing because I like to drive in the car, but mm-hmm. I had never had the chance to stop, although you had certainly heard lots of about what goes on in Shasta and energy that seems to be there. So the plan was I was going to come up for a week and then I was going to meet my son for a week in Tahoe after that. And we'll figure out the rest after that. He was unemployed. And look, I there's no consulting work for hotel guys right now. Mm. It was a good time to just do what if I had nothing else in the world to do, what would I do? I would travel and I would spend time in nature. Mm. Here's where it started. Then the universe decided that they were going to kick in and show me some special things. So the one week turned into five. I just stayed. I continued to extend my time here because the energy here, it's an assimilation. First of all, it just takes time to get used to that energy. And I was two weeks into hiking every day. Significant hiking. Mm-hmm. I'm not 30 years old anymore, and I should have been tired the next day. And it was, like I said, two weeks later that somebody had made a remark in one of the parking lots about their energy level and how they felt good. And all right. of a sudden, I just had to stop and think, wait a minute. 
I should be worn out like hell, and I right. am not. Right. There's some physicality about it. Ooh. I um, tend to meditate when I can, wherever I can, because here's where you find your peace and solace, and now I want to connect with that mm-hmm. and let my inner being appreciate all that. So um, in the course of one of those days, it was the end of July, it was a weekend, and I was kind of planning out what I was going to do. The Peace Garden in Mount Shasta is a beautiful thing to see, and so it was on my radar for the morning. And then I didn't know what I was going to do in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. The things that had come across my attention was a trip up to the top of Black Butte, because I understood if you were willing, you could commute all the way to the very top of it. It's 6,900 feet and change. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well, I... I might be able to do that. I read some of the reviews and they gave their suggestions on whether that kind of thing should or should not be done. Right. Um, anybody my age and my sense wouldn't have done it, but here we went. Anyway, when that was done, yeah. I went back to Panther Meadows to just figure out what I was going to do next. So I picked, found Panther, one of the Panther Meadows is up on Chester. It's, uh, it's yes. one of the highest spots. That's actually where I interviewed, um, uh, Asara. So we had her walking around Panther Mouse and then just off to the side uh, is where she brought in uh, Adama. That whole area for hiking, mm-hmm. there are a couple of stream yeah, uh, yeah. that's up there in the area. It's just green and beautiful back there. And mm-hmm. so that was, uh, I like to see things from as high a perspective as I can. Right. So I always kind of trigger for that. When I was in Colorado going to the top of Mount Evans, man, that was every other month. It was kind of a trip on a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like that perspective. So I wanted to get it here and the highest place you can drive to is up Everett Memorial Highway and you will eventually end up, provided the road is open, at the top of Panther Meadows. At this picnic table, I found I was looking at while people are mingling. It's Friday and people are starting to come and go and there are only a half dozen picnic tables at all. I mean, it's not really meant for people to hang. It's you're going to park here and then go track. Right. But one of the tables was open. So I sat at it and started to look at Shasta and then Shastina for whatever reason caught my eye. Now, Imagine the sun, it's noon, so the sun's starting almost overhead. Right. And the shadows are starting to cast on this side of Shastina. And for someone that grew up around uh, the Mississippi River where we had caves, mm-hmm. we explored them all, we knew what they were like. When you looked at it from where I was, there was almost some of these things, and more than one, looked like they could be cave entrances. Mm-hmm. Where I wanted to go was along that trail, but there was a place where I was going to have to just crawl up rock or whatever was there Mm -hmm. to get to the areas I was curious about. There were a few places that were just kind of natural energy vortexes Mm -hmm. where you would see, um, you know, in redwood forests, their circles of redwoods fairy circles mm-hmm. um and you know that there is activity in the middle of that there were rock you could, outcrops. You could sense that there were uh, there were a couple of those yeah. uh there were a couple of rock outcroppings that were that same thing so the first thing i saw was a rock outcropping that was just like natural like it was meant for someone to stand here and once you did you just felt Mm. Uh, an energy. Now, I would have stayed there longer, but I saw another one right over here that looked like it had promise, similar to this, mm-hmm. but just up a little bit higher. So I moved from here up to there, and when I got in the same kind of position, and I was going to get ready to just kind of stand here a moment, 
anchor my light, and then we'll see what's going on. Well, I noticed one more spot over here, and it was actually against the face of Shastina. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> there were three rocks that kind of encircled this space, and here was a rock that was a little bit higher than my inseam, but narrow uh, and wide. Then there was a huge boulder here and another boulder over here, and they just kind of made this encircular closure right here, and your back would have been against Chestina. So I crawled over that spot here. What I always do when I find a place, and again, there was an energy surge that just kind of grabbed you. I always like to ground my light where I am. Mm -hmm. And so I have my crystals I carry with me, and my habit is to draw an infinity symbol in the sand or the dirt. Mm -hmm. My crystal goes in the middle and I take three infinity breaths to anchor my light there. I've accomplished what I needed to be here. That is the residue I'm going to leave behind. And then I just get to enjoy this and share my energy with the environment I'm in. Mm. And is that kind of all self-taught? It just kind of came to me. Uh, It just feels good when I do that. So the other night when we were talking about going out on mission and finding these vortexes. Well, that was when it just triggered, look, we're light workers. Yeah. We're supposed to be anchoring our energy and assisting Gaia. And I, yeah. I uh, was finished with that. I thought I'm going to sit here for a while. The sun was kind of over my head and my back was against the rock. And on the rock was this brush that grows there. It was kind of dried out. So, I mean, this was not soft at all, but I was having some water and grapes and I was listening to, you know, tunes on my phone. All of a sudden I couldn't hear the music anymore. I was done. I put whatever I was having away and uh, the music stopped. So I reached into my pocket to get my phone out and there's no power. Now, this was fully charged when I left the car way less than an hour ago, and it has a Mophie around it, so power is not being an issue. As I started to try and fire it up again, and I'm holding the power button down, I sense almost like a shadow that was coming from behind me, like the sun would be, you know, moving quickly enough to shadow you, but also like an environment coming from beneath me. And as soon as I tried to regulate that idea, mm-hmm. I felt something cool from behind me. Mm. Now I turn around and there's a hole behind me. As I turned, there was nothing behind me. I was leaned up against solid surface. Mm. It is large enough. I'm six feet tall. It was probably another couple feet over me. It looked like it had been carved out like it was an ex outside exposure for a volcanic a volcanic too. Okay. I turned around and I stood up and as the light was beginning to adjust to this darkness, you could tell that there was a rise and it kind of went up and then it it went downward. But as I looked further, it looked like there was somebody there. Off on the left-hand side to me and maybe 30 yards from where I was, there was somebody, and if I had to guess, it looked like that was somebody who was like my size. Hmm. The next thing I heard was, would you like to see Telos? My heart raced a little. Um, I, did you know it was coming from that guy, or what did, when you, you just, where did you hear it? It came from that direction. Okay. So 
I assume it was that guy. Yeah, it was that guy. Yeah, there's I'm <laughs> nowhere near anybody else. Mm. It had to be whoever it was. Anyway, um, I said yes, so I made my way down. And as I got closer, maybe within 10 feet, <laughs> he was not my size. This guy was adorned in a white um, garment, but he had these ribbons of color. So I didn't know if that was some kind of telos bling or whether that was some kind of badge that represented a, a position he held. Did, but, did, did, but at the time, you didn't know about telos. I did not know about So when Telus. you said, would you like to go into Telus, did you even know what that was at the time? The only background I knew at all was that I have had some experience understanding Atlantean backgrounds and um, res- regressions I had helped through. Um, so I know I have history in Atlantis. And so if you're going to learn about Atlantis, you can't help but learn about Lemuria. Mm-hmm. And so when you learn about both, Telos is eventually one of those stories that comes along that because if what really happened during the fall and if we are to believe in the history that included the Lemurians, right. that this what happened underneath Mount Shasta and, and Telos was developed is probably has a lot more credence than we're giving it. Right. Um, but it was not on my radar. Mm-hmm. When I was going to Mount Shasta, and part of it is I got a spiritual journey, and I'm interested in expressing that. And while I'm there, you'd certainly heard lots of stories about Saint Germain. Yeah. Yep. And he's a real being. He wasn't a legend. He came out and shared what he had to give mm-hmm. and gave it to Guy, and it was his job then to perpetuate the information. So in my mind, if I could run into any Ascended Master, you would make my day. Right. Visiting Telos was not on that wish list. Gotcha. This was all new to me. Mm. As I got closer, um, he he had blonde hair. If I had to describe him, he was Scandinavian in look. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're, all of them that I saw had complexions that were like flawless. Uh, and they, what does that they mean? weren't long. Flaw, flaw, like, like, you know how we look when we mature? Your skin begins to just change with oh, age. Oh, I see. Yeah. Flawless. The wrinkles start creeping in and that kind of thing. And yeah, they, they no wrinkles. No. Huh. All of them that I saw. Wow. We'll get to Adama and the women that I saw. Yeah. None of just flawless. And it makes you wonder if our. Um, physicality is really moving to a crystalline form. I wonder if they've already evolved to that, which would explain um, their lifespans and maybe their just physicality. Who knows? Well, before we get into that, let's back it up. Yes, so you let's see, go back. You see the, the, you see the opening guy, in the cave. And a guy he down is there. now <clears throat> at least a foot taller than I am. Okay. He says, you can call me Alex. Okay. Well, that'll be easy to remember. That's my son's name. And he said, yes, we know about your son, Alex. Follow me. So now we begin down. Well, what did you say when he said that? Did that? How do you respond to that? Yeah, did it, did it disturb you or was it? From was this, this, point on, this point on, I, I was not in a, 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 a period of engagement. I just wanted to soak it all in. 
I now know solidly I'm here as an observer. And so in my mind, I'm just going to take all this in and I'll sort it out later. I don't want to say anything. I just want to listen. And I, I, that's just kind of how it, he just had a narrative that helped educate me Uh during this whole process, which is how I learned what I learned while I was there. Um, but what I saw was the magnificent part. And that's why I wish that there was some kind of cinematic thing I could download that everyone else could see what's already here that we've talked about and nobody has had any feet on the ground. This was not a meditative journey, me sitting in that spot outside. Right. I was inside. This wasn't an astral projection. This was, you were physically going inside this cave. Mm-hmm. So you followed Alex down. What happened? Got all the way down to the bottom. And as you proceeded down, you could see that there was an area down there that was illuminated in some way. Yeah, in some way. How did, yeah. Where was it coming from? I, I don't know. I don't know. And it, well, was it, when is, you asked the question, so I'll cover it now. Yeah. Both here, now that you mentioned yeah. it, and when I described TELUS itself, anywhere we went, mm-hmm. there was no direct sunlight. And somebody asked me yesterday about it, and it didn't occur to me until then. They said, did you see any shadows? And no, I did not see any shadows. Mm-hmm. So where does like natural sunlight come from? Mm-hmm. I can only speculate that it's crystal in nature Mm -hmm. and it's an energy that just works its way in ways that we're just not meant to understand yet it's coming coming from all directions everywhere everything was illuminated now i don't know if that changes during the cycle of a day i was there for what seemed like hours but it was more like an hour and 20 minutes huh so now we're in the staging area okay and directly across from us we're Five more tubes like we just came out of over there, similar to volcanic tubes, which would be natural underneath Shasta. And Shasta. How, how long was it that you had to walk down this thing into the... Maybe another 30 yards. Oh, wasn't that far? Mm-hmm. No, um, it, <laughs> it's uh, crazy. Once, you, once I got there, I mean, there's no conception of dimension. Where am I in the scheme of inside the mountain or am I underground? You know, you flash wonder where that is, but I'm just going to tuck those questions aside until later because I just want to absorb what's in the moment so that I can recall it later to the best of my abilities. And you were kind of thinking that at the moment, you think? As quickly as your mind can process things like that. Immediately to our left was some kind of structure that was approximately six by six and it had what appeared to be like two bucket seats on it. Okay. Over beyond that, there was another one. And over here to this side, there was another one, same things. I couldn't tell you what kind of material they were made out of. I wanted to say they looked like crystal, but I didn't, didn't look like that. It certainly wasn't wood and it wasn't metal and God knows what it was. Mm -hmm. Alex got into the left-hand seat of this and gestured for me to sit next to him. And once I sat down, this thing (laughs) levitated. And we began to move in the direction. Did it it have any give when you sat in it or was it solid? It did. Whatever motion it had, and I knew we were moving, it didn't feel like I was going anywhere. Wow. So, but you, I know you're moving. There's no sensation of wind or any of that. The, the things that you would think physically you would experience, you didn't experience it. Interesting. 
as we're coming out of this tube and now on the other side, there's light coming from the other side. So now you, there's something coming on. There are crystals embedded into the walls. And now that there's enough light coming in the other direction, it's beginning to refract it. Mm-hmm. And by the time you get to the end of it, it looks like you're in a kaleidoscope around you because the crystals are just flaming up. And once we got into that area and it opened up, your breath just is gone because now you're overseeing level one of the city of Telos and it immediately takes us up to some level so that in those pictures you've seen of cityscapes, Mm -hmm. this is what I'm looking at right now. Telos is um, circular in um, orientation. So this white pyramid is in the middle of what I'm looking at. And all around it are crystal structures that are just gorgeous. Could you estimate the size of this pyramid? Like, is it massive like the massive, like the Giza pyramid? It holds allegedly 10,000 people inside of it. Inside the pyramid. Alone. Inside the pyramid. So, so it's their main temple space. Although wow. there are smaller temples around right. that level, this is it. Wow. So this view you had was just enormous. Enormous. What? Right over there. <laughs> okay. So how 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 long did it seem like you were traveling on this 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 hovering thing? To it get didn't there? take long. You know the the. It, Minutes, minutes, really? Wow. Minutes to just get through that, and then you know everything else is like, <laughs> right. okay, that was old news. Now getting to see this from that perspective, right. here's where the questions you were asking me about light conditions okay. focused into me because I'm looking around. This place is cavernous. It's a big cavern. Cavernous. You can't see the top, but there's light, like there's sunlight up there, wow. but there's no sunlight and no shadows. Right. So how is us all illuminated? Right. At the top of the pyramid is a capstone. Um, I used to know the name of it, but it was donated by Venus, and apparently it has function. When I saw it, it had it was a, white. A capstone inside was on the top of the pyramid. How do you know it was donated by Venus? Um, my research has told me, okay. and people have um, confirmed confirmed that that's where it came from. Alex had mentioned it when he was describing it that this is where it had been it had been donated by Venus. Um, what I learned subsequently is that the color of the capstone changes based on conditions. I then, of course, my mind went, well, I guess maybe during the day it just changes for daily or night. And now what I understand is that there are colors of a day associated with that. And the source I got my information from today, Diane Robbins, who's been an author on Telos and has an authoritative perspective, said, um, she says, well, what day is today? Today's Wednesday. Oh, today's Indigo Day. So when the capstone is indigo, apparently the population wears indigo. Um, I, it's so great because you're the way you describe it. The visuals are I'm I'm receiving visuals, and it, it's amazing. It does me good to hear that. Yeah. Really, I understand what this message is supposed to be. I want to make sure that I can paint as vivid an illustration as I can. Here's what we get to look forward to. Here's the next civilization that we should be enjoying. And with Ascension right around the corner, guys, here's a snapshot of what is coming. These people aren't going anywhere. 
they've been waiting in the wings for us to get our act together for a while. And they had no reason to come and interact. Uh, there, you know, there are stories that they used to do that. The last thing I could find, and I went actually, when I asked Diane what she knew about it, the last interaction, any physical interaction with Lemurians seemed to be in like the forties. Used to come into town and they would barter with gold and they would get what they needed, but no one's seen them since. We can only speculate that why would they want to get messed up in this dimension when after what I've seen and the way that they embrace that whole law of love kind of uh, mantra, here's where we're going. Here's the snapshot. Well, let's, let's go back to the visual of, we talked about a pyramid, this is circular city. Were there things flying around like you see in the movies and like Fifth Element or? Uh, no, I didn't see any activity in the air. There were plenty of people, you know, that were just wandering around and they just seemed to be in groups. My focus wasn't on them. I'm just trying to take in this fairy tale vision. Yeah. Um, you always wonder, the closest thing that I've found in any illustrations I can see is there's some mock-ups of what people think Atlantis used to look like, and it was centrific in form, too. Mm -hmm. That's the closest frame of reference I have to what I saw. But uh, the city wasn't, like, connected with um, water. It just had kind of natural byways inside it. Um, what's, a by, was, what's a byway? Sorry, just places for you to negotiate. If you if they had a car, you'd drive your car or how oh, people okay. walked from place to place. The governmental buildings or something like that? Yeah. On the first level, I was informed, here's where the administrative part. Okay. There is a king and queen that oversee Telos. Ra and Rana. Ra and Rana. They are the sovereign king and queen of Telos, and they oversee it. Huh. However, there is a council, and it's six feminine, six masculine, and Adama is the thirteenth um, person on the council. Okay, so they to make sure that energies are balanced. And they they told you this. Mm -hmm. so, so let's let's get to that point. So you you saw this, Alex. Where did you go next? Well, after we finished this, we. We came down, so we were going somewhere else. Okay. How we got there, because I, it was kind of a blur. I was trying to take in what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. And here's where I was able to kind of make contact, eye contact with people. Mm -hmm. Granted, they're a ways away. But I can look in their eyes, and the sense that I got was I knew them, and they knew me. And it wasn't just one person. There was probably four or five people as we went past them that I tried to make eye contact with. It just felt like a little love hug. I love hug. Familiarity. And then after that, we found ourselves on the third level. Okay. On the way there, he described the second level was uh, some additional housing, um, manufacturing, and whatever schooling they have is located in that area. So yeah. Alex was kind of like your Universal Studio tour guide, kind of like over to the left. Yeah. And da, 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 da. Is that yeah. Alex in retrospect, I think that he was there to help me see enough of Telos to claim here it is. I see. And when we tell you it has these number of levels, you have experience with that. Mm. So that in my little humanness that mm -hmm. needs tangibility, right? I got it. Okay, I got to see what I witnessed. 
The third level is where they grow all of their food, and it's the most incredible hydroponics factory you've ever seen. Racks of the the, the entire population is vegetarian. Okay. Whatever proteins they take in is in the form of nuts and you know that type of protein thing. Okay. But what this population eats is all grown here. Wow, the all entire population. Yeah, the, which is about how many? Do you think? That's a good question, and I would love to validate it. Right. Here's what I know: that during the fall and when the remaining Lemurians found their way to tell us and kind of establish themselves. The number that seems to, that people agree on is there were 25,000 of them that were left, took what they could before the entire population was gone, found their spot and tell us and made home. It said today, that's a million and a half. Oh. I'm not surprised by that. It's also been described that this cavity that I was in and these five levels Amass somewhere around 25 miles of space. Okay. So I'm anxious to go back and look at more. But anyway, back to this. Yeah, back on the tour. Uh, it was just the idea that an entire population of those kind of numbers, and they still eat regularly. Okay. Um, three day, three times a day or two times a day. I don't know what their habits are. Okay. But this just regenerates in a way that by the time it's time for the next thing, um, this area of agriculture has just perpetuated itself all over again. Somehow it's more rapid, and I've got to think that that comes from crystal energy, of course. Mm -hmm. They're going to master that, but these guys have access to technologies that (laughs) – we are hoping to evolve to, right. and we think we're pretty technologically savvy right now. Right, right. Yeah, they don't have to worry about GMOs and that type of thing. Right, right. They've got some kind of crystal magic fuel in their mm-hmm. their plants. There. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, it makes my mind begin to wander when you think about what's going to happen with ascension and it, the physicalities of our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, my wonder is if we can really take in our energy directly from the sun. Because think about it, when we eat, that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. That solar energy goes into plants, and really, that's the healthiest part. We all know that. Yeah. Every one of us that eat vegetarianly yeah. know that the best nutrients from the sun came out of these plants because it's natural. Right. Once we cook it, it loses a little bit of that, and then meat, that's a whole nother realm. We right. get that. Um, like These people have figured out how that works. But I'm wondering, once we take on a crystalline form, mm-hmm. Do we still eat that way, or do I just get my energy directly from the sun? Right, right. So let's take that one step further. If I don't have to eat, I don't really need to produce any waste, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I, through my other interviews, talking with some of the other uh, extra-dimensional beings and their civilizations, they've kind of gotten to that state. That I have this idea that the energy is metabolized in another way. And it's all used, so there's no residual left to have to deal with. Right. And then, you know, you just think of all the landfills and what we have to deal with here in the third dimension. Right, right. Wow, it'll be nice not to have to deal with that. Yeah. The fourth level, I understand, is some more manufacturing, and they have some parks and places to enjoy nature. Then the fifth level, which I... 
here's what I want to see next. This level is nothing but nature, lakes, forests, flora and fauna that used to be on the surface, some we have never seen, animals that some have been on the surface, some have not been on the surface that we have never seen. Mm -hmm. Um, One day, we'll have the opportunity to do so. Now that I understood what I just took in, um, we're done with this description and we're back on the first level and over to this when we first came in, there was a circular room over here that I would have thought was a temple um, and that's where we ended up. So this hovercraft lands here and now my feet are on Telos and mm-hmm. there's a doorway really about the size of this aperture right here, but along the sides there are like crystal panels which form this building. On the outside of it was this etching that sure looked familiar to me. Mm-hmm. When I had come to Shasta the first time, kind of familiarized myself with mm-hmm. downtown and got to know some of the shopkeepers, there was one shop that was just so colorful, it just drew you in. Haruko is Blue Star Child. Um, and the first day I went in, I'm looking and she's got 10 foot ceilings in here. She's got some drawings that are 10 feet tall and in panels this wide. What I learned on my return is she hand draws those. And when you see these, they're almost perfect, symmetric images of one another. And these are her interpretations of new light codes. Hmm. They were on inscribed into the crystal wall here and the crystal wall there. Wow. I thought I had recognized it. And I said, Alex, I'd seen this before. And he said, oh, yeah, that's Haruko's work. That is the she, light she code. He said that. He said, he said that specifically. That's the light code for the um, New World blueprint. And that one is the New Human Angelic footprint. Wow. We loved it so much, we engraved it right here. Wow. Well, this room is the council chamber. In the middle of it is a, a circular wooden table embedded with beautiful crystals with 15 chairs around it. And the room is circular in nature, but what you first express, what you learn when you first move in here first is there is a palpable energy that is just like pressing your chest. Mm. And uh, my frame of that kind of warm embrace came the first time I was in an ayahuasca journey and mother ayahuasca put her arms around you and hung on. You just never wanted to leave that sense of bliss. This was an energy that you felt. It made me think afterwards, yeah, I guess if you were going to have to be in a spot where you had to make some decision making, you'd get everybody in this love fest first. I don't know if it had the same effect on them that it did on me. All I can tell you is that it was palpable. Mm. It felt physical. Well, as soon as I was getting used to that, five people walk in. There Mm -hmm. are for women and a gentleman, they're all taller than I am. Okay. And the gentleman is taller than they are. And I recognize right away from pictures I've seen of that's a dama. Mm-hmm. A is probably eight plus feet tall. Okay. 
uh, and he's as magnificent as anybody. But he, when after I saw Alex at first, and then I saw these women who you know used to expect to be beautiful, they all kind of looked Scandinavian to me. Yeah, they have kind of a British kind of accent when yeah. they do speak. Okay. Uh, but holy cow, their complexions are like flawless. Their skin just didn't show any signs of age. It was amazing. So um, they gestured me to sit in a chair. and so the, then four, the five that came out were all women? Four women and Adama. Adama, okay. And so, um, but there after, was still the 13 chairs. Yes. Okay. Yeah, apparently we were going to use the room, okay. and there were only – the seven of us then. Okay. So once I was seated, then they took their position. So there was uh, a female and then a dominant and another female and then me and mm-hmm. then another female and, and Alex and then another female. Okay. And they all introduced themselves to me and kind of gave me a little bio on who they were. But anyway, <laughs> other than I remembered the name of Adama, of course, and Alex. And I remember the first woman who spoke who told me her name was Shiama. And the only reason I remember her is because when the dialogue began, it came from her. Okay. So if you thought that there was a chair for this meeting, she is that person. Right. Um, she began to tell me the nature of, you know, what was going on in Telos. So this was last summer prior to the winter solstice. Mm-hmm. And there was certainly lots of sense in the air that the shift might be imminent around winter solstice, that the the a council <clears throat> was, they believe that the shift is imminent. Mm-hmm. And they believed it was winter solstice. Okay. When she said that, chills just went through my body because, look, I believe that. I've been led to believe that the shift in whatever um, solar flash that might manifest itself in that way, it's coming. Never mind, I believe that I came back in this incarnation because the shift is going to happen in my lifetime. Now, did she specifically say solar flash? or They mentioned that there was going to be a, some type of phenomenon. And okay. then, again, I believe in the cyclical nature of the universe sure. and how the cosmos works. Okay. And, you know, if you're not paying attention right now, we got bombarded with solar energy from the sun now. In fact, yesterday and the day before yesterday, we had some major, uh, uh, what do you call it? C, uh, CMEs. CMEs. I watched, I, it's one of the rabbit holes I found my way down into. Right. If, if I understood the nature of the universe and how it's cycling into its new section and where um, the age of Aquarius really kicks in, according to the linear timelines, I understand our solar system entered this photon belt now for the next 2,000 years in 2012. Mm-hmm. By 2016, our entire solar system now was in this and so now for the next 2,000 years, we're bathed with high-frequency photon energy right. that's coming from Alcyon, passing through our sun, and feeding its solar system. So these little maladies that we think we're feeling think that there's energy that if you want to think of it as we're being mutated in some way mm. because there's changes taking place at with us at a molecular DNA level. Right, right, right. And it's not changes so much as 
we're getting to the point where the two strands that have been here all along that we've been functioning on and the 10 that we've been taught were all these deadly stuff. It's not junk DNA. It's waiting to be activated. And now that our awakening is coming around, all of us have been here before. We have memories. We know what was here before, but something had to trigger us out of that. Sure. Some of us have found it along the way. In my case, I was awakened five years ago. I've been fortunate to learn over the last oh, several months, especially now that the stories kind of got out and you meet these other people that have had similar experiences right, right. that their experiences are just as remarkable. Yeah. And, you know, we're all moving in the same direction. Yep. Yeah. So Shiyama, 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 Shiyama yes. was telling you this, this uh, event, something's going to happen Leading up to 2012. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, t- uh, 12, winter 20, solstice. Uh, was it? Uh, it's the opposite. So wait, 20, 2012 would be, you know, 2012, December 21st, 2012. And then it's sort of like the opposite of that is 2021. Uh, wow. You know what? I didn't even put that synchronicity together. It, yeah. So then it's, it's 2021, which is still, you know, December 21st. Uh, and then now we're, all the numbers match anyway. So yeah. it's just that, that, w- that window is, is, it's yeah, okay. every, every time you turn around, you figure out another connection and it finally resonates with you. But, oh, <laughs> I just learned another thing. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, it's good to keep your eyes open and your ear open, but man, you gotta have an open heart to receive any of this first. So she's going down the list of stuff coming down. It, right? That's really what their focus was. Right. Um, and when that happens, they want to reintegrate with the surface. Mm-hmm. It's their That's what wish. They said. Absolutely. Wow. Their wish that they have things that they want to share with us. Mm-hmm. And it's not like human beings aren't without merit. We have free will and the ability to be creative, which is an anomaly in the universe. Everybody's watching what we're doing right now. They don't have free will, but we live in uh, this third dimension and we were supposed to come here and experiment and learn. Well, we're pretty much done with this, but Earth is not the only third dimensional planet. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, I can't chase that rabbit hole, but when the shift happens, we, it's, it's a physical shift, first of all. Mm-hmm. People need to understand the difference between planetary ascension right. and physical ascension. They're okay. two different things. Okay, explain that. Um, Mother Earth is the one that is being bathed with this photon energy. Okay. And earthquakes that we're suffering and yeah. tornadoes and all the other things are manifestations of this new energy coming in. I mean, if you pay attention to any of these solar storms that are coming yeah. and see how our magnetic field has deteriorated, yeah. we're just in a spot where there's more of that that comes in all the time. There's a solar wind that comes out of the coronal holes in the sun all the time. Yeah, yeah. You can spot them and you see them. It looks like big brown spots. That's actually magnetic information. And there's what's called an EMF. And yep. electromagnetic frequency line between the sun and here. Yep. So it doesn't have to randomly find us. It follows this path and bathes us. Now, what the magnetic field can bounce off of it, that just goes around the earth harmlessly. However, 
we're to the point where now the magnetic fields on both, you know, top and bottom are moving. Um, they're not geographic north anymore, but they right. haven't been for a long yeah, time. Yeah, we've been watching that. Even airplanes, we're just having this conversation now. Even airports are having to realign uh, their magnetic north uh, instruments and runways are having to, they're having to redo because pilots are landing, uh, having to <laughs> yeah. figure out things very quickly. We're moving faster every year. Seems it's getting further off course. Well, right? consider the natural phenomenon. You've seen all these stories about uh, whale pods mm-hmm. being beached yeah. and animals that use that magnetic frequency yeah. for their migratory patterns. And man, somehow their compasses are off. Yeah. Uh, they didn't do that because they wanted to beach themselves. Right. They can't find the navigation that somehow is just adjusting. So, you know, Earth is just adjusting to all this too. And when she finally ascends, yeah. which that's the planetary part, those sentient beings that are on here have the choice to go with her. Yeah. We don't get to ascend separate from her. Right. We go with her. Sure. There are those of us that uh, are happy in the third dimensional world. Yeah. And they want to stay and finish playing out their lessons. That's going to be cool from the way I understand how ascension works because it's going to be immediate. Wow. The day it happens, it's like a snapshot. You're going to just have a different kind of awareness and know that you're just somewhere else. Whatever man-made things were around us won't be around us anymore. We're back to square one to start all over. And those individuals that chose not to ascend will find third dimensional places to play out the rest of their lessons. Now, is it, do you think that's what happened with Telos, with Lemuria back in the day um, when there was the fall, uh, the dimension that we're aware of, and then they kind of ascended and they chose to ascend in their in the cave? So uh, they were... Uh, they all had a higher frequency. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would like to think that they had even higher than fifth dimensional um, mm-hmm. um, awareness. But from how I under dimension, how I understand dimensionality, once you get to sixth level dimensionality, you no longer require physical form. So fifth dimension is really where that caps out for a physical humanity kind of um, body. Right. So you sit down. So. Shiyama. Shiyama sort of tells you about the Ascension story, which you kind of were a little bit familiar with, mm-hmm. and uh, you're getting excited because I believe, I'm a believer. Yeah. When they validated what I thought was yeah. coming, man, if these beings right. think that the shift is imminent, then we're good to go. Did, and you went down the line, and then you said you kind of forgot what the others. They were all introduced themselves before this dialogue with her began, and again they repeated their names to me. And right. I just I I couldn't retain it. I remembered her because she just continued the dialogue. <clears throat> and then you eventually got to Adama. Adama kind of closed it all. She, we weren't okay. finished with her. Oh, I see. Yeah. She, uh, once she kind of set the stage, um, what they wanted and, um, what their goal was to, you know, reintegrate with the surface beings. And now I was going to find out why I got invited to this party. Okay. There were three reasons. Okay. The first was that I had demonstrated it well enough to them that I can hold fifth dimension, um, Consciousness and and how do they explain you doing that? Just by you? 
to your people. Uh, apparently so. Okay. You know, I, your meditations or it's been a while. It it took me a while to get to that place mm-hmm. where I am settled with my truths. Mm-hmm. They were hard fought and you know happily won, but they're still they were truths nonetheless. For we, you know, during your career when you're working for someone else and under the influence of all the other things in your life from the outside, you're always afraid to say what's really in your heart. It's always your first impulse, um, but you don't let it out for whatever the reason is. Hurt somebody's feelings, whatever. Mm-hmm. My first ayahuasca journey said that very thing. Mother Ayahuasca said in the middle of it, you know your truths. Right. Be bold and confident in saying them. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what that meant at the time. Sure. So you tuck it away. And when it finally integrates, when now you come into these kind of truths and miraculous things that can be explained no other way, you just have to let it come out the way that spirit expresses it in you without trying to filter it in any way. Right. So they told you that you have the heart. You have the heart to carry yes. this message. Yes. And then two was I was the I am the protector of Gaia. And where I'm going next, I've made the choice to stay with New Earth. And somehow, whatever the role of protector of Gaia means, that's what I get to do next. I envisioned in my mind that at that, at that time you didn't you, you they said this and you were kind of on that, that was path. A, the ayahuasca journey two years ago. Oh, okay, so you, you how did they know it resonated? You felt that? Oh yeah, but it's true. I'm so tied to nature. Mm-hmm. I'm just in my element when I'm there. Yeah. When they suggested that that was a role I would get to play, man, I just delighted in that. Mm-hmm. I had, um, I saw myself as a sorcerer of types and I had a staff and the staff had a crystal. I have this, this crystal staff. Or, okay. Yes. Here it is. It's a piece of sugalite. Mm-hmm. It's purple in nature. It is a love stone, but it's also a stone of transmutation. Mm-hmm. So changing negative energy into light is exactly what this thing is for. So I thought, you know, once I got to where I would be able to assist others with their journey, and maybe you weren't a willing participant, you wanted to go, but you weren't sure, a moment with the crystal. Mm would help you see the truth, and now you can make your decision. But once your heart has been enlightened and your karma still has to be cleared, that's what the fourth dimension is about. you got to make your balance before you can ascend. But it's a quick process. You're not staying in 4D very long. Mm-mm. You're going home. Mm, beautiful. And what was the third thing? So nature, heart, big heart, nature. That they were looking for um, beings, surface beings, that would be willing to be um, emissaries. When the time, when the shift came and humanity's consciousness rose to the point where they would wish to communicate with us again, they wanted to see if I would be interested in being an emissary when that came. And how did that feel? Humility, gratitude, uh, just humbling 
it's just a, a wave that comes over you. You know, the, the, the notion that comes into your head is, why me? But you don't articulate that. Right. I just answered, I would be honored to. And with that, <clears throat> the meeting was done. Okay. They stood up and they bowed in my direction and they were off. They accomplished whatever task they needed to be. Looking back at it, um, I got enough of a view of Telos to see that this is legit. They expressed what they were interested in communicating with me. Well, you said Adama close. Did he have any oh, words? Oh, he just said uh, he confirmed that the choice, they were honored that I would be uh, he represented the council on this matter i'm trying to remember the way he said it because so elegant yeah he represented the council in this matter and they were all in agreement that the shift was imminent and that if you were willing to be an emissary when the time came we would really appreciate it did what does his voice sound like deep 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 resonating wow um like there was a vibration physically when he spoke Um, more so than the other people in the room. And it wasn't like they didn't have great statures. I'm six feet tall. I was the shortest person in the room. Yeah. Adam was just an overwhelming, but oh my God. Long hair? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, blonde, you said? Blonde. Yeah. All looked, had Scandinavian looks. And wore the same kind of robe stuff? White garments. White garments. Now, not the same apparel, but it just a simple white kind of garment. Interesting. Did they all have this ribbon thing that Alex had? Just Alex? Alex did. Adama had some other kind of sash. I had to, you got to think that the, um, uh, the high priest would have some other kind of designation in that way. But I don't think, you know, we're all looking at things from our third dimensional, the way that our ego wants to classify things. Sure. That's not important to them. Yeah. They're all part of one another. Um, they just have different roles to play. They all have unique individual gifts. And somehow when you knit that whole together, that collective community is a, a, a capable of accomplishing things that are magic. Did, Wait till we get there. And when, during this time, did, is that, did they give you more about their civilization and what they're doing? And, no. uh, they didn't do when the meeting was over, um, we left the room, got back on the hovercraft and made our way back to the staging area. Did they, I had they give you, any, did they give you anything to drink or <laughs> water no, or anything? No, there, there was no refreshment opportunity. Were you thirsty at all or hungry? Uh, did you feel no, any of that? No, I didn't even think about any of it. Uh, None of it, nothing occurred to me other than what was going on. Bathroom the breaks or anything? Nope. No? Interesting. Nope. Good. Wow. When we got to the end, um, I had two questions. Would I get to come back? Uh-huh. And he answered, yes, you'll be able to return before the shift. Was this to Alex or Adam? Alex? Okay. When that is, I don't know. Okay. Um, all I can tell you and those others that still believe that winter solstice was when the shift was supposed to happen. Yeah. Those that look at it and say, well, you know, what happened? Nothing happened. That, uh, to some people, to some of us, think again. Some major stuff happened. It's all going on, and it's been going on for a while. It's just finally crescendoing, uh, and all our work right now is just to try and help illuminate for other people. Some of them are going to get it. Some of them have heard something about it, and maybe are curious. And there are those that'll never get it. Mm-hmm. 
all we get to do before the end? Because look, when I thought it was winter solstice, the idea that you and I were going to have this to document it in some way, we were never going to have a chance to play it out. The shift was going to come and go before then, but it hasn't yet. So clearly we're not done with whatever we're here to do. Sure. I'm not finished because I'm still here and there's look at where I've found myself since that happened. And if you just look at what happened to me over the last few days with the crystal skull and that energy enhancement, Mm -hmm. how did I get there? Right, Right. And you know, the benefits that came out of that. The second question was, can I tell anybody else about what happened to me here? And he kind of smiled and he said, you know, the council believe, you know, the fact that we believe that the shift is imminent, you can tell anybody that you want mm-hmm. because it's not going to be like they're going to find their way down here without the same way that you found your way here. Sure. Going back to the, the, this idea of six, the, the, you said six and six and then, and then Adama was at 13. Was that six male, six female? Yes. Did that, is that something Alex told you? Yes. And it's uh, it was purposeful. Okay. It's to balance masculine energy. In order for us to ascend, everything is going to have to be balanced. Is that what he said too? Or oh just, yes. Okay. He, yeah, he that's been that. kind of ingrained into me since I was young. Anyway, I always had I understood feminine energy and that how it worked with masculine energy. You know, I'm a hockey player. I'm a pretty macho guy, but I could always see the feminine side of things. I had got to say that that was just preparation, mm-hmm. not preparation. That's who I was. That's who we all are. We just have to remember that's who we are. And that's our relationship with others. It's recall, but it's buried in that DNA. That's just waiting to be activated. And there's some trigger that hits all of us. I know part of my DNA has already been activated. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of that came from records I uh, got back from the Akash. It's not some information that's out there somewhere we have access to. Mm -hmm. Man, it's an inner connection we have to a whole realm of information. And when we take how beautiful every individual is and their individual gifts, and their contributions and how beautiful that is. Now, when you start to put all those together, because there's no duplication, holy cow, look at what we can accomplish. Mm-hmm. And the gifts that we have when her piece comes into play and his piece comes into play and your piece and my piece. So I, uh, it's been a few months, but I interviewed uh, Asara. She channeled in Adama. Uh, we had just found out about you uh, literally like the day before of the interview. And I reached out to her when we were talking. I said, hey, do you know this guy, Lowell? And he said, yeah, he reached out to me. You know, I think you called her or something. I did. Look, when I came off the mountain, the first thing you want to do is just validate what the hell happened to me. Right, right. When I came out off into back to the parking lot, the first thing that you just think is none of these people have any idea what just happened to me. And my way down the mountain, I'm trying to figure what do I do with this? Sure. So the first thing I think is, you know, Bev at the crystal shop, she'll resonate with this or she's got to, and she's certainly aware of Telus and she's part of that whole energy here. She can at least help me. She point me to somebody that can help me with this. So you went to uh, Bev first? I went to see Bev first. Yeah. Um, and she had people in there. 
I had enough time to tell her what happened. Yeah. And she just kind of looked at me like it was, you know, the, that's what happened. You know, she expected. Yeah. It wasn't a surprise. And I was kind of surprised by that because this was magnificent to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I tried to go see Haruko because right. look, you need to codes. see what I saw. Right, right, right. She was closed that day. So okay. I didn't get to, I had to go back. What, what did Hiroko say when you told her? I think she didn't, it didn't really register yet okay. until I had posted it again on Facebook and then we friended. And I think once she got a chance to digest it then, okay. oh my God, I had gone back to the shop before I left town because she has some smaller versions of these great big things she's drawn yeah. and I just wanted to have one. Uh, so that people could understand what it is that I saw mm-hmm. because her work is incredible. Cool. Yeah. It'll be, you'll, you'll freak out when you see that to see this little woman, she does these by hand and they take about three months for her to produce. And then Asara, what led you to Asara? I started to, when I got back to my room, yeah. I just started to research anything I could find about anybody that had any connections to tell us. Uh, Sarah was one of those that came up. Yep. So she had contact information. So I got a voicemail, left you know my dialogue, and within a half an hour, she called me back. Mm. We were on the phone for the next two hours. Wow. So that I could find some validation for someone that has some kind of connection to Telos, Adama. You seem to have that. I need a touchstone. Can you help? And she couldn't have been more gracious. She did mention that during your conversation, you mentioned a couple spots that she had seen astrally, that, that she had been there and, and seen that she had never published or talked about, which confirmed for her that you were really there. She did tell me that after the fact, and it just made me feel good because this is a crazy story. Right. Who's going to validate it? I was alone. <laughs> I can tell crazier stories than this. And uh, (laughs) there's just no reason for me to make this particular story up. It's just I have a new appreciation for every time you want the universe to surprise you. She blows you away with what she shows you next if you're just open to an experience. Um, You know, I have had experiences with people that channel Mm -hmm. and there are those that are authentic and Mm -hmm. you know it right away there's a sense that you get uh in their aura when they begin to express you know those things that need to be expressed from them it's authentic Mm -hmm. i've had those experiences with them and i've also had experiences with the channelers that yeah don't go that way right right she was not that and so it was warming for me to contact Asara and have her just listen to what it is and then make of it what you will. Um, then when she said, you know, you describe things to me that I've seen, but I have never talked about. And I asked her, why haven't you never expressed those things? She said, because I was told not to. Mm. The day will come when they'll allow me to do that. But the things that I've been allowed to talk about, they say yes. And then there are things that I'm not allowed to talk to. And that is one of them. Mm. Well, it's amazing uh, that you went there. It's amazing that you're able to share this. And we're still kind of 
unpacking and developing this uh, connection that we have yes. to the mountain and its portals. Um, who knows what's next, right? The good news is that they're here. Yeah. And that we get to do it again. The question is when. Sure. So all we can do is prepare for that day. Mm-hmm. And keep doing our, our work, our play. We have busy work to do before yeah. the universe is done with us. Yeah. Um, I guess that's what we just do. We'll march through those steps until the next thing. But look at what the next thing was for me. Yeah. I thought I was coming to do an interview with Ruben <laughs> uh, to follow up on the TELUS interview. Right. Somehow, I found myself in a crystal skull quest <laughs> with three opportunities to sit with a crystal that affected me in profound ways. And my battery is still... <laughs> Maybe a few months after this, oh, and we will talk. You're course. glowing, but that's half because we were in the sun all day. <laughs> yeah. There's just still lots to process. Yeah. But lot. everybody needs to know. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you for thanks for asking me for your willingness to go on this journey, uh, both with us in the Crystal Skull and for sharing your journey with with Telos and and, and merging these worlds. I think that's uh, that's what we're doing here with my show and hoping for a sequel. <laughs> I'm sure there's much more adventures to come. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. Thanks all. again. Give no, a big hug. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> thanks, Ruben. More to come. Shield and Sharula, and uh, Sharula was born in Telos uh, in the year 1795, and so that's, and then she came to the surface back and forth about four times or so, and uh, she's, uh, and uh, uh, Shield's her twin flame. And he was born on the surface here. I'm not sure where. But, um, uh, Sharula was the, the Spanish princess, right? Who came over with, uh, 
mm-hmm. was the person that came over to Mexico. Cortez. Cortez. She came over on that ship with Cortez. Yeah. And uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. was Montezuma. Montezuma. And they met and had a lifetime together that time. And I got many stories, many stories. Okay, so um, we will go to this one, Rama. Intergalactic Travel and Consciousness Technologies. And uh, this says here, um, Truth Hunter with Linda Moulton Howe. Mm. We met Linda Moulton Howe up in Taos. Yeah. Many moons ago. Holy macaroni. Mm. <laughs> when was that? Oh, long time ago. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Huh? Right around the 1996 or something. Is that mm-hmm. when we did that? Mm-hmm. Huh? Can't remember. <laughs> okay, well, let's go here. Um, what are the connections between warp drives, portals, and psychic phenomena, allowing beings to travel across vast distances of space. In this interview, award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe asks Tim, the tactical advisor from Germany, about the mechanics behind levels of consciousness and high-speed travel. Excuse me, light speed travel, explaining the manipulation of time and space. Tim details how higher vibratory beings can attain intergalactic travel through consciousness-driven technologies. All right, this is thirty-six minutes. Let's let's listen to this. My goodness. It's coming. (laughs) With me today on this Truth Hunter special is Tim a tactical advisor to covert German analysts trying to understand the missions and strategies of non-human intelligences on our planet, in this solar system, and beyond. Tim, welcome to Truth Hunters in this special. Thank you, Lena. Tim, one of the most popular questions that comes to me at our files are from people who say, this is a big universe, 13.8 billion light years, and there are people who talk as if they are just walking out to go to the store and they're on another solar system. But there is something called the Alcubierre warp drive, and it is serious physics. 
And from people who have talked to me, who have military connections, they say, we do have a space force. It is secretly out in 22 solar systems right now. And that a couple of times we've even been to Andromeda with the help of other non-humans. What is the truth from your point of view about how humans are going with ETs moving point to point and getting from here out several light years in maybe an Earth day or two or three? Right. There are about 15 ways uh, that repeat itself where how intergalactic species travel. One of the easiest way to do that is through a jump gate, which is either a natural occurring portal or a artificially set up portal in order to connect two points of the universe. The underlying physics is that everything in the universe is on one scale, only one point of existence that is connected to any other points in all existence. With that being said, if you are only one point of existence, you can basically shift the positioning of where you are through that one point field. So this is basically how a lot of the transportation in the universe is working, which means opening up a natural portal that uses the one point field in order to connect these two. There are several more, like um, you could also uh, take two different points in the universe and through a kind of wormhole situation, limit the space that is between two points of the universe. So if you have one point, let's say here, and you have one point in like a 100 light years away from here, you connect those two points and fold the space inside of it to a very dense degree. And then those two points that are actually of a stretch out of very far away are suddenly very close together. And you can go from one point to the another. Basically, you still have a distance. If you, if you do, uh, if you connect through the one point field, then the field itself is the same point, so you don't have distance of just the the uh, the same point. But if you if you fold the space in between two points and bring them closer together, it will take only like still like a half an hour or something to get through that two points. But it doesn't take like a hundred light years. Right, right. And there are always um, references to space tunnels. And the space tunnels, are they being applied to both the shortening or is it that there is something about the structure of the universe itself and the way magnetic fields run, that there literally are what we would consider to be magnetic field tunnels that advanced species know how to use to get through the universe, the matter universe, quickly? So if you have a craft that, for example where a a um a circuit is running around it it creates an electrogravitical force which makes it easier it's not affected by the gravitational force of outside things so it can even you know get into water or um into whatever you want 
so it, it makes itself, it, it creates its own gravitational field. And then you use electromagnetic forces which attract one point to another. And then uh, this allows a, a craft to go like uh, 40,000 kilometers per hour. Well, I remember Lou Elizondo, who was uh, the Defense Intelligence Agency Director of Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program in the Pentagon. He has used as an example since the first opening up of the last few months that we have on recordings a UFO or UAP going 12,000 miles an hour and stopping on a dime, unmoving, and says there's no human that could withstand that kind of physics, and there is no known human aerospace company that has made such a vehicle. So when we have that kind of demonstration, how do you explain that in kind of impossible physics? The... The craft itself creates a gravitational field around it, just the way this planet, for example, has a gravitational field. And, I mean, this planet is going by 100,000 um, uh, kilometers per hour, something through space. And uh, it's the same way with a craft that has a gravitational field, which means the people or the, the subjects inside of the craft I'm not being affected when the craft suddenly stops. Because normally, by, by normal means of physics, that would mean that the forces outside by stopping would affect, would, you know, uh, the would internal. Be, right, it would be concentrated on the body that, uh, that uh, experienced these forces and that would certainly, uh, bring people to, you know, break people. Smash. Yeah, it would smash. This is basically, I mean, if you're uh, thinking of um, some some cartoons where you have like this uh, this girl falling down from a, a high uh, tower or something, and then Superman comes from down, you know, <laughs> and catches it. It, it the, by normal means of physics, um, you would suddenly change the the uh, vector of the forces, and that would immediately destroy that girl that That's falls right. down, you know. <laughs> but if if uh, there's a gravitational field, it only operates within this field. So it's similar, or you could compare it to the situation you have inside of a plane, where the people inside of a plane are basically not affected by the uh, speed that's going on outside, just like a comparative situation. In your one-on-one with Grays, about a 100 has any one of them been when they have said, Tim, we're now going to take you in a craft to a different solar system? Not been off planet. Not off planet. But have you been in a UFO traveling in the skies other? Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is, and um, I think it, this needs to be mentioned because a lot of people, you know, think that the, these kinds of travels are solely focused on technology, which is not the case, because when you develop your own psionic strength well enough, then you do not need technology in order to to uh, to travel these distances. I mean, we're talking about very advanced psionic features, but if you understand that yourself, your positioning of yourself is... Uh, 
the same positioning of yourself somewhere else, then it's just a willingful decision to to get to get suddenly and immediately from one place to another. Uh, maybe a dozen times in the last 40 years in interviewing people in the abduction syndrome, not a lot, but a few, they will say, I was on the terrace in Manhattan. I was out looking at the moon. It was midnight or one o'clock. Right. Suddenly, I don't know what happened, Linda, But I'm moving, I'm moving fast, and it seems like I'm in some sort of a translucent bubble, and I can see stars, and I'm moving, but it's just me and my t-shirt and my jeans. What is it that is surrounding me and moving me through space? Interesting that we brought that up. There are two ways uh, to travel as a uh, under the you know, power of psionic um, abilities. And psionic, for the general lay audience, is being able to concentrate in your mind's right. eye and energy right. on, and how would you fill in those blanks? What is it that a person would most likely concentrate on to do something with this energy of focus? And have you yourself done an exercise with psionic energy that you could explain what you've done and people would understand better? So the easiest um, explanation or example for that would be you feel that uh, your uncle, uh, whatever, is going to call you and then suddenly your telephone rings. And we say that's intuition. But there is a logical, a, a psychological um, correlation between the occurrence of the telephone ringing and yourself being aware that it's going to happen. Like the mind, the psionic is picking up what is about to happen. Right. It's, it's having an impact right. on something physically right. in the brain. Dogs have that very strongly. Yeah. So if you have a dog, for example, and you, you, you stay something at the, wherever your office or something, And you, the moment, the very moment you return to your home, cameras show that the dog suddenly, you know, stand up and go to the door. Yeah, they know. They know because they and it, they rely their their species. The way they, that the relationship between dogs and humans work is that they rely on their psionics in order to understand the human better. And this goes to Stuart Hameroth and Roger Penrose having a hypothesis because in 2014, it was found that there are microscopic microtubules or what they're called in the human brain. And they think they are there to do vibration with the universal fabric. Right. And that is the first time that they, that I would say that there's been in a, a a peer-reviewed journal, a discussion that there could literally be a part of the human brain made to interact in a vibratory frequency way with the universe. Inside of your eyes as well. I mean, you, you are from a biological scientific background, right? Yeah. Okay. So you know there are cones inside yeah. of, of the eye. A cone is something that accelerates a wavelength. Yeah. So basically, human eyes are made in order to bring the frequencies into an accelerated speed. So 
So if someone trains that and uses those cones correctly, it can be also used in order to transmit wavelengths into your surrounding. And everything is wavelengths. And, and then you get reflections back. You get a hundred percent reflections back. Yeah. And the more people do that collectively, and this is why I, I, I stress so much on this earth shift happening now and the all shift happening now, the more of those fields connect together and do that, the more parts of the whole puzzle of this universe are performing something together and the stronger the, the psionics are. If enough people are gathering together and focusing their mind powers to something, the more parts of the whole universe come together and you could even remove something really incredible like a mountain or something if you have enough people focusing on that. And it is also the same reason why I think some scientists would even say today prayer, the intent. Right on treatment or survival so can make yes. a difference. Prayers can make a difference. It makes a difference, 100%. Two things. The more you train and the more you become aware of the results, these determ- are the determining factors to anything you learn. The more you practice it and the more positive results you have, the better you get it. Piano playing or psionics. And you're stressing psionics because you're basically saying this is the area where the non-humans communicate. This is the area that if humans were updating their own ability to concentrate and have impact, that we would be able to telepathically communicate with ETs. Yes, but Linda, not only, I mean, how easy is it? To, it's a, to just communicate and use your psionics to solve certain problems. If a small sample group of a few, of a few thousand people can drop the crime rate of a city by 50%, then a hundred thousand people or one million people on Gaia can affect a field very efficiently. And that doesn't mean that you, so a level three consciousness, a civilization that is heavily in level three consciousness would do all sorts of things to solve something like um, jails, like reintegration systems, like um, you name it, um, I don't know, education or whatever, just to prevent certain scenarios to happen. But if you're thinking about a level four consciousness, The only thing you need to do is focus as much mind power as possible onto the field and let it create itself. So that makes things so much easier. So we're on a planet of 8 billion consciousnesses with the potential of psionics, but out of those 8 billion, maybe there are only 30 or 40 million who literally have had enough experiences that they could say, yes, I've seen a UFO, I have seen a being, I know that I've had telepathy. It's such a tiny uh, fraction. But part of why we're talking is that we seem to genuinely be at a transition, if you want to call it an intersection in the timeline of Earth, where nothing is ever going to be the same again after a period of time. It is as if we are in a huge revolution at every level, including the climate. 
Right. And out of this huge revolution. Right. The assumption is on the other side, whether it is in two years or 10 years, we are actively going to be on a planet where every being knows we are not alone in the universe, that some are friendly, some are neutral, some are hostile, but that we humans must grow up. Right. That we are not alone and that space, space is our future. This species, the human species, as I so, is a so-called ascending psionic species, which means they are already, everyone is already capable of the full potential of psionic features. But it's a kind of muscle. You need to train it. The more you train it and you, the more you exercise it, the better it gets. And when a certain key number of associates of a certain species has had a, um, you know, a full grown psionic, uh, power, it, they, once they achieve that, that, you know, spreads over to the whole collective consciousness. So we are approaching very quickly a point where everyone on this planet will see psionic features in their life at almost a daily basis. And if we were introduced, whether it was to Greys, Tall Whites, Nordics, whatever, and we started to have actual, I'm going to say, communications on a regular basis somehow on Earth, would then the non-humans be teaching humans how to do telepathy because that's their natural state. And would that in and of itself rapidly evolve humans into the ability to pick up frequencies and do telepathy? Hmm. So on a theoretical basis, I would say yes. Knowing the structure of Earth systematically, I would say that the species itself has a tendency to keep things in their own hands. So I would assume even there, if, if there is a possibility that a different race could teach us psionics, I would assume that those in charge would prefer the situation where they do that themselves. Because power brokers don't want to lose control of the earth is what I've been told. And there, that has been one of the big reasons for the citizenry of earth to be kept dumb and blind about other intelligences that the power brokers have been in communication with for decades. Yes, but it's a lose-lose situation. Why is that? Because some other species that have full potential and developed psionic features can use that against a planet that is not fully developed, which means this raises a security lag. If not enough people are aware how to defend themselves against psionic attacks, then that means that you either have other species protecting your planet and you need to pay them because that's their mission, or you're not able to, to successfully, you know, control and uh, protect your own system. And that is also why the government and certain other interest groups have this, you know, interest in seeing people use psionics, um, 
on a global scale to learn it and to, to, to enhance it because the more people develop their full potential of psionics, when this key number is reached, then everyone within this memory, collective memory system will have this ability. And is it true that at least some subsects of greys are being paid in some way to help protect our planet right now, even if we are not told? Yes. And are they paid in chemicals, minerals, gold? What are they paid in? Ooh, I don't know that. I don't know the, the, the contracts. I would assume that the greys are capable of producing any um, resource that they need themselves. The only thing that greys are interested from this planet is A, genetic material, and B, experiences, which means anything that they cannot experience themselves, you know, and learn from that. For example, human emotions, sex, um, sleeps, sleeping, dreams. These are all things that um, they are interested in. And what is your personal knowledge about the craft that people have been on, an attorney uh, that has described and drawn what he saw on a big craft where there were tubes and or big, we'll say, fish tank-looking things. But inside, everything were fetuses of what looked like human babies or hybrids with the greys growing in either glass tubes or these tanks. And the attorney has the impression that this is a, that it's vital to the continuation of the gray species to be able to hybridize with humans. Oh, yes. When you're talking about hybrids, that is true. So some some species create bodies of a certain species and place them somewhere. Some have their genetic stocks in, in, in a certain species, so on and so forth. What the grays would love to see is evolve, like every species evolve to their full potential, but being part of all these species, species. so at, in the end, at level seven, we can like all unify ourselves. So that is mainly the approach to level seven, because the consciousness level of the grace is only reaching level six consciousness and is right now approaching level seven consciousness. But they need every other being in all existence in order to, and, and their experiences and their evolutionary development in order to reunify that universe that we are. And you are so close in your life to the greys one way or another. Do you think that you are a hybrid, a homo sapien grey hybrid, and that's why you do the work that you do? Everyone on this planet has some kind of genetic profile that contains different genetic sources from somewhere. Beyond Earth. Beyond Earth. But I think the main problem that 
I mean, we all should approach is this kind of xenophobia that might be going on, which means there is still something on this planet um, which is against a very typical thing to ape species um, that they are in competition to other species. They um, even in, even the same species um, compared to a different group, they react pretty rejecting to them. Other species don't do that. They don't form in groups and then they don't reject any other species. But this is something um, which comes from the genetics of, a, of an ape species and this is played out as racism, for example, which means, oh, that person is not belonging to my tribe, so I might, you know, reject that. Mm. This is something especially true for ape species and this is still active, though it's subconsciously uh, in in a lot of people. So this is something that an ascending ape species needs to deal with to get rid of that and to understand that we are all connected. We are all the same being, although, you know, we are all different and individual in ourselves. And the power brokers, they don't want to lose control. And I think that has been one of the big blocks because if we are introduced to tall whites, grades, the tall whites can uh, demonstrate superior, hugely superior brain power. The power brokers right now are depending upon to help get us through this very rough decade on the earth. Right. And it's what my Quick point is, it's happening. It's happening behind the scenes. It's happening There's right collaboration. Now. Yes, exactly. Right now on this From planet, the earth of everyone. ETs with our military, with our scientists, with doctors, with aerospace. And yet, those that are getting the help say, no, the citizenry of the planet cannot be told. They can be told, but we cannot. And they're fundamentally to me, is a wrong conclusion. I honestly feel in my soul and my heart that if in World War II, all of humanity had been told about extraterrestrial agreements with uh, the German world, that Hitler would not have been able to co-opt what he did and that the whole world would have to have grown up really fast, but we would have become stronger and we might not be in the same sort of tragic situation that we are in now and wondering what kind of existential events are coming. Knowledge could have been power. And I say that in contrast because right now we still have some time in which the power brokers could make the decision that the whole planet deserves to know the truth, let the chips fall where they may, because it couldn't get any worse than how this whole decade might unfold if we are still kept in the dark while the power brokers are working with advanced ETs who are helping, but the planet is not evolving with them. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of non-terrestrial life forms would totally sign to that. I personally am not here to interfere with the power structure at all. 
Um, but I would say one of the main concerns to closed societies is outside forces and outside systems. So if you, if you compare that, for example, to a situation around the Cold War, where you had an iron curtain, even Germany being, you know, divided into two separate parts, where one of those parts is trying to build a wall around itself in order to keep them, their people away from the, from the influences of an outside system. And this is a major concern. So if you have an, have a species and a civilization that works very well, that might have an impact on the inhabitants of a species that still has a problem within their system and their society. What I want to say, wanted to say is that if we deal with an open system scenario, which we are doing right now, there are multiple planets with multiple civilizations that are way more advanced socially um, spoken uh, compared to Earth, work way better in the system that the, the, um, the risk is there that this might have an impact on your own system. But I would also say that wherever there's a risk, there's also a potential, a chance, which means if you have, and this is basically the reason why the universe itself is opening up for all these other species, it becomes denser and denser over time and integrates even more experiences in, in itself, it's to reduce entropy, as you call it. Entropy. Right. It's reducing its, uh, its entropy, becoming denser and denser. So an open space, an open system scenario means you have more and more best practices around, yeah. you know. You so get you stronger can, in the right way. A hundred percent. Building a wall might sound like security, but it only means like deprivation of your own species. I would say that. That's why, and I think the people right now are in charge are smart enough to understand that besides a lot of other reasons why dealing with this open scenario situation is good, including economical reasons, because the, the money that could be made on a singular planet is nothing in compa- comparison to an open universe. So when do you project the date, the year that the whole Earth will be told and know that there are tall whites and Nordics and greys and teals and reptilians and the whole, whole zoo out there? Then <laughs> it's happening right now, right now. But not publicly the way you and I have described that we would like to see it happen. I would say that we are right now, I mean, I mean, everyone can see that, that we are in a phase of restructuring and re-understanding life as it is. And by 2030, by 2026, 2024. That's an interesting question because um, all I am seeing is that it's happening right now, right here. I would say that the statistics already show that the main population of this planet is okay with the existence of non-terrestrial life. There are documentaries being shown on, on 
certain big mainstream streaming platforms. But it's not the big headline at the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Guardian. And that's when it will be real, when all of the media have all the same big headlines. We're not alone. We have proof. And that at least I, it's been suggested to me that this year that the web telescope, it's already under discussion and it's which planet are they going to aim that they already know has a lot of artificial structures and it will be breaking news on the Trappist planet. We have now confirmed artificial structures. We are not alone in the universe and that that is the humble way in which it will be introduced. So I wouldn't make any assumption about when this topic is going to be major headline in the mainstream or if it even will be major headline in the newspapers. At the moment, what's happening is that certain target groups are being taught and being informed about certain realities. We clearly have an audience that, I mean, no very much about this, um, what's what's happening. Um, and the specific information is going to this target group while the mainstream is receiving different other more subtle um, information right at the moment. But, I mean, we're all waiting for this very first moment where we have the first official open contact scenario. And it says, we're not alone in this universe, and here's why. Thank you, Tim, for being with me on another special, special Truth Hunter. Thank you for having me, Lena. Coming up on the next Truth Hunter. Through compressed frequencies, you can have a direct face-to-face interaction with a consciousness life form that is on a different plane of reality. And what do you see? Good question. We're talking about the whole universe being six, except for one species that remains bad. Which ones are they? What would be the one question that you've heard being six say and agonize over? Infinity. Okay, we've got just a bit of time here. We made an executive decision. We're going to play something here by George Nuri's the host. And he's featuring Matthew, Matthew LaCroix. What is the true story of human history? Writer and researcher Matthew LaCroix deciphers the suppressed wisdom and symbols originating from ancient Mesopotamia, from the serpent and the eagle to representations of wisdom and immortality. Offering insight from his investigations, LaCroix shares how new evidence and research are rewriting our history. Helping uncover the hidden meanings and metaphors of these powerful symbols, LaCroix suggests that as we relearn the past, we are revealing signposts for humanity's future. 
Matthew LaCroix, the author of the book, The Stage of Time. He has appeared in the Gaia original series, Ancient Civilizations, and his previous interview in on Beyond Belief is titled Forgotten Fragments from the Fertile Crescents. All right, this will be our final piece. It's 46 minutes, and we better get started. My goodness. It's coming. There we go. The true story of humanity is far more complex and interesting than we're told. Symbolism is really the language of the ancient people. There are really two distinctive paths that we could take, which is what really the serpent and the eagle represent. It has nothing to do with real eagles. It represents this flying above all, seeing all, and conquering all, and attacking from above. The serpent is the very first symbol that is uniformly seen all around Mesopotamia. All over the place. Yeah, symbolism was the way where you could have a complex message. Only those initiates who studied and understand the, the symbolic versus the literal aspect of it would know what those symbols really mean. Welcome to another edition of Beyond Belief. Matthew LaCroix is back with us, a writer and researcher who specializes in Mesopotamian history and megalithic civilizations. That's a lot of work, Matthew. How are you? I'm great. It's awesome to be back talking to you again, George. It's truly an honor. How did you get involved in these kinds of topics? It was not something that I planned for. It was something that I was just some curiosity led me down that term rabbit hole where you go deeper and deeper into understanding ancient civilizations, how they, the megalithic component plays into the different ages of those civilizations, sure. and just the, I guess, the passion of wanting to know what the truth is. And that's then, then here we are after all these years later, it became really the core of um, what my real drive and passion is right now in life. What is Mesopotamian history? When we look at around the world, the different civilizations, um, the Fertile Crescent region that's discussed as the, the birthplace of civilization and the first cities, the Iraq, Syria area up through um, – The cradle of civilization. Exactly. And that That's the Mesopotamian area, like especially Iraq. And because I specialize in cuneiforms, um, tablets from uh, Sumerian, Akkadian, and Babylonian civilizations that were in that area, um, that's, that's one of the reasons that I became so focused on that – particular uh, area of study. They say the Garden of Eden was slated right around there. This seems like the story, you know, we can go back to the very beginning, um, things like the Atrahasis with this creation of mankind coming from this area that looks like, I think, from what I've studied, the Garden of Eden was likely near the ancient city of Eridu, which is something that I'm also very passionate about um, discussing as well. You're really into this ancient civilization material, aren't you? I can't get enough of it. I honestly, um, it's, it's mind blowing when you, when you talk to someone who's not privy to this alternative history aspect that we discuss and you actually tell them this true story based on tablets and evidence around the world. And they're like, why wasn't I taught that in school? Cause that's what's interesting about history. They don't teach this in school. They don't because the true story of humanity is far more complex and interesting than we're told. Symbols are important too, aren't they? Symbolism is really the language of the ancient people. Yes, they had languages like the Sumerians had practiced cuneiform Sumerian writing, but in terms of leaving behind a message 
that was that was shown around the world. Symbolism was the way where you could have a complex message with multiple different meanings and representations be shown in a civilization. But not only that, only those initiates who studied understand the the symbolic versus the literal aspect of it would know what those symbols really mean. Matthew, tell us the symbol of, first of all, the serpent. The serpent is, in terms of looking at ancient civilizations, the very first symbol that is uniformly seen all around Mesopotamia. All over the place. Yeah, it really is a symbol that then spread around the world and has close relations to the dragon. They're actually one of the same, and we can go into that as we discuss it. How about the eagle? And the eagle was another one of these uh, symbols that emerged at the same time as the serpent. And as we're going to be going along and discussing, it became a, a point of contention where they were really competing against each other because they really represent almost the opposite of each other. How do these symbols, though, tie into humanity? The symbols tie into humanity because when we look at something like what does the serpent represent, and you look at the human archetype of our energy field, our spinal cord, with the chakra energy of reaching what is known as you know the ancient Hindu understanding of kundalini, reaching the highest states of energy we can, what happens is if you were to look at that energy, the spiral of energy around the spinal cord, it looks like a serpent. Yeah, That's what our energy field looks like. So it, it represents knowledge, and which is why it was shown around the world in civilizations that base themselves on knowledge and reaching higher states of consciousness. Isn't the symbol for medicine also a serpent? It is. And if you were to, if you were to you know, have to call an ambulance or whatever, you're driving down the road and you see one go by, you'll notice what is known as the rod of Asclepius, which is on the side. Exactly. And what's so strange about that is that the serpent symbol became demonized later, and yet it's on some of our most established medical industries. Let's look at this picture, Matthew. Tell us what we're looking at. Let's start with the upper left. What sure. Um, and that's something, a story that we're going to get into as we go along here because it has quite a background behind it. But that's the flag of Mexico. And really, it is the heart to represent in terms of what we're going to be discussing because what you see is an eagle eating a serpent. And as we go along, I want to I can point out that that flag, the flag of Mexico, is not the original flag of the Aztec. Uh-huh. It was actually something that was enacted by the Spanish when they conquered, which, again, is the whole purpose behind the symbol, because it's showing you that the, that the eagle is conquering the serpent. And the next one in the middle? The next one is the caduceus. It's an ancient Greek and Egyptian symbol known as the, um, the wings of Hermes. It's also associated with Thoth in Egypt, and it basically represents that spiral of energy um, along the spinal cord with wings at the top, and the wings represent ascension to higher energy and higher states of consciousness. The one on the far right, uh, very similar. That's the famous one that you'll see on ambulances and hospitals today. That's known as the rod of Asclepius. And again, very similar to the caduceus, except instead of two serpents, it's one. And instead of wings, what you're actually seeing is a symbol without the wings represents more of reaching good health. Bottom left. The bottom left is the famous depiction of the Roman Aguila. It represents the Roman eagle, which was um, so important to them that if they lost one of these, they call them the standards, if they lost one of these eagles in battle, they would send armies to retrieve them. Oh, really? And often sometimes losing hundreds, if not thousands of men. That was how important that's, that was to them in their, in their, in their civilization and empire. The one in the middle, of course? Uh, everyone know that's the, the great seal of the United States of America. Sure. Is. And as we go along and discussing what the eagle really represents, people may have a different perspective on seeing that. Bottom far right? Bottom far right is the World Health Organization. And as you can see, once again, uh, similar to the Rod of Asclepius, 
you have the symbol of the of the serpent interwoven around the the world, showing reaching higher states of health in this case, but it can also mean higher states of energy and consciousness. Johnny Enoch on Gaia's Mystery Teaching Special discusses symbolism of the serpent around the world. Let's see if that matches what you've said. Probably the most common symbolism we find all throughout the mysteries is the serpent. It is found all over the world and represents different types of energy. We find it in Asia with the Naga, in Mexico with Quetzalcoatl and Kukulikan, in Egypt, we find it on the headdress of the king protruding from the pineal gland. It's on the caduceus, or the medical symbol we use today on the side of your ambulance, showing the serpents moving up the spine and awakening the pineal and the two swan wings on either side, or the hemispheres of your brain representing the equilibrium. The serpent is among the oldest worship symbols venerated in the world. Anthropologists have even found caves in Africa that portray serpent worship going back 70,000 years. What we believe is this tradition comes from Atlantis, as according to the Arab geographers, the mythical island was often referred to as Antilla's Island or the Dragon's Isle. The serpent is symbolized as the awakening of the spirit fire, immortality and regeneration within us. It is also represented on the cartouche of the Egyptian royalty or name titles. When it is facing inwards, it means the initiate is seeking immortality. But if the serpents are facing away from each other, it means immortality has been attained. The alchemists, inspired by ancient Egypt, Greece, and the Gnostics, often used the symbol of the Aurora Boris, or the serpent eating its own tail, to symbolize immortality and wisdom. In the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve eat from the tree of knowledge after conversing with a talking snake that moves up a tree or the spine as portrayed in the Sistine Chapel by the master Michelangelo. And isn't the serpent Matthew also representative of the devil, Satan? Well, that's where the inversion came into play. Because really, when we look at that history, like they just pulled up that story John Enoch was talking about Genesis story of the Garden of Eden and the serpent. Right. What happened was that depiction or description of that story was almost it was an inversion because as we're if you read that, the it's considered evil that 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 serpent tempted Adam and Eve with the knowledge of good and evil. But why would you we consider be considered evil if you were to give knowledge? in higher higher consciousness to someone. Did it get taken out of context? What happened was it ended up being uh, religious wars emerged, especially uh, with Constantine and the rise of the Holy Roman Empire with this, again, the Roman Empire with the eagle, right? It emerged a great struggle over these uh, originally, as we're going to get into, these original Anuna gods, which is what's depicted in, depicted in, in Genesis as these creator gods that are basically battling over our realm of our reality. And essentially... The Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, emerging out of the Roman Empire, ended up adopting the eagle as this great uh, symbol of, of power and conquering. And they basically demonized and destroyed the serpent civilizations around the world. Like John Enoch mentioned the Gnostics and the great Hindu cultures with the Nagas and the Mesopotamian cultures and the, throughout the Americas, as we'll get into. The Sumerians wrote a lot about the Anunnaki. Tell us what you think of that. Absolutely. My take on that entire realm of information slightly differs from some researchers. I ended up becoming quite fascinated and almost obsessed with understanding what the true story was 
Because when I started to read those stories, it's a great story. It's amazing because you see comparisons all around the world and they seem to be the first influencers on the rise and fall of civilizations. But not only that, they seem to be where uh, the source of all civilization emerged. So in, in, for instance, in, in ancient Sumer, we find that uh, the Sumerian civilization literally came out of nowhere with the, the city of Eridu being the first city ever created with metallurgy and metal husbandry and astronomy and mathematics and complex languages and agriculture. Really the blueprints and the building blocks of a civilization just were handed down by these Anuna or Anunnaki gods to literally create civilization in the lower kingship, not, not just random archetypes of nature. Matthew, who corrupted the symbol of the eagle? Uh, the symbol of the eagle, if, for instance, if you were to look into Native American cultures like in the United States, uh, the Pacific Northwest, the eagle represents something very different than it does to a lot of other civilizations around the world. And I think that's because there are different interpretations of how we could view that. Now, if we're strictly talking about ancient civilizations, their depictions of the eagle come from a place that's very different than what we've been told. And again, I really want to strongly emphasize that the symbols of the serpent and the eagle uh, very much changed over and became something very different than what they started as. So we think of now, like you said, the the devil or Satan or the underworld with a serpent and this demonization. And there's, of course, there's an entire story that I can get into on why that happened. But basically, we're looking at an inversion of that symbol. Tell us why that happened. Sure. The, the place that we can track that to, the very earliest story where we know that those uh, those symbols were established in the way they were and the reason they were comes from an ancient tablet known as the Legend of Atana. And the le- yeah, and the Legend of Atana goes into this entire story of the eagle and the serpent, which I want to point out is the first tablet that actually discusses this this distinction between these two, but not in a way where they're describing those symbols for archetypes of humanity, but actually represented by some of these Anuna gods. So, for instance, in the Garden of Eden story, the serpent that tempts Adam and Eve is this original figure that came out of Mesopotamia. It was actually the the founder of Eridu known as Enki. And I know you're familiar with Enki. Mm -hmm. That was his original name. His later Akkadian name was Ea. And his symbol was the serpent. And just like that, you find the rise of civilizations underneath him, connections all the the same mentalities. Exactly. And then at the same time, his counterpart was known as Enlil, uh, Lord of the Air. Or, Didn't one kill the other? Well, they, they were battling over control of our realm and our dominion. And Enlil, in the, according to the stories, ended up, if you read, if you read the legend of Atana, he describes in that how Enki was forced to rule in the underworld to be a positive counterpart of another being known as Nergal, who was a negative war god. So if you think about it this way. Sounds like the devil. Yeah, and if you think about it in the idea that as above, so below in terms of the underworld and the, and the higher dimensions in our physical plane, there always has to be a balance. So you have to have a positive and negative balance in the underworld, and you'd have to have a positive and negative balance in the, in the higher dimensions or above the underworld. And essentially that's what happened is that Enki was essentially tricked in some ways or forced to rule in the underworld in which he was then uh, – thrown under the bus, if you want to use that term, and, and just considered this this evil being, when really the story became uh, very um, very misled by modern religions that emerged out of Christianity. What do you think, Matthew, really happened? I think what we're looking at is a story of how I, when I've studied the best translators in the world for Sumerian cuneiform, um, George Smith 
was the first person to crack the code of ancient Sumerian. Back in the 1800s, he figured out what no one had known to read or understand in, in over a thousand years. Sumerian is considered a, an isolated language that's not shared by anything else around the world. In fact, it doesn't even have an alphabet. It's simply made up of enormous amount of characters. And the language itself is so ancient that it actually died out. And no one alive knew how to read or write it. And so George Smith came along in the 1800s and with this great discovery of the Ashwin's known as the Asher Paul Library, they discovered an enormous catch of these cuneiform tablets. And he went through and spent years and years and years pouring in his knowledge of ancient Assyrian and Sumerian culture to translate them. And he was the first one in over a thousand years to start to break down what that story was. And then later, his information was verified by great experts Samuel Kramer and Stephanie Daly. Where does Zechariah Sitchin fit in? Zechariah Sitchin was it started to interpret these these ancient tablets, and I don't necessarily agree with all of his translations, but he certainly got the ball rolling for people to know what these stories are and what they represent. Is he somewhat accurate? He's somewhat accurate, but I disagree with some of his interpretations for why uh, the purpose of humanity and the reason why they came, that these Anuna gods came here and what their purpose but was. But you do agree that the gods did come here. Absolutely. And they're certainly not That's archetypes of nature. Itself. No, they had very direct conversations. They used to have a lot of, they used to fight with one another over what our role would be in, not only in this earth, but in the universe. And when, whether one of the things that comes across that's fascinating if you connect the, the legend of Atana with these roles that these different Anunas seem to take up in our reality. And that's the point I want to make is I really, the more I've studied this, the more I don't see it as, you know, spaceship coming here and landing and, and beings coming out. They seem to be interdimensional beings that are incredibly powerful in the universe. And that you can see that in a lot of different texts. And in fact, George Smith came to the same, very same conclusion. And he talked about how they seem to come backwards and forwards in time in our history to basically intervene in these in these certain events and moments. How did the Anunnaki even conceive of influencing humanity? Well, the, the actual story, so if you if you were curious, you're like, well, what is the point of humanity? How did it all start? Really, where you get that story comes from a tablet called the Atrahasis. And in the Atrahasis, okay. you find out that there were these lower beings right below the great Anuna who are known as the Ajiji. And they were doing all of this physical work on the planet. They t- describes how they were clearing river channels. And we know those river channels are in the Fertile Crescent, known as the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, which if you don't clear for agricultural the purposes, garden, yeah. exactly, they can fill with sediment and then they could become unusable. So they were tasked and described in the stories as having to manually clear these river channels and build these sacred temples. And they ended up revolting because they considered themselves like demigods and didn't want to be doing this work. And so what happened was there was a, de- a decision made among these great Anuna or Anunnaki where they decided to create humanity in their image to basically do all the work of the gods. And they called it the workload of the gods. Matthias de Stefano talked about the Anunnaki and the influence they had on the humans on the series initiation. Esir, those who came from the stars, from the heavens, from the unseen, what we call it. They came from one of the stars of the Orion's constellation. Orion portal is one of the most important in the galaxy. They were big people, like the giants. They had this military shape of, of body, really strong. 
you can compare that with the gods of Greece and Middle East that have all these muscles and big beards and they were the first ones to be really attached to humanity. But what we have more present today is what Aesir gave us. Aesir gave us the structure of society. Aesir gave us the base of our culture, our society structure. They gave us the construction of the first temples with big stones. We can find these big stones and big temples that they built and they created all over the planet. They had settlements in Middle East, all over, and in the Mediterranean Sea, in Central America, in Asia. They had different spots where wherever you find these big blocks, these big stones that are the basements for the new temples, were guided by the ice and built by humans. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think it's pretty accurate in terms of them coming here and literally creating civilization. They discussed that. They used to describe how they would build temples in pure spots of energy on the earth. And today, when we look at what's known as the 30th parallel across the planet, we see that a lot of these ancient sites like Eridu and get into the ancient Hindu temples like Bara Bara Caves and Ellora Caves and a lot of other areas around the world as we continue throughout um, like Cairo, Egypt and the, and the Giza Plateau right through the Americas seem like they built in these very specific places with these very specific reasons. And they were the archetypes or the architects of essentially humanity. And they would pick these bloodline kings that were related to their bloodlines and they would have them rule over the rest of the people. Zechariah Sitchin believes they came here and genetically altered us. Do you, you accept that? I definitely, when I look at the work of um, experts like Lloyd Pye, who looked into this early hominid, hominid. I miss him, by the way. I do, too. He was a great man. Sure. And he went into detail looking at, well, if you look at the at the history, the genetic history of uh, mankind and the early Homo sapiens, Neanderthals, Cro-Magnum type of early um, early uh, aspect of our story, you find this gigantic leap that just comes out of nowhere where our brain size doubles and we all of a sudden lose much of the hair on our body and we turn into something very different that seems to not be about this natural survival on the planet, but something that's about a more civilized type of being, something that's more of like a steward of the planet rather than just the survival of the fittest aspect. How many secret societies tied around the serpent are there that is where secret societies really began. When we look at what came out of Babylon and we look at what came out of Egypt, in Egypt we had the followers of Horus. And then we, of course, we know that uh, they would often depict uh, a serpent coming out of their forehead. They were everywhere. Right, which is known as the third eye, which is connected, again, to the pineal gland and knowledge, higher knowledge. And then you see uh, the Naga civilizations in India, which they worship the serpent and the dragon. And then in China, we see the same thing in Japan, throughout throughout a lot of Southeast Asia and right into the Americas. Uh, Johnny Enoch mentioned how so the Maya, their their serpent dragon god was known as Kupukan. And in, Kupukan, in the Aztec, right. theirs was known as Quetzalcoatl. And then as we go down uh, further south, the pre the Inca and the pre-Inca was known as Viracocha. And every time we find this serpent dragon symbology, which is often associated with secret societies. And uh, one of the most famous is known as the Brotherhood of the Serpent. These societies, Uh why were they created? 
The idea was that if knowledge wasn't protected in certain key places, the knowledge that had been handed down, that it could it could be lost and corrupted very easily. And so what would happen was initiates and great and temples were would be built and groups would come together of certain individuals that are of a higher conscious mindset. Some someone who saw the universe in a different way or and saw energy and consciousness in a different way. And they were handpicked. It wasn't that they were the regular people, commoners could just join these schools. They were actually chosen through these initiate groups of individuals. And then these sects of groups formed around the world to basically preserve and and protect the knowledge that had been handed down thousands and thousands of years before. I interviewed Freddie Silva on Beyond Belief, who talked about the serpent people. And in 9,600 BC, and this is actually written down in one of the sacred books of the Maya, a group of gods suddenly arrives in what today is called the Yucatan. Mm-hmm. And they were called the Its. And they navigated from stepping stone to stepping stone, the remains of what used to be a big landmass in the Atlantic, from a place called Atal. They were really into big names back then. Right. They are. Exactly. And uh, the Aztec eventually called it Atitlan, or as we know it today, Atlantis. Atlantis. And they said that basically they were, the, they were called the people of the serpents, and it has nothing to do with being reptilians. It's the fact that anyone who harnessed the laws of nature was deemed to be in control of the serpent energy because uh-huh. the serpents move like this, as does energy. There's got to be some truth to this. Absolutely, yeah. because at the same moment, on the other side of the Atlantic, there's a group of people called the Ophiusa who land in Portugal, in fact, in the location where I was born, which is really weird, uh, and they were called the people of the serpent as well at the same time, and they escaped the sinking landmass in the Atlantic, and at the same time, in Egypt, they show up as the um, followers of Horus. They're also people of the serpent. So we're talking about the same group of people going out and repopulating the world after everything had been completely changed. Why were there so many symbolisms tied around the serpent? It's really the core symbol that represented knowledge and higher consciousness. So if you're looking at the archetypes of humanity and these different paths that we can take, there are really two distinctive paths that we can take, which is what really the serpent and the eagle represent. The serpent is the path of taking towards higher consciousness, knowledge, and basically this energetic balance of both hemispheres and being uh, being a being that it doesn't fall into the illusions of the material world and conquering in war. And But that is exactly what the eagle ended up representing. And of course, it has nothing to do with real eagles. Real eagles are beautiful, but it represents this Flying above all, seeing all, and conquering all, and attacking from above, and that and Enlo is the reason why that symbol was first used. He can be shown in everything from cylinder seals to his later incarnations and things like the Greek culture as Zeus with an eagle on his shoulder, and he was that was his uh, mentality and his domain and, and the way that he was he decided basically because of the laws of duality here that exist, they took, assumed different roles within our reality. And that's essentially what the, the this great battle, secret battle around the world that most don't, don't even know exists, really came from. And the fact that it's, again, at the cradle of civilization is fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, because we know that those symbols came from the Anuna. This wasn't something that was a later creation of humanity. It's been these around the, since the beginning of time. These are the symbols they injected into our collective based on the mentalities of how they would rule our realm. And that's really where it seems like this came down to, where there was jealousy over how to rule us in terms of this this reality we exist in, where 
Enlil was actually quite jealous over the potential that humanity, uh, there's a tablet called the myth of Adapa, where it's described how there's jealousy over this being that, that gets created in perfection. The first, the first perfect right. man who right. they describe as being the greatest among the Anunnaki. It actually says that. It says that not only are we separate, we, we are essentially them, but like the children of them. What does the pine cone and handbag represent? That's one of my favorite things to talk about because it's a way where you can prove that that knowledge that emerged of the Fertile Crescent and then also was present in Egypt and Atlantis basically went around the entire world. So what we find, especially in Mesopotamia and Iraq, is that the Anuna gods are shown passing knowledge through the pine cone to the pineal gland, like they pointed towards the back of the head, of uh, a king and a priest. That those are the two individuals that were chosen to essentially be the hierarchy to rule over humanity, one from the spiritual religious side and one from the the rulership side of over the people. Right. And essentially they would they would show these two symbols every time. But it didn't it didn't just end there. It went it merged around the world. And what that was was they would show the not passing knowledge to those individuals and they, but they, all, they would also have in their hand what looks like some kind of a handbag. Now, when you look into handbags, they keep things that are safe. They keep things to protect them. And what I believe that those symbols represented was not a literal representation at all. I believe that, again, symbolism is language of the ancients, that they were showing that these Anuna gods had all knowledge and that they were passing the knowledge that they had onto these kings and priests. And I just want to mention one more thing. If you go, um, you, of course, you see um, in Egypt the symbol of the serpent, but specifically in the Americas, with the Olmec civilization in Veracruz, there's depictions of the handbag with the serpent being passed there. And we find the same thing with these handbag symbols in Gobekli Tepe. In really? Turkey. So we see this uh, spreading oh, of knowledge awesome. all around the world. What about the wow. injection of all these symbols into our society? How did they do that? Well, this, the original meanings behind those symbols has great has been greatly lost. And now, of course, people think the serpent is evil in all these different aspects. That's but it really, true. it was injected into those secret societies where, uh, to give an example, when we look at, uh, say, the Maya, the uh, the Aztec, uh, Toltec, and then we could look into the Inca, a lot of people will be like, well, hey, Matt, how can you say that these civilizations were created by the serpent and were higher consciousness when they were doing blood sacrifice and war? And really what you find is that those groups that are depicted, the Maya and the Aztec and the Inca, are actually a much later civilization that came. And the original civilizations that were founded there, call them the Proto-Maya or the Proto-Aztec or Proto-Inca, those were the ones that were the pure civilizations that were first created and then later on they became corrupted. What about secret societies today, Matt? Today, Are they based we, around this? Yeah, actually, they still hold that knowledge and, and practice. Uh, one of the greatest the symbols shown, the Gnostics had the symbol of the serpent. And to them, Gnosis represented knowledge. And what you find is that all around the world, there were secret societies and groups that existed peppered all around the planet. And what happened was the Holy Roman Empire under the eagle and a lot of these other conquering empires that I've studied, you look at every flag and crest of nearly every empire of history. They've all had eagles or variation of the eagle. And what happened mm. was the war was that the Holy Roman Empire decided they wanted to rewrite history. That's exactly what they did. And what they, the way they did that was by erasing what is known as the old religion, which was religion of the serpent, by going around and burning the Library of Alexandria in Egypt, destroying the Gnostics, and even going up and, of course, conquering the Americas. And eventually uh, – and, of course, that wasn't the Romans, but that was a later later Spanish group – 
But then we essentially the best Roman story of that, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into, is St. Patrick. Did they intentionally mislead people? They did. They, they're the ones who rewrote the story to demonize the serpent and to make the eagle seem like a, a symbol of just freedom uh, and, uh, and higher states. But really, it was the opposite. We've been greatly tricked in these symbols. And we have to go back and look at what the ancients said about them. Like Freddie Silva just described, we know this knowledge was passed all around the world, and we know what it originally meant. So we need to go back, not forwards, and learn what we've lost, and then reestablish and reintegrate uh, that into our thinking to, to see these symbols and their meanings in a completely new light again. You mentioned St. Patrick's Day. How does that tie into this? Yeah, that's actually one of the saddest things story. of all. Saddest, really? Yeah, it really is. It's probably the mm. most misunderstood and saddest holidays that we celebrate of all time. Why? Well, let me give an example of what that really represents. And, of course, this is going to ruin it for a lot of people that love St. Patrick's Day. First of all, it has nothing to do with Irish pride. That's how it was shown later. There's nothing to do with leprechauns or Irish pride. Has nothing. You to do just with killed that. two great uh, fantasies. I know. Right really, if you look into what that was, is that Saint Patrick, right? The Saint Patrick was a uh, Roman. His father was a Roman official, and he was tasked, just like the Roman Empire did with cleansing, the, destroying the Gnostic people who originally were the Egyptians and burning Library of Alexandria. He was tasked with going to Ireland and the, the UK and Scotland area, but we specifically think of it as Ireland because that was the, the core of this, right. where they went there and they were supposed to eradicate the last group on the planet that was still studying was that ancient old religion were, who were known as the serpents. So if you look at the story of St. Patrick, he was ridding the serpents, the snakes, right, the snakes from Ireland. But if you look all throughout geologic history of that region, there's never been snakes that lived there. It's a metaphor. Huh. It's a metaphor for the Druid people and, and pagans as a more general term, anyone who didn't follow this monotheistic Christian religion. And they were seen as a threat because they had the, they were the last group that had the ancient knowledge and they were greatly demonized later. So what happened was you're celebrating the representation of the genocide and cleansing of the last serpent group on the, on, on the planet, the Druids, who built Stonehenge. Did St. Patrick's have a staff? And a serpent? That was Moses. That was Moses. Yeah, yeah, Moses had the, yeah. the staff of the serpent. And, of course, you, you look into that story and you find out that he was commanded to destroy these ancient bloodlines of the sons of Anak in the land of Canaan, which go back to these bloodlines of the serpent and Enki from the very beginning, who are known as the Nephilim. You went to Chichen Itza back in 2017. Tell us about that. I did. That was a really enlightening um, trip for me. And here's an image of what I want to describe. So... A lot of people have been there. It's a very popular tourist location. But really, what most people are focusing on is the great Kupacan's temple in the very center, right? right? The Spanish called it El Castillo. But when I was I was looking for something entirely different when I was there, I was looking for evidence of when the Maya became corrupted by the eagle influences. Because I recognized that the Maya civilization had this great downfall. And there was an influence that arose later on in their civilization that came at a different time. And I found it. In a very obscure place, there is a, a, a location that's very small and, and, and almost no one visits it. It sort of sits off to the side of Kukukan's temple, known as the platform of the eagle and the jaguars. And that's what this is depicting right here. And so let me just explain this for a minute. What the Maya are showing here in these glyphs is they're showing a story. They're showing their story. And they're showing how on the right side, that's Kukukan. And you, he can be shown with snakes all coming out of him. And notice he's not actually a feathered dragon, like the symbols often show. 
that's a metaphor and a symbol to, to describe his symbol, which was the serpent and the dragon. Notice how he's a man. He's a he's a he's a man with, with weird with weird feet. But he also just show it shows the uh, the symbols of the serpents coming out of him. And what and notice how it's in its own box, mm-hmm. right? So that's where it began. So you can see that as Kukulkan creating the Maya civilization in its purity from the very beginning. Now look, George, what's in the middle? All of a sudden, we have something very different that comes in. We see an eagle eating the pine cone. Yeah, why? Because the pine cone is seen as a symbol of knowledge. And in many ways, if you look at the influences of empires around the world, knowledge was not seen as a trait that was that was that was passed along or really um, encouraged. In fact, uh, the eagle empires, like the Roman Empire, was all about domination and, and control through fear. It wasn't about passing knowledge. So what you see there, just like the flag of Mexico, you're seeing the eagle dominating the knowledge of those civilizations and corrupting them into a war culture, which is exactly what happened to the Maya. You have a passion for this, I can tell. How come? To me, when you look at these breadcrumbs from the ancients and you track them, they tell us the entire story of what we've been through. This great struggle of civilizations rising and falling based on these various influences and how it really gets into the heart and core of who we are and about who we were supposed to be and how really what we're doing now is trying to regain the knowledge of these serpent secret societies that have been destroyed systematically around the world by Columbus in the north, Pizarro in South America, and Cortez in Mexico, who systematically conquered those civilizations and destroyed them. And wiped them out. And wiped them out. And now... We're trying to we're trying to take those little those fragments and those pieces, put them together again, and then regain that knowledge. That sculpture we just saw from Chichen Itza, where was that in relationship to? Him? It's right next to Kukulkan's temple, but it's a small platform that everyone just sort of walks right by. And I've never heard anyone discuss that. In fact, I brought it up to tour guides, and they have no idea. Is it guarded? It's not guarded. It's just not known about because, again, I think it depicts this. Uh, you could call it forbidden story. The forbidden story of what really happened to these civilizations and how the influences that destroyed them are very much still in control today. Is there a lot of evil behind these civilizations? Yeah. Uh, so let me give you an example back to that Maya showing the eagle. What we find is that when you look into the Maya, they actually describe an influence that came later. They call it God L. And the God L was shown all of a sudden when Kukulkan departed from that region and left and then created civilizations elsewhere, something else, another influence came in. Another Anuna god came in and started influencing them. And what we find is, George, if I mentioned how in the underworld it's ruled by a positive and a negative being, Enki was the positive being with a serpent, and then the eagle counterpart was known as Nergal. Now, he was shown as a god of war, N-E-R-G-A-L. And he was known as a god of war. Now, when you look at the descriptions of, of god El in the Maya, it's exactly the same. And so what you're seeing is this, this battling of these energies to, to create civilizations and then later corrupt and destroy them. What do you think our world was like? Back then, we can imagine these isolated groups that were trading with each other, but isolated in terms of not knowing the totality of these new gods and where they were. Like, for instance, the, uh, the Aztec were waiting for this return of Quetzalcoatl. They were retur- waiting for his return. It looks like he was in the spaceship. He, he, he left, essentially, departed with his uh, groups of sages and mystics. And, of course, we don't know where exactly he went, but the point was 
the Spanish actually knew the entire Aztec story, and they realized that the only way that they could conquer a great uh, war empire that the Aztec became was to time Cortez's return exactly when Quetzalcoatl was supposed to return to them. And they confused him with being with being Quetzalcoatl, and then he was subsequently able to conquer Moctezuma and the entire Aztec Empire. How do these secret societies today, Matthew, kind of embed their symbolisms in our own futures and lives? Well, I mean, like again, in, in the modern medical industry and all these prestigious symbols, the serpent's still there. It's still present in the, the most highest esteemed establishments. So how can it really be that evil symbol that we know or we, that we're taught, right? So therefore, the problem is that those secret societies that really practiced this were literally eradicated all over the world. That was the purpose of St. Patrick right. in, in the Druid, with the Druids in Ireland and how the Romans conquered all the way through the Gnostics in Egypt and all those areas. They were trying to wipe that story out so that knowledge would be truly lost. They almost did. They almost did. In The Secret Life of Symbols, the late Jordan Maxwell discusses his idea of symbolism with secret societies. About secret societies, because these different societies become very powerful and very wealthy, but they have an agenda. They have a particular agenda that they're trying to uh, bring into being, and therefore they will build the whole world around you. And you accept what you know when you're a child or a baby. You come into the world and you just accept everything. And if you don't grow up, you just, as a grown person, you just accept whatever there is because that's the way it is. But that's not the way it is. And you keep in mind that there were secret societies that were involved in founding this country. And who were they? And what were they trying to do? <coughs> you have to know secret societies to understand why there are so many different symbols and emblems in Washington, D.C. and around the world. Because there's different groups, societies, that are working towards certain agenda, and they are putting symbols out that represent the agenda. Jordan Maxwell, who passed away at the age of 82, will be missed sorely. Yes, he will. But why were there even secret societies in the first place? Well, it was generally understood that this knowledge was not able to be understood by the masses. It was something that would, on, would only be allowed to be understood by those who had the consciousness and capacity to understand it. And so they would, they under, they recognized that. And whether or not you agree with it, it's just the way that it was decided that only small groups were created around the world. Now, just like was mentioned in that video, those secret societies, this, the original serpent secret societies were first conquered. And then the other original societies were gradually became corrupted. Now, I want to point out, it's mentioned the founding fathers of the United States. Those are known as the Freemasons. And most of the founding fathers were part of the Freemasons, a secret society that actually they still corruptible exists today. Yeah, but what's funny is that, or not funny, but interesting is that Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin knew about what the symbol of eagle meant. It's a conquering symbol. And he actually wanted the symbol of the United States to be a turkey. A turkey? Completely different. Think about it. A turkey is on the ground rather than flying. It represents the opposite. but still a bird, but it doesn't represent the same thing that the eagle does. What's our future hold for us, Matthew? Look into your crystal ball. I think our future is really bright because what we have now is the Internet has allowed like-minded individuals to, to no longer hide in the shadows. The secret societies are no longer hidden behind this term esoteric. 
this term that of hidden knowledge. Now it's it's in the open for anyone who wants to learn. And so therefore you get groups on like social media and people around the world right. that are sharing coming together and bringing back this shared knowledge from these secret societies. And instead of being secret, now it's just completely open. It just takes the inquisitive mind of someone who's who's open-minded enough and, and curious to want to know the truth, to break down these old paradigms and then reforge to learn what the secrets of the ancients were. Do some of these secret societies know that there are people like you who have decoded their messages? I think that they're probably happy that the torch is being carried by a younger generation that is passionate enough to want to return this knowledge in the light of truth, not in a corrupted way, but in a way where what did the original secret societies known as the old religion, like I mentioned, around the world, what were they trying to say? What were they trying to pass to us? What exactly did that knowledge mean to represent us in our state in this reality? Understanding that it represents reaching higher states of energy to reach Kundalini, that's what's mimicked by all these groups, whether it's the Nagas and the, and the ancient monks and the Hindu cultures to the Chinese cultures back in, the, in, in antiquity mm-hmm. to the Egyptians and, and the Mesopotamians and the, and the Mediterranean and the Druids and the Americas. They're all saying the same thing, that we have, oh, we have the power to become gods ourselves if we simply can remember what the knowledge that was lost once was. Matthew, predict our future for us. I think that what we're seeing what right happens? now is there is a cauldron of water on an oven right now that represents consciousness. And there's a top that's being held down by certain controlling elites around the world, corrupted controlling elites that don't want that knowledge known. And so they're holding down this top. But what's amazing about, if you think about that in terms of where we're going, is that that cauldron of water, that bubbling cauldron, that top can't stay on there forever. It's going to eventually blow off, and that's how I see our path as as a conscious um, conscious society here on Earth is that slowly the truth is being known by more and more people around the world until that that old paradigm and that illusion falls. And you're bullish on the future. I'm very optimistic. I think that we will return to the golden age with the knowledge that we once had, and we'll be able to take all the technology we have now and combine it to reach a, ne- a new stage of our human story that's never been able to be reached because. There have been so many falls of these civilizations that haven't allowed them to reach the next stage. How do people get a hold of you, Matthew? People can find my work through my website at thestageoftime.com. I'm also on YouTube under Matthew LaCroix uh, and under Instagram under uh, The Stage of Time. What is your next project? Uh, right now, I'm finishing writing a co- co-authoring a book with Billy Carson. Where we're writing uh, So Does the Epic of Humanity. Where we're telling the true story of humanity. Uh, and we're going to be traveling down, actually, him and I and several others meeting with Brian Forster in South America and Bolivia to oh go to these God. ancient megalithic sites to show the story of how there was different civilizations that came and, and left that have come all over time. Report back to us when you come back. Absolutely. I'd love to. Exciting. Thank you, Matt, for being on the program. Thank you, George. I appreciate it. These secret societies have meant so much to our past, but they really have influenced our future. I'm George Nori. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Oh, my goodness. Okay, Rainbird, we can hear you. We can hear you, Rainbird. Sorry, I am here, actually. Uh, we've been hearing you. You've been uh, shuffling around. But maybe we can have you share. Are you ready to share with us? 
Anytime. I don't have a talking stick, though. Where is it? Well, uh, I, I have it here, and uh, Quetzalcoatl's there with it, the Emerald Serpent Feathered One. And I thought that was really interesting. This last piece was fascinating. And he went right to Mesopotamia. I mean, he went uh, He went to Montezuma. I just got through telling everybody uh, that uh, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. was Montezuma, Sharula's twin flame, and uh, Sharula uh, was born in Telos in 1795. How old does that make her again? 1895, 1995, 205 to 15. That's, uh, 220, that's 220, um, 567. She's 227 years old. And she lives outside of Santa Fe with Shield still, still in yet. And alive and well. And Ram and I lived with them for a while. It's so long ago, I can hardly remember, but I'm going to pass this talking stick with that uh, ancient wisdom of Telos and uh, the Emerald Serpent Feathered One and all the angels and the fairies and the feathers and the rainbows and the crystals. And I like those Menahunis. I met a bunch of those climbing up Kalalau Valley on the back of, on the, on the, uh, the back of Kauai, uh, I really did, and I saw some tree spirits too. They, they actually telepathically connected with me. So all of that's on this talking stick. Here it comes, Rainbird. It's a loaded one. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, the Mennonites are the little blue people that we see around here. But um, I've, I've never known them to be other places. <laughs> oh. Imagine them. Oh, they're they're all over Hawaii, all over the oh. islands. Oh no. man, they're very mischievous. I have to say that. <laughs> and get your I you. one way or another. You better be awake. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it was a delightful day. We really enjoyed everything. So, uh, yeah, lots of, the, the little tour of Telos, that was fascinating just to listen to his story and what he's up to, what happened. That was fun. Lots of fun. Lots of fun today. And we, we have our work cut out for us. So it was a good way to, survive what we're doing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was great listening to Obama and it's really nice to you know, just keep nurturing the hope. <laughs> healing healing our planet Earth. So I pass this talking stick over to you, Robin. Here it comes. Okay. Well, maybe I'll just read real quick uh, again, keep watching. Are you sure you can't find that? Yeah, we saved it for a last minute. Yeah. I'll need this while you see what you can do. 
It's it's still on the same spot, I'm pretty sure, Rama. Um, again, this is um, K. Pacha. He has this little little rhyme every time, and this one today was out. Uh, well, he he comes out on Wednesday, so this was last Wednesday. Outside my mind, outside of time. My bare true self will forever shine. Well, this is a long-winded Pele report. I hope my effort on con- on con- to connect all the various energies at this time makes sense to you. The eclipse brings in a lot of new energy, insights, and feelings to integrate and process. I think it is important to begin with compassion. Sounds like he's talking like the Dalai Lama now. For ourselves as humans, as we are perfectly imperfect beings, all striving to evolve. These eclipses ask us for the raw, radical truth about ourselves, about our shadows, and our self-grasping. Are you finding it? Oh, good. Um, as mentioned in the Tibetan book of living and dying, what these teachings have brought up for me is challenging as I spend a lot of time in my head watching, observing, sorting, judging, myself in the world and believing and uh, energy follows thoughts so don't think that's a waste of time that's real that stuff is real I really enjoyed what Kipacha chose to share with us today um, so where did I um Yeah, what these teachings again have taught, have brought up for me is challenging as I spent a lot of time in my head watching, observing, sorting, judging myself in the world and believing. Going beyond all these into the core of my being is going beyond mindfulness into heartfulness. That's a good one. Let's meet there. Speaking of getting back to basics. Uh, So I'll... I'll, Here's a Spanish pipe dream. Did you find it? Huh? Mm -hmm. Did you find the end of Cryon? All right, let's do it. Let's do the rest of Cryon that we didn't do from last night. Here we go. Are you the first civilization in the galaxy to go through this? Oh, dear ones, it's a stretch, isn't it? It's happened over and over and over and over. You're just the new kids on the block. 
Don't you find it unusual that the earth can be four billion years old and you just got here? Humanity has only been here for a moment. Do you think it's possible that other civilizations have had millions of years before you? They have. What a coincidence that this planet only just came in with humans. Not a coincidence at all. It was designed this way. Could it be that other civilizations have the building blocks of life that is DNA? When you start discovering life, and you will discover it in this solar system, you will find microbial life and a little bigger. And some of that will be in water on some of the moons. You will then analyze for some of the planets you're looking at. And when you take it apart, you'll find DNA. Oh, it may not look like yours. But DNA, even on this planet, is present in all life. A vegetable will have it. A fish will have it. So does everything else that lives in the galaxy. Why would it be different, dear ones? Why would you be different? Physics is physics. DNA is built with physics and chemistry that is common everywhere. Oh, there may be different gravities, different atmospheres, different kinds of DNA, but the structure forms itself naturally like yours did for the reasons that yours did. The physics is the same all over the galaxy. Is it possible that other civilizations have gone through what you're going through right now? Is it possible? The Pleiadians had a horrific history. No. Much, much more profound than yours. They've been here a long, long time in this galaxy. They've come from nothing. An old energy that destroyed themselves more than once. With up to three holocausts of genocide. And I want to tell you what happened. The same thing is happening here. Through free choice, they eventually got it. And they made a decision. I don't want to tell you how long ago that was because I don't want to discourage you. <laughs> it took a while for consciousness to become compassionate, different. And today they mark their time on a calendar from that place when it happened. When they grew up. When they become mature. Just like you. What I want to tell you, dear human beings, is that we have seen this process over and over.
This is not new. This is not new. There was soul planning there too. Are you also aware that there is a finite number of souls in the great central source? That means that all of you, all of you, all of you have played a part in past civilizations before the beginning of humanity. It's missing in your akash at the moment. You don't see it. You don't know it. But some of you are aware at some level. This isn't really your planet. <laughs> don't raise your hand. It's intuitive, isn't it? And here's the other thing that's intuitive. The old soul is waking up right now and they're starting to analyze this and they're saying, I remember this. I remember this. And when you start realizing it's happened before, it's not a mystery. It's not something that's chance. It starts to make sense. Even though you don't know what's next, you remember it has a good ending. Because you went through it. You went through it. And you're... Prepare to pass the FE or PE exam the first time with PPI. Access flexible courses. And you're going through it again. I'm giving you this information and this story. So it starts to make sense that such a thing could be on this planet. That there is a future beyond your comprehension where human nature is way different than it is now. Where greed is not what it is now. In fact, greed is something that used to be. Balance. Compassion. Maturity. Is the kind of thing that you're headed for. With human nature. And you can't believe it because you've never seen it. But generation after generation after generation will start to find answers to problems that seemingly have no solution and never did in an old energy. There are so many examples we've given of this. Now is not the time again. But just to say this. You're awakening to an energy that some of you remember. I want you to relax with it. And understand that you're again sitting at the precipice of knowledge, wisdom, awareness, and invention. And I want you to relax with those you've loved and lost. But they're relaxed with it right now. So many are here looking at you and saying, love is that way. For a better earth, a much better earth. Hmm.
And so it is. Oh, namaste, everyone. It's the bewitching hour, but we'll see you on the bridge in your dreams. And join us uh, tomorrow evening, or this this coming evening. <laughs> it is Sunday and Monday with our sister Cheryl. Um, I think it really helps uh, as we come together and affirm a positive outcome here for all of humanity. Sorry. Now, 425-436-6260, and the PIN code is 946-7441-POUNDS. So, see you in your dreams, on the bridge. Aloha. It'll go very fast. We'll see you here, right here at BBS Radio. In uh, about five days. <laughs> Namaste, everyone. Aloha.